Suddenly, the entire room goes, oh, I hear a, oh, verbally, someone has to follow this. That's what the room said out loud. I'm not lying to you. The first time in my life, man, my entire vision just goes, tunnel vision. I'm, I'm blind except for this white light right here. And I'm like, I'm the guy who has to follow this. Yeah. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> here we go. And he goes, please welcome to the stage, Sam Tripoli. And at this moment, he disrespects me so fucking badly, he runs off stage. He doesn't even wait to shake my hand to say thank you for letting me go up or just shake my hand yeah. to show me the respect to the people in the crowd that, hey, man, this guy was nice up, leaves the stage fucking empty. Nothing. And I'm making my way up to the crowd, and I just and, and 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 by the way, uh, the green from the green room to the in in Addison is a solid seventy five yards. <laughs> I booked a Southwest flight to get there. It That's is a- not it is not close. If you're by the bar, you're just halfway there, and then if you're if you're by the front door, you still have to walk through a crowd. And 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 people people may think, but what does that matter? It does matter. And those little things, the little things like a handshake. From the person that you're following, or like one time Janine Garofalo wouldn't touch me. Like I went to shake her hand, I brought her up, and she went like this. I went ew, and I went, oh great. So now I'm a fucking asshole. Yeah. Because you're a fucking celebrity, and you literally just put your hands up like don't fucking touch me. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. I was like, I'm just trying to shake your fucking. And I was like, I fucking like you. Yeah, I was, I, you're one of the reasons I started because I watched you. and I went, "Ooh, I like her approach to this. I hope I get one day get to meet her. I would. Love, I wonder if we'd ever be friends." Yeah, one hundred percent. And it, because it's visual, it's right on stage, and it is disrespectful. I've ne- and and I've never. It's like I, sometimes, man. I'll like very rarely. Like I'll be in a room. I, I'll be in a room. I'll, I'll be guest. I, I don't know. I, I'll be traveling, right? Or I'll go see family. I know there's a comedy club there. I'll go, hey, can I do a guest spot? They'll be like, yeah. And I'll flame throw the room. Yeah. And then they bring up the headliner. I will give the headliner the greatest intro ever. Yep. I'll be like, he's my good friend. I love this guy. He's nice enough to put me up. If he didn't want me to go up, I wouldn't be here. So if you enjoyed me, it's thank him. Give him the intro. This is one of the funny things. Build the credit up. So when he comes up, it's all love. Yeah. And that's psychological, man. Man, empty stage, dude. No, I walk up, man, and I just sit there and I kind of, and the room is fucking quiet. And I just had this stupid little joke I did whenever I had to follow somebody at fucking Dublin's who was a huge star. Dublin's was a fucking monster. We'll talk about another. A fucking insane room. And I, I do this joke and I drop it and the room explodes. Yeah. For the next 50 minutes. Me and the room, and literally you felt like they're gonna, they were like, we're going to fucking do this. I felt that. It was yeah. like this Rudy moment where it's like, we're going to fucking do this. And for 50 minutes, I just explode. And you could hear people going, yeah, you can follow him. I literally, everybody's yeah. saying it. So I follow him for 50 minutes. I go next door, which is the piano bar. I get shit-faced. Tank the next show because I'm so shit-faced on stage. <laughs> Staff was bringing people to watch me. Shit, fucking tank it on stage. But... <laughs> That's why I don't. I, I just. just the, that story. By the way, life. that story defines what I love in comedians. I love the hard work and insight and care about the craft to go up and destroy in a down and out situation. 
But I even love more the guy that goes, fuck it, gets hammered and goes, oh, shit, I got one more show and fuck with Nick on stage. I love the tragic figure. I love the tragic hero. Dude. I love the artist. And I and I think that's what I'm I'm fucking realizing the older I get is I'm fans of comics. Like I don't want to run a sh- I don't want to run a mall. I just want to be able to make a great fucking shoe. Yeah. I understand I may make sandals as well and boots and and insoles and anything about the foot. But I'm just a comic. All I know how to really do is be me and be funny. Dude, listen to me. I my degree of success to some is amazing, to others it's I haven't done what they've done. But where I'm coming from, man, I literally would like people thought I was gonna pump gas for a living. I like I I completely was horrible in high school. I had no desire to be there. I don't even remember doing homework. I have no clue I even got out there with Never a C plus. Never did my life. I'm, I found out I found out very recently I'm dyslexic. I'm fucking lucky to have graduated college. Dude, I think I'm dyslexic too, man. I just like the, my reading patterns, how I do stuff. It's just like it's it's, it's food bar, bro. Yeah. So the fact that I'm doing anything. Is I mean, like, I'm playing Comic-Con next week. I'm doing the Madhouse down in Comic-Con. Are I you, know you guys are going to be at the American Honda Company. I'm doing Friday, Saturday at the Madhouse. That's fucking down, great. Are you coming down to do the... I might be... I, I don't know. I might come down and watch. I don't want... I mean, like, Robert's been nice enough to let me do that weekend down there. Uh-oh. So, you, yeah, you I don't want to draw from that, but I've, yeah. I, I'm going to probably go and hang out with you guys. I'm going down. I'm going down. I think I'm gonna, what I'm going to try to do is go down with the girls Thursday morning and then take them to go see Monster High. And then do the show with Brian that night, and then drive home with the girls, and then fly. I gotta fly out of L- to L.A. Where are you going? LA. Uh, we're casting in Trip Flip. Oh, that's great! Yeah, we start casting Trip Flip this. Uh, I hope. I guess I'll probably release this really soon. Awesome! Uh, Congratulations! But uh, yeah, we start casting Trip Flip, and uh, we're going. All we start like we're going to like. The next couple weekends, we're going city to city to city to city to city. Amazing, dude! Yeah, it's a fun fucking show. Um, I always think, I always think this is gonna sound really fucked up, but I go, like, I don't think I, I don't think I've achieved what I want in comedy. But let's just hypothetically say that I keep doing trip flip and I keep saying where I'm at at comedy. I'm, I actually might be really cool with them for the rest of my life. What? I'm having so much fucking fun, dude. Listen, man. If I can keep my drinking to where it's at now, where it's like I'm not a mess, no one's ever calling me out on it, and like if I can maintain this path for the rest of my life, Dude, I'd be so fucking happy. I am at a place now where it's like I'm sober again. Yeah. I mean, I just there was a time where Jack Daniels and Blow was just my love, dude. It's, I think it's everyone's love. I just like just doing blow, meeting skanks, having fun. Was just like it meant so much to me. I've never been a money guy. I've just it's just never been. It's never. I've done well. I can't. I mean, I, I'm not murdering it, but I, I I'm never worried about if I gotta have cash or not. I'm I'm doing well. I'm very yeah. happy with it, man. Now, do you look at sobriety as a long term thing or as a big chunk thing? Uh you know, man, I'm just like, I'm going to be honest with you, I relapsed a little while ago, and... When you say relapse, like, are you like, you never had to go to rehab, you just stopped. No, I never, I've never gone to rehab. I've always been like, I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And uh, I relapsed a little while ago. I just don't enjoy it anymore. The thrill that came with drinking and partying and doing fucking shady shit, yeah. you know, is, is gone. It's it's not fun anymore. It's it, can, just, it can wear on your... Like, my wife's, my wife's really good. Like, I always wish my wife was in here in moments like that because she'll say stuff like, 
well, that's just unhealthy for your soul. Like, I mean, she just looks at it in, like, the most purest fucking way of, like, like, well, don't, what, I, you need to have, like, the way she sees life is very simple. And, like, I haven't drank in a, I haven't drank, I haven't drank in a week or so. And uh, just not, like, for any reason, just other than I charged pretty hard at, fuck, in Fort Lauderdale. And I was like, I gotta take a break. And it's so funny, is like, Georgia woke me up this morning, because it's Isla's birthday, and she goes, let's go get donuts for Isla. So I go, great, it's like fucking six in the morning. So we drive out to Yum Yums, we get donuts, we're still in our pajamas, we come back, and Isla's awake, and Leanne's like, where, like, I freaked out you were gone, because not normally in my regular life, I wouldn't just get up at, and leave at six, I would have not come home the night before. That's hilarious. <laughs> so she's like, I was like, oh, Georgia and I got donuts, and Leanne and I got back in bed after we opened presents, and Leanne's like... You know, I wanted to say something new, but I it, I never really occurred to me. But like, you seem really grounded right now, and I think it's because you you know you you take a break and you fucking right. do. But how do you see sobriety? Do you see it long term or do you see it chunky? Like, do you see yourself drinking again or or enjoying wine or having a beer or do you go, you know what, all of that clumps into shady shit? I just I've never been a big wine guy. I just doesn't do anything for me anymore. Just, but you got to understand that. Maybe you do understand. I'm a all or nothing guy. Like when I do it, I want to do it. I want it like when yeah. I'm partying, I want Led Zeppelin 72 world tour. Every I don't want to just like, oh, let's have a beer and talk about I want to fucking break laws. I want a fucking crime spree. I want fucking Bitches getting pregnant. And, like, I want it all. That's what I want. I, I, someone, the, the please turn that into a meme of fucking just Tripoli on stage raging and go, I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. That's, that's how I feel. Like, this, the sipping doesn't do it for me. Oh, that's so funny because I am, I'm, I'm kind of like that. Like, I'm, I am... I'm not a like I was explaining to my parents the other night. Like we were, we were in Florida and we, I had like a, I want to say like I had a bottle of wine with my dad, and I was like, and he's like, buddy, you have, I feel like you're drinking it to get drunk, and I was like, yeah, that's why I'm drinking it. Like if I yeah. get drunk, I just have water. Yeah. Like it, it, there's no, I don't find that's a, a reason. great line. There are people who just I'm gonna have a beer and hang out. Yeah. I'm not drinking a beer to get drunk. I'm drinking a beer because I enjoy a beer. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that. I said. I said to him. I said. I understand there are times where people would like a beer and uh, after the mowing the lawn. I get that. I totally get that. After a long run on the beach, like I really want a beer and I want to sit in the pool. Like when we're at our, our beach house, I want that and I get that. And I won't. I'll probably have one beer and then probably do some more shit. But once. But when it comes to like life, like if we go out to dinner, I'm not having a glass of wine. I'm gonna have three. And it, and and if I stop at three, that's that's uh, that's understandable. But you got to understand that I may want one when I get home, and I may want to come to the man cave and listen to music and get down by myself. Like like my mom goes, my mom said, get that, down by my. What does that mean? Get down by yourself? Just fucking listen to music. I put in like <laughs> yours. Get down by yourself. Mine just totally different. Oh. Mine's locked the door, pull the shades, gack it out, watch like. Two days of pornography, wondering where the fuck I'm going. And, like, dude, I've gone on 
like, dude, back in my day, I went on porn runs where I was like eight hours in, no longer watching for sex, literally watching for cinematography, dude. I'm looking for camera angles, lighting. What is this shot about? Yeah. I, dude, just like going fucking Oscars on pornography, dude. Insanity, dude. Sounds like Tony Hinchcliffe went. Tony, Tony Hinchcliffe went through some period in his life that he was telling me about where he was just like drinking by himself, drinking fine scotches by himself and smoking fine cigars and watching great movies. And he's like, I was getting a little dark. <laughs> Tony Hinchcliffe, watched him last night, The Iron Sheet Gross. Fucking murdered it. Literally so much fun to watch somebody grow into themselves. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So wait, let's get back to sobriety. So, um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 like, if I'm drinking, I'm probably drinking... I'm drinking to the place where I, I'm drinking to get buzzed. I'm not drinking to right. Like I, I like I like getting you buzzed. You like being buzzed. My mom was like, "Well, do, do people smoke pot just casually, or do they always do it to get high?" I go, "That's the only reason to do it, mom." I That's go, such an interesting that that is such an interesting question because that is the one way weed is kind of different than booze. Everyone's yeah. like, "It's booze, weed, the same thing," but. I guess just people just take a couple puffs, and I guess Ellis kind of does that, where he like he'll do a show, he'll take some puffs. I don't think he's going there to get fucking lit. Oh, I'll take. I don't smoke weed. I, I dude, I, I'm I, not I, a weed I, guy. I, I, Doug asked me to do getting Doug with high, and I was like, nah. I just did it. I saw it. I watched it. You and Ellis and him, and you were like, I'm not a weed guy. It's so fucking counterintuitive to the way all you guys live your lives over the store. Because I always just thought weed was passed around liberally to everyone. It is, but that's not my thing, dude. Really? I'm doing gackers of blow on a waitress's assholes. That's how I fucking roll. <laughs> that's how I fucking roll. Yeah. You're just a fucking walking meme right now. Great one-liner. <laughs> it's just like, I just, it's just who, what I was, man. It's just, you know, I don't like going slow. I like going fast. Yeah. I want to be like, hey, let's be Motley Crue walking into a strip bar right now and just fucking everybody get the party started. You know, that's literally how I want to be. And it's just like you can't live like that. And so and so when was the when did you did you start partying like that in high school? Or no. When? I didn't start really partying till like. OK, what happened was I go on. Uh, I, I was a drinker. I do the Vince Vaughn comedy tour. Before I go up on stage, I literally down like five Jaeger bombs. I go up on stage, it doesn't go well. I literally like bomb in front of the entire cast of Wedding Crashers. At that point, I decide I got a problem. I'm not going to drink again. For the next five years, I'm sober. I, I don't drink. I don't do anything. Sober as a whistle. I do a show with Ellis called Wild World of Spike. I, was, I talked to him about that. And it's like, I, I want I try to say to him that, uh, and I, I think our interview went well, but it's really hard to tell with Jason because he's a weird. He's an guy. interesting interview because I was just did a show. I go, he goes, yeah, I just did your show. I go, yeah, and you were miserable the whole fucking time. He says, no, nah, man, I loved it. I go, dude, you were miserable. Yeah. No, nah, man, I love your show. He goes, I go, you should have told me because it seemed like you were. I thought him and Mike, I thought him and Tully actually hated me when I sat down. And I was like, and I felt like I was defending myself. And at one point, I was like, I got, I got in there, I got at their level where we were all talking in the same energy. Yeah. And I was like, and I, and then I was like, okay, it wasn't bad. I, I, I it's a ball busting, like, like Tully's, but it's not like sneaky ball busting. I realize when I come in, 
I'm gonna get my balls busted by Tully. Yeah, but yeah, but it's like not like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like it's just fun ball busting. Yeah, you know, Alice and I were really close, and my girlfriend uh, put me in the uh, I want to be a Howard Stern competition. I I didn't want I didn't want to do it. My girlfriend just submitted oh, yeah. my radio demo, and I got picked, and I flew. You know, and Alice was a good friend of mine, and I called him up to help promote the show. And at this time, Mayhem Miller was doing the show a lot, and they called, and they just jumped me on the radio like they just boom, they jumped me. I couldn't get any words out, and they were just racking me the whole time. And from so we had a period about three to four years where we didn't talk at all. Really? Is this after Wild World? Of- yeah. Yeah, I loved Ellis. I yeah. think, you know, there's some people I watch, it's like, you know, comedy-wise, I'm at a place where I realize I'll never be Elvis. I, I know it sounds really yeah. weird, but, like, I'm just not the guy that will fill the arena. It's just, yeah. like, for whatever reason, I just don't do that to people. It's just I got my group of people, whether however big that will be, it is what it is. I'm not. Ellis is, has... I, I, on the show, I realized Ellis has the Elvis factor. Like, people flock to this guy. Well, yeah, I read his first book. I bought his second one and started reading that. And I was like, well, I don't want to I, I don't want to read his book and then be like a fanboy to go in. Because I like, I, I read his first book and I was like, he's pretty fucking interesting. He's a great he's guy. He's a really fucking interesting guy. And I was Tully's like, a great. Everybody on the show yeah. is great. And I, was like, and I was like, oh, this will be fun. And I went in and it, this is, I'm never going to say, tell, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he'll hear now. He'll hear now. But like, I like this show, too. So when I did Fitzsimmons' show one time, I saw they had Ellis shirts out. And I was like, oh, shit, is this a show from the JSL show? And one of the producers was like, yeah. I go, can I buy one of these? And he was like, no, no, just take it. And I go, are you serious? And they had, like, two. I went, can I grab both, one of each? And they were like, yeah. So I grabbed two shirts. And I was like, fucking badass. I was like, oh, how cool is that, man? Like, it's like going into O&A and, and getting swag. Or, like, going when you go to Rogan. And he's like, pick up, you take a take an Onnit box, get a... Uh, uh, Get a fanny pack, like all the shit he'll give you. And I was like, oh, how cool. And I didn't even know Jason Ellis. So I brought in shirts, my shirts for them, in the sizes I thought they were. I gave him the naughty shirt before. I, well, no, but I brought it in. And I was going to say, like, hey, guys, I brought presents because I stole shirts from you last time I was here. You don't even know it. But here are shirts. This one's for you, Jason, because it's all black on black. And, and I didn't even get an opportunity to get a word out. So, like, at the very beginning, it was like, it was like, it was, and by the way, I'm not, I had fun on the show. I think I think I had a good time. I was just nervous. Cause I was like, I don't think they like me. Like, we did an hour, and I was like, I don't think they like me at all. But then we get done, and Jason was like, sweet as shit. And he was like, that was great. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought you fucking hated me. Yeah, it's a weird. That's how I felt his interview on my show. Is his Kind of we got reacquainted when his PR person called me and was like, Ellis wants to come on your show. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he wants to do his show. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. So we had on, and like, I've had people come on my show that were like, uh, you know, hey, I want to talk about my thing. We're not talking about that. I'm like, okay. So the the PR person's like, talk about his book. Oh. I'm like, okay. I, I, I already know, because I said to him on his show, he was like, you could see him roll. He, he didn't, you couldn't see him roll his eyes, he had sunglasses on. Right. But Which I understand. I like do my radio show. I want to put on my sunglasses because I'm so desperate to be like, is this entertaining? That yeah. People say, I look around at the radio people, because I do, you know, Playboy Radio, yeah. uh, people laughing, and I yeah. feel so bad for them that they have to give me some, ha, 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 you know, like, yeah. so, like I just want to wear glasses. No, so I that- understand that, but I, I, what I was going to say was, 
I, when he said, tell me about your book, I thought he would be rolling his eyes, but I couldn't see his eyes, because I know that he didn't want to hear about my book. Yeah. And I told him, I go, did you, when you wrote your book, did you want to talk about it? And he was like, not really. I said, then let's not talk about mine. Yeah. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, but that's the show that is. Like, that, that's that show. That it, I think they like you more when they're like, all right, tell us about your book. And you're like, I don't want to. And they're like, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, it's a different type of, it's a very different type of radio show than I've ever done or that I'm used to, which is a compliment and a show I've listened to but was not prepared I for. I think he's going to take over. I mean, this is my opinion. I think he takes over for Stern when Stern leaves. I think Stern's out. I think Stern's out. I, I can't imagine Stern staying for much longer, right? They're giving him a lot of cash. But oh, is he staying? I, I mean, I just assumed. I, I don't I know. I feel like everyone's contract's up this year. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I think they were positioning to him, him to take Stern's spot, and then Stern comes back, but I think he takes his spot. I mean, it's a fine-tuned machine, that Jason Ellis' show. It, it definitely is. And he's lethal fast. Like, he's lethal fast with, like, the responses. I was, I was telling him, I was telling him that I liked Wild Worlds of Sports. I said, what, what, the reason I liked it was because I did a show very similar to it called Hurt Burt. But I, it's like sometimes I talk so fucking fast, I don't know what I'm saying. And I think he thought I said, you guys stole that show from me. Oh, really? I think so, and I, but I don't know well, what he I got a lot. We got a lot of shit from uh, the, uh, what's their name? The Jackass. Jackass guys. Oh, really? That they thought it was we were doing their stuff. Really? And I'm like, yeah, they, they did think that. And I'm like, nah, that wasn't it. I think this Wild World of Spike changed television in, in, in terms of, like, commenting, people making comments about clips and all that stuff, like yeah. taking comedians and talking shit, because then you started seeing it everywhere. Everybody's, and people would tell me, like, dude, I took a meeting. They're like, we're trying to do our own Wild World of Spike. I like that show a lot, and I was trying to say that, but I don't know. That, that whole show, you always felt like, I always felt on odd footings. I didn't know, and by the way, I'm talking way too much about it. because No, but the problem with like, being a comedian and going to those shows, there is, it's like here, it's like even with me at some moments, I'm like, is this entertaining? Well, you get so many fucking, you do so many fucking radio shows where, where you go in and you're having a hard time being funny, and they go, you're not even funny. They say like, that to you? No, I, I mean, yeah, not, 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 not. That's impossible. Not, re not since podcasting showed up, but like when I was younger, you'd go in and they'd be talking about something and you'd jump in and be interesting and they'd be like, God, this guy's not even fucking funny. And you're like, I, and they're like, you're supposed to do bits. And so then you get trained for it. And then you do podcasts and you realize it's a conversation. Then you do something like, uh, like. I hate doing bits. I hate, I don't, I don't wouldn't do bits. Now, but like, I, I didn't know, like, I get into this fucking vibe where I feel like people want me to tell stories. So I, and I, and I don't, I'm not like a. I don't like doing a long, like, I don't like doing a long story on radio. Cause right. I feel like then everyone's forced to. Yeah, listen to me. it. Listen to yeah, it. Yeah, and so, but I had a good time on the show, and I texted him. It was the whole, To wrap this up about Ellis. Well, the reason we got in, I'll tell you why we got into it. What? Why we started talking to Ellis was why I relapsed. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let me, yeah, perfect. Um, but I texted him after, because I, I said to both of them, I would like you to do my podcast. I texted him after, and he and he was like, "Hey man, it was a great job on the show today." <laughs> and you, and and he's like, "I'd love to do your podcast. Let me know whenever." And I was like, "I was like, I just how he is, dude." Yeah. Well, you forget he also has tattoos on his head, and he's in. He fucking gets blowjobs from porn stars, and yeah, runs, I know runs, those like, porn he, stars. He's an MA fighter. He's but, like, awesome. Yeah. He's so funny because I was so baked on getting high with Doug that he racks my haircut, 
and I just sat there and my brain was grinding. Yeah. So just go and nothing came out till five hours later when I got high and I'm like coming from the guy with a wolf tattooed on his forehead. Yeah. That was going to be my response, but I couldn't come up because I was so baked, dude. So wait, what? But, tell us about the relapse. Okay. So I'm doing – I get hired to do Wild World Spike. I don't know – Wild World Spike is such an interesting story because Steve Byrne go, calls me up and goes, Sam, this guy comes to the comedy store and says, hey, I got the show I'm casting. Do you want to come down with a friend? And I'm like, yeah, let's go do it, man. And I just like to audition – at the time, I like to audition. I hate auditioning now. And I, I hate it. I won't do it. I haven't so, done it in a very long time. <laughs> so Steve calls – and we're like, yeah, let's do it. The next day I go, Steve, we go. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, Steve, let's just go do the audition. Why not? He's like, okay. He picks me up. We drive out. It's about making comments about videos. And we're just making comments. And I'm like, I got to do something fucking interesting here. So I go, hey, Steve. He turns to me and goes, what? I go, what? And I just smack the shit out of fucking Steve Byrne. He goes, what? I go, just talk about that while I fuck this wall. And it's just all these models that come in, and I just start grinding on the wall while Steve Byrne is making comments. And I sit down, the casting director's like, just staring at me. <laughs> Nothing. I'm like, I'm bombing this audition. Yeah. I'm dying. The whole ride home. Steve, I'm like, Steve, I never bombed like that in an audition. I, that's the first time I've ever eaten it. I'm so, I apologize. Two weeks go by, I get a phone call. Hey, you want to do Wild World Spike? I'm like, what? You guys liked me? You gave me nothing in the room. Yeah. So I get the room. I get the gig. I think I'm just making comments about fucking stupid videos. They bring me in. They're like, okay, here it is. Yeah, uh, these are the videos, and these are the stunts you're going to do. I go, what? Yeah. They go, yeah, you got to do stunts. I'm like, nobody told me I'm doing stunts, but I need to get on TV at this time. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 I've been there in spades. I got a show right around that time on Spike called Fresh Big Video Games, maybe a little bit after, and I thought I got a gig hosting. And I remember our first meeting, they sit me down, and they're like, so you're cool with getting in the shark cage, right? And I was like, motherfucker, how have I cornered this market in – fucking dangerous ass shit but keep going so i know that feeling so i'm like i'm doing stunts but i'm like i gotta do it dude i gotta get on tv this yeah. it, it has happened so i get on television and we're doing stunts it's you jason and who and, and uh kick cope and who is he? he's a tie boxing he's like a, a high-end striker and they're super athletes yeah i am not i am a piece of shit I have no athletic ability. I'm getting destroyed. I learned what hematomas are. I've never heard of those before. <laughs> it, it looks like the the fucking rebel leader from Total Recalls coming out of the side of your fucking leg. Yeah. I'm like, this is painful. I'm like, I'm hurting. Else, and he says this isn't true. And this is not on him. This is totally me. He's like, dude, anyway, I got we're, bike. We're saying all this because our my my uh, I have my Jason Ellis's book is on my fucking table. Yeah. So that's what we keep touching. I go, I'm paying. He's like, you want a Vicodin? I got Vicodins because he's been doing stunts forever. Painful. I'm like, I'm like, fuck, man. I don't want Vicodin. I want to relapse. I'm in such pain. Give me a Vicodin. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Really? And boom. Next thing you know, it's just fucking cocaine cowboys and fucking bad decisions from there on. It's just running crazy. I mean, and just, and he he's like, so you're saying I made you relapse? I'm like, no, dude. I yeah. fully 
was the guy who made that happen. I got in the water. That's why I got attacked by the shark. Yeah, I know that. I, I did. I'm not saying you. I people. I saw fins. People I mean, I was me. in pain, dude. I was yeah. in pain, and that's where. And it just fun times and bad decisions, dude. And then it just got to the point where it was just like I was. I it was just like I just started partying a lot, and the show started suffering. And I'm just like, I'm too. I'm really funny. I'm really good. But I'm not that good that I can go half ass. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It just, you know, I mean, I can get up there and just, you know, get drunk and have a good time, maybe once or twice, catch lightning and bottle. But my whole thing is timing. My whole act is precision timing. The joke only works if I hit it in the rhythm. If I go out of rhythm, it takes the, the crowd out of this kind of trance we put it, them in. It, it makes it sound like your energy. Then makes it sound like anger. Yeah. If if you're off by a second, you're like, bam, that's angry. And they're like, no, that's not me. I have to it's smile energy. on stage. When I'm crushing Asian pussy, yeah. you're like crushing Asian pussy. Yeah. Like, uh, it's I I know exactly what you're saying. <sighs> um, uh, what was I gonna say? How do we get on the whole? So oh, why did I? How did I relax? Oh, oh yeah. So no. yeah. So that's the whole thing. I super started super party, and then you know. Ellis and I had a big falling out, and then we're back to cool. I really, I really love Ellis. I thought he was, I think he's a fascinating guy, but I, but I, I'm looking at it like so I always say, like, uh, like I, I'm more, I'm always going to be more of a fan because I, I don't really like running those. I don't really run in enough media circles to be doing Howard or Opie and Anthony or or Ellis. I don't run in, in enough circles to be doing them all the time. So I'm not anyone's boy. I'm not anyone's like. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not, nobody's boy. I'm on, yeah, I'm, like, I'm a even, lone even, gunslinger. Even like Rogan, I do. I do Rogan every now and then, but and but like I don't like do it like as much as like say like uh, like Ari or Joey or you. Yeah, like, I no, do no, it. I don't. I, I do it a couple times, but not nearly. Yeah. And I, I'm totally fine with and, that. But I don't ever want anyone to think that I like. I don't. I want to. I don't want people to think I'm using them to sell product. Or sell tour dates, or like that's my thing. It's like I'm a fan of fucking. I'm a fan of all the shit first. Yeah, I'm a fan of comedy before I'm a comic. Like, Ro I love comedy. Rogan's great. Uh, you know, it's like I walk a very fine line with him because there's like there's this fine line between showing respect and being a fan and sucking his dick. You yeah. know, and it's just like I have to watch that that line because. I just had to work with the guy that I think is doing it the best of anybody right now in terms yeah. of that kind of comedy. He is, in my opinion, the best at that. And yeah. I have to, you have to deal with him as a human being. You can't fan out even though you want, I want to be like – like, I did a gig with him. We did uh, Massey Hall in Toronto. It is literally – one of the top five experiences of comedy I've ever had in terms of just watching a guy work at such a high, intelligent, dark, dirty level and get, like, the most high-end laughter I've ever seen. You know, I was blessed with the, the – you know, I hosted that show, and I walk out, and from the jump, the crowd gets it, and we're just murdering. Yeah. Then I introduce Ari Shafir, and like Rogan says, you would think I just introduced Coldplay at that moment. Yeah. The place goes insane. He murders, and then Ari brings out Joe Rogan, and it is to to this day the best set I've ever seen. And almost, you know, there's Chappelle at the Comedy Store yeah. that's right there. 
Smothers Brothers when I got to see them live. The one of the most amazing sets I've ever seen in my life. The the timing and the, the writing was so mind blowing. You're like, that's why they're still working. That's why they're legends. That is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. In that realm is Joe Rogan. I go watching that must have been like what it must have been to watch Andrew Dice Clay or Sam Kennison at the height of their power. I can only imagine. I want to do one of those shows, one of those weekends with you guys, just because not only because I want to go to the fucking UFC fight, but because I want to see him work. That's like I've always been fascinated by dudes who could work different size rooms and how they work it. Because I know how I do it, and you got to figure out it on your own. But it's it's neat to see like the guys you respect. I want to see Bill do a theater. I want to see Bill Burr do a theater. I want to see Norton do a theater. I want to see uh, I want to see Louis do a theater. I want to see Joe do a theater because you know obviously theaters are, are what you hope to be your next progression. I would like to see Joey Diaz do theaters. I don't get to go see comedy enough. I don't either. I man. think it's time Everyone, to start doing that I because do I don't want to be influenced. That's really like I like to. Be a free thinker. Yeah. I want to be able to write whatever I want to write and not be like, oh, fuck, that's somebody. I just want to write. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm that way, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't know, I'm fucking all over the map of my writing these days. I feel like everything starts as a story, then goes into this, I, like, I don't know. I, I look at, like, Bill Burr and as, like, a little bit of an inspiration because he can turn over material quickly, but that's because he's doing insights and, and of life, of, of the way... Let me tell you what's wrong with these fucking kids. Like or like watching know, like Bill Burr work is a fucking honor. Yeah. Like I, I am not into I dude, hype trains, fuck hype trains. Yeah. Like do not I don't care if I've read every magazine says you're the greatest thing to ever hold a microphone. I see you on stage. It's open mic until you show me you're not an open micer. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm this great guy. I just I look at it without I look at everything without well, emotion. And I also know all the fucking tricks. So you're not gonna get me on the tricks. Yes. Like you're not gonna I'm not gonna be like be like, Oh wow, he's coming up with it all on the spot. Yeah. Like, bullshit. Yeah. I've been doing it long enough. To I've know watched that. enough fake crowd work to know when I, you've said that fourteen fucking why times. I love Ian Bag is because it's real crowd work. Yeah. It is like it is like jumping into the abyss with just a knife naked. It's what he does and does well. Yeah, and then you see guys that you're like, that's not crowd work. That's a bit reworked, and I've done that too, and we've all done that. Yeah, we've all done that. Yeah, but uh, I'd like to see I'd like Bill Burr Bill watching Burr. him live, and he's another guy. He's like, we had a weird start when he moved out to L.A. Really? Because I didn't – it wasn't Bill Burr that yeah. Bill Burr is now. Yeah. It was like Bill Burr used to be in L.A., Went to New York, and I remember him telling me why he was going to New York. We just had a, a conversation in passing. He's like, I want to go to New York because I want to do what Chris Rock did, which was work it, work it, work it, work it, then come back out and crush. It's, and it's what he did. Uh, I, I remember that. I remember Bobby Kelly telling me that that's what Bill wanted to do. Bill was like, Bill was like, I, but you got to remember, Bill was like, I hate talking about like this. I'm afraid Bill will listen. And, be, and, you know, no one, no one sees you don't see anyone the way they see themselves, and sometimes I say I see things differently. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not putting this out there forever. But I'm saying when I remember Bill, it was like he was talking about infomercials, and he was clean, and it was like more like uh, like more kind of zany, bigger Bill. Like then comes this guy. No, yeah. that's a horrible representation. Right, right. But and then I saw him. I went back. You're not to New known York. for your impressions. You're fine. 
thank you. If Jeff so, Richards did that, that'd be offensive. But you were, you're doing fine. So I saw Bill in New York one weekend, and I was with Barry Katz and a guy named and a guy named Andy Cohen, and Bill was talking about women, and if women want equality, then they've got to come out of the fire at the same time we do. He got he did that in Letterman. Yeah. And he got I, tons of shit for it. I was sitting in the back and I was on the floor laughing, and Barry Katz came up to me and I go, "Bill Burr has turned a corner." I was like, "I don't know what New York did to him, but his writing is sharp, it's funny, and I wish I was writing like that." And Barry's like, "I don't see it, Papa." And so I went up to Bill and I was like, "Bill, whatever you're, f- I, I don't. By the way, all these memories, all your memories, I've learned are fucking suspect. But I distinctly remember where we were sitting, and I feel like I wasn't wearing a shirt." But we were... Makes sense. Yeah, we were in the back corner by the bar in the Boston Comedy Club, and I was like, Bill, you, what you're doing is fucking genius. Like, keep at it. And he was like, and he was like, really? And he was like, because Barry just fired me. Like, Barry had just stopped working with me. And so did Andy... I want to say Andy Cohen was my agent at ICM. I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, so that feels good that they were in the room and they saw me do like that. I was like, fuck them. Fuck I was like, them. Bill, you're fucking... I'm talking one comic to another... What you're doing, I'm massively jealous of. I remember being in a car, small details. I was driving from Louisville, from Columbus to Louisville, and I bought Bill's latest or latest album at the time. And he was like talking about black people in lotion, and he was like, "We can learn from each other. Black guys, you need to teach your white friends how to use lotion, and white guys, we need to teach them how to register a firearm." And I fucking was, I was, I was at, I was at turning on to a main street, and I stopped, and I doubled over the car at a stop sign, and I was laughing fucking hysterically. Yeah. I, I love him. Now, when he moves back from L.A., he's good friends with some of my favorite people on the planet. Steve Byrne, yeah. Joe Bartnick, Rob Kelly. Yeah. These guys who I think the world of, Steve Byrne and Joe Bartnick, one of my closest friends on the planet. But I don't know Bill. But I know that he's friends with them, so I'm like, well, we should be friends. Yeah. But I don't know anything that I know about Bill now, like all the sports he likes, all that stuff. I have a million things to talk about. I didn't know it. So I would always talk about how's career going. That's the only thing I knew. He's a stand-up. I'm a stand-up. Let's talk comedy. Yeah. So I talked to him two or three times. The third time he goes, dude, why do you always talk to me about the industry? Like everything's about Hollywood with you. I go, well, I don't, I'm just trying to make conversations. I don't know you. And like from there, it became a, we never really talked. Oh, okay. And every everybody I would go, I'd go, dude, tell Bill I'm a cool guy. Yeah. Tell him I'm a nice dude that, you know, that I, I like, get, validate, you know, give me a recommendation. Yeah. So I got picked up by All Things Comedy, and uh, I put out my album, and it does really well. And Bill did Burr really comes well. up to me. Did really well. And he goes, hey, man, I'm very happy that your album did good. And I was like, oh. I love that you pulled the mic away from your mouth just as you said that. So all you you heard, I said, "That was so cool." <laughs> oh, I just think about it. it was so cool because I, I, you know, so it's like we reconnected, man. You know, yeah. and I, and still to say I fanboy out with him, but watching Bill, him the other day, Bill likes that fanboy shit. I know he doesn't. He doesn't well, no, but it's so hard. I understand why he doesn't like it, only because. And I, I get it. And, like, I, I talk about how much I dig him, but Attell doesn't like it either. Like, they don't want to be That's my fatal flaw. I can't talk to these guys who I look up to as just anybody. I can talk to Bill like a regular human, but that's just because we started around this. He was a little bit before me, but we were in the same circuits. So, like, in New York, there was – I mean, there was talk about the business, 
but not with like certain dudes. Like I don't ever talk to Burn about the business. I don't ever talk to, but like to tell, I don't really have much to talk to him about. So if I see him, it's like, how's the road? Where did you just come from? Like where are you going? Like, yeah, you know. I so I, I but so, they don't want they don't want the, the 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 title of our favorite comic because then they've got that's like it's like when you ever get an intro when someone's like. This guy's gonna blow your fucking mind. You may know him as the machine, and I'm like, just say Bert Kreischer so that I can do the big yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want you to do. I don't want you to hype up something I can't bring to the stage. Uh, people always go, "Hey, what do you want me to say about you?" Most time, I'm like, I don't care. What we should do is we should offer a comic. Com- we this is what we should do. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Hit up the brand combos. Okay, they're my favorite snacks. Everyone I love them. them. I love pizza combos. combos. Shut uh, your face. Buffalo blue cheese combos. Oh my god! So hit up combos and tell them I would like to start a comedy tour. Combos comedy tour. And what they do is two good friends. It can be two good friends from any. It could be two, you know what, two fucking comics at a time. Yeah. Combos Comedy Tour, and they sponsor it. We put combos on every table. Love Everyone re- gets to re-enjoy the thrill of combos with two great headliners that go well together. Yeah. And it's, and so all the friends can hang out again and have good fucking weekends. And enjoy snacks. The, and enjoy combos. I love combos. The Combos Comedy Tour. Everyone hit up combos right now. Sam Tripoli and I will start it off. Let's and we're going do it. To date. I will give you all day, every we're going day, to all time. And we're going to do the combos comedy tour. On the final thing, Bill, I was watching Bill just working material. The love, what I love about a comic, and you could, and it's Chris Rock does it too, is when a guy's working material, he doesn't care about the laugh, and he'll just oh, go. Man. So impressive because he can go five minutes. And not that he wasn't getting laughs, because he was, but it wasn't Bill Burr like, I'm flamethrowing real. It was just working through it two, three minutes without a laugh. That's fun. Because I, I feel like these young guys are coming up. It's, it, I, I, I put comics into two categories. Tell me if you agree with this, okay? okay. And sometimes they blend. I'll get into that. Male, female? There's, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, there's shit talkers yeah. and clowns. Okay. Clowns, clowns just want to, they'll do anything to get that laugh. They want the laugh. They will go, and dude, I'm not saying one's better than the other. Even though I prefer one to the other, they're both, uh, they both work in their own ways. Clowns, shit talkers. Clowns work more. Shit talkers become legends. Sometimes you have a shit talking clown. Sometimes you have a clownish shit talker. But for the most part, you can break them into the... How wh- how are they trying to get the laugh? Breaks down to what category they break into. It's really interesting. Clowns just want the laugh. It's like I gotta make these people laugh. Shit talkers want to get laughs at, based on what they want to talk about. Wow, this is a great. This is a great. I I, I love doing these games. I did this with someone the other day. I said I, I think I did it on this podcast. We said there's two types of comics. God damn it! What do we say? Oh, there's men. There's men and God damn it! Oh, there's com. I did this one with Aisha Tyler. We I and I was with. I want to say I was with Voltron when we thought of it, but I said there are 
com- male comics exclusively. There are comics that are men first, comic second, and there are comics that are comic first, men second. And you, and like Rogan's like a man first, comic second. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I'm actually comic first, man second. Well, how, break that down. How the, how do you see that play out? Uh, like I'll just I'll just do examples of guys. Like Bill Bellamy is man first, comic second. But I, in in what sense though? I'm just trying. I. What makes him a man over a com- What makes you a comic over a man? Um, I think that my natural tre- predisp- predisposition is to make a joke about it, as opposed to stand up for myself. Like you couldn't like oh, if someone okay. like 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 uh like, and I think it defines the way you look at like Bill Burr is a man first, comic second. I think that's the same thing I'm talking about. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the clowns. Kid talkers versus clowns. But like, and I but I like yours. But it's very important that you understand that, and I mean this all all truth. I'm not judging one is better than the other. No, 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 no. And I but I like your category better because you can mash them. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a I'm a shit-talking clown. I would say that. I, and and I think that I would say, like, I don't even know if Bill's got clown in him. I think he's shit-talker. Yeah, it's like a shit-talk. Shit-talkers become legends. Clowns, like, I want now I want to go through and think of the clowns, but then I don't want Bobby to. Bobby Lee? Clown? Bobby Lee's a clown. Don't, yeah. don't, again. Don't, don't, don't look don't at it negative. Don't think it's negative. It okay. sounds like it's negative, and it's not. Steve Byrne, clown shit-talker. Shit, yeah. 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 Or shit talking. Uh, no, a clown shit talker. He's a clown, he's clown shit talker a little. Because, yeah, he's a, Steve's all about fun. Yes. And he's and but I don't know. I haven't he seen him in a while. He likes to talk a little smack here and there. Yeah. But I think he's yeah. he cares about the laugh. Yeah. Dane, clown shit talker. I think he's now a clown shit talker when at his height he was a clown. Yeah. At the height. Yep. Yep. And you're right. You can't judge. Your clown is the word that people get lost in. Yeah, they think I'm saying, oh, he's just a stupid guy. I don't mean that at all. Yeah. It just means, like, what are you going for? What matters to you? Well, the laugh is, or the getting one, your point across? This is the one that defi- will defy logic, okay? Which I can't figure out which is more important, the clown or the shit-talking part of his act, Brody Stevens. I'm going to go clown. Yeah, but it's so. What's so interesting about Brody is that I think he might be a clown shit talking clown, or a shit talking clown. No, a clown shit talking clown. Yeah, like because because sometimes clown shit talking clown. Yeah, because I don't because I, I sometimes I don't know if he's fucking with me. Like, yeah. Sometimes I don't know if he's fucking with me or if he like if he's. Past the joke and watching me figure it out. Yeah. Or if he is in discovering it at the exact same time I'm discovering it. Yeah. Like it's such an interesting thing. You don't know if he's really pissed. Yeah. If he's or really he's angry. doing that to make you think he's pissed. Yeah. Like we we had this like he had a conversation with two of my friends in our in my driveway that I was like almost ten times more interesting than any conversation I've ever had with him, but he was talking to them, and I couldn't tell if he was fucking with them or if he was not fucking with them. Yeah. Like, yeah. like last you know, night... You know Brody, when he just kind of, like, looks around at his feet, he's like, yeah, I do a lot of kettlebells. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> I think he's serious there. So I know, sometimes you think he's serious, but it's so funny to watch him and be he's serious. so non-sequitur, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Last night, we were roasting him, and I did a joke. He's like... And, you know, and it's just like... 
it, it was a great night. I can get into like what needed to be different, but I did. I saw Brody, and I'm just trying to think of jokes. And I go, you know, Brody's show was called Enjoy It. Apparently, Comedy Central didn't. <laughs> and he goes, "Why, Sam? Really? You're my and you don't know if he's serious or not." Yeah. And then he tweets. He's like, "Had a great time with all these people." Then he goes, "Was verbally abused by Mike Lawrence and Sam Tripoli." I'm like. Are you really mad? I can't tell. Because yeah. I have to handle him with kids' love because I learned very early that he didn't get my humor at first. He really thought yeah. I was like, let's say, bullying when I wasn't, when I was trying to play into what I saw he was trying to go for. Yeah. And I was trying to put fuel on the fire. And then I realized I can't do that with Brody. Brody doesn't accept that from me. So I have to go the opposite way, which is like, you know, talk him up and, and you know because i think he's awesome yeah i think we all think he's awesome but then you watch listen to him on rogan with the with the the man the the uh lady boy oh do you remember the lady boy do you know i did a uh dating game with with brody stevens i brought in a playmate two hardcore adult film stars and a lady boy and he ended up picking the lady boy are you serious yeah it was the funniest thing you'll ever see he i couldn't tell if he was a clown or a shit, clown or a shit talker in that moment, I didn't know if he was making. I didn't know if he was making it up. I didn't know if he was like I couldn't figure it push out. Push it Would, to the limits. What? Yeah. Push it. I, Joe, I'll just say I pushed it to the limits. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was happening in that, and I it made it that more interesting. Yeah, he's fucking fascinating. He, he really is, is fascinating. Dude. I think I think my goal in life in these days is to make sure. I want. I'm going to do a list. I'm going to do a list. I was thinking about writing a book about everyone I interact with, and then the fucking second I meet them or I have met them, I write my exact instincts of exactly who I thought they were. Everything for real. Do you like it? It seems like you like to write books now. Are you kind of like into that? Uh, it's hard to say. Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to write another book, but I don't – I like writing the book. The, the selling it is massively uncomfortable. It just isn't. It's like you know why? Because I don't feel like I was ever like like when we first met. You came up to me and you're like you have one of my favorite jokes, or you're the funniest fucking guy, or whatever you said. I know where we were standing. I small details. We were standing at a high top on Santa Monica Pier, uh, looking overlooking yeah, the stage. Yeah. And Frank Kellyanda was on stage. Yeah. And you said that to me, and I went, "Oh my god!" And it was like the greatest fucking moment because I was like, I, and I was like, I fucking this is like other comic being nice to another comic. What the fuck? Yeah. And so I was like, wow. And so. I don't know how I got on that subject, but uh, but you came up to me and said, "I like what you do." When you write a book, it's almost like you gotta like stand on a fucking mountaintop and go, "Does anyone care that I'm great? Yeah, I'm fantastic," and that is so uncomfortable for me. It's not who I am. It's personally. gotta be hard. And 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 promoting trip flip is easy as fucking cake because I know that like I have my twelve closest friends worked on that show with me. Did yeah. sound did camera oh that's great produce like that, it's just when you're with people for four years that's how you care about them and you know that all the people the network that you've been with for five years care about you and your family oh that's great and 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 so it's like you i am proud to promote that show i'm proud to do anything for my parent company but when you write a book it's you it's you and it's like when you do stand-up you can go on and do radio and promote yourself without ever being like i'm funny like imagine if you imagine if you um, only could do promote your stand up by going on and going and then saying, Tell us how funny you are and go, I'm really funny. You know who thinks I'm funny? This person, this person. Like 
instead of just going and being the thing. No, I gotcha. It's got to be hard. It is because it's a lot of yeah. So here, read a book about me. It can't be easy, dude. And then and then I mean I forget. I want to say I was talking to Duncan, but I was talking to someone and and they agreed with me that they didn't say it first, but I said there is a little bit where you feel arrogant. That you're like, am I really as important as Ernest Hemingway? Yeah. Because <laughs> he wrote one too. Yeah. He wrote a few, and then yeah. I'm like, hey guys, I'm I'm just as good as Hillary Clinton, who, whose book out is the same week. Unbelievable. So it's it was massively uncomfortable. However. When you get what one of the things I fucking absolutely love is when I see people who are, are holding my book up on vacation, and it's like they took me on vacation with them. Oh, that's and so and awesome! They're like in beautiful locations, and they're like, "Hey, I'm just on the beach reading your book." Oh, I'm that's so great! I fucking love it. I favorite it. I save those pictures to my camera, and I'll fucking flip through them at times. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't appreciation know. of your hard work. It, it's like that it means so fucking much to me. I, you know, I don't, I'm gonna write a second book. I'll tell you about it when we get off. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it right now because Jim's probably at my front door. All right, but I'll tell you about it right now. After when does this, this come out? Uh, when do you want? When do you want it out? Now? Whenever. I can put it out tonight. Well, I have a show July 29th at the Viper Room that I want to promote. It's called the uh, It's called the World the, the uh, Rock and Pole World Championships. It's literally I saw this somewhere. Karaoke and pole dancing tag team competition. Two shorts of judge. Brad Williams, Clownvis, Tara Patrick doing. Uh, burlesque, Josh Wolf and the Wild Wolf Band performing July 29th, 29th at uh, 8 p.m. at the Viper. Back in town. Are you there? I think I, think I might be there. Come hang out, too. dude. If you want to judge, I'll throw you in as a judge. Uh, okay, I'll let you know. If you can't, I totally I'll put understand. This up. I'll definitely put this Believe up. Believe in yourself. Available on iTunes. I love you, dude. I never get to see you enough. The fact you're in town. Was, it was great to see you, and I'm I very thankful so that you had me on. Fun here. hanging out with you today. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was one. This, this is one of the best podcasts I've done in a long, long time, brother man. If you man. ever want to just jump on and do one real quick, always call me, and I'll like like just fucking put it together because I, I can do one. I can do one a month, maybe once a week. Yeah, anytime, all the time. This episode was brought to you by The Machine. Hey guys, it's a new podcast. Uh, let's run through some dates real quick. Ooh, before I start, go check out my YouTube channel. You can find all my info at burtburtburt.com. Uh, and that's where you can find my YouTube page. I post uh, new vlogs bi-weekly, and the video to these podcasts podcasts are posted uh, on my YouTube channel. So go check it out. Let's run through some dates real quick. Uh, as always, go to Burtcast, get a shirt, get a, a machine shirt. we got new machine shirts coming out, and a uh, coffee mug, my book, Life of the Party. Edmonton, January 14th through 16th. Melrose Improv on the 22nd. Liberty, Ohio. That's right outside Cincinnati or inside Cincinnati, I think. It's a new club. I'm going to be there the 28th through the 30th of January. Richmond Funny Bone, uh, February 4th through 6th. The Ice House with Friends, February 12th. Omaha, 18, 19, 20. The Hard Rock in Sioux City. Is it Sioux City? It's all of our city, but Sioux's the one that owns it. Uh, uh, I'm going to be there on the 17th of February. And Bellevue, Washington, the 25th, 26th, 27th. Guys, I still have tons more dates. Oh, my God. How do I forget? How do I forget? Call in Sick to Work show in Columbus, Ohio, 
on the 17th of March, followed by the Long Road Distillery in Grand Rapids. I think it's Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know. Virginia Beach, Des Moines, Calgary, Brea, D.C., Helium, Schaumburg, Flappers, Orlando, Columbus again, Albany, Funny Bone, Syracuse. Guys, this is running up until August. I'm not going to tell you more dates than that. Uh, today's podcast is with a hilarious dude. He's one of my favorite comedians. He is the guy that taught me that if you are just cool to someone, then they'll be cool back. And he has been my friend since the moment I met him. And I've known him now for probably 13 years. Put your hands together. Stand-up comedian from the Nasty Show, from Punch Drunk, from the Comedy Store. And this is a Bananas Good Podcast. Sam Tripoli. Perfect. Young Christian. Yeah, that, uh, that show was fucking fire, huh? It was pretty insane. I got to be honest with you, best set of the night, no questions asked, Brody Stevens. Oh, you were there? Yeah. I was there during Brody. Yeah, I was, I, well, I was, I was actually walking out, but Joe, uh, torch the room. I mean, there was no, like, when, when Joe went on, I was, it was, when he said, thank you, good night, or whatever. Place went nuts? I don't think, I haven't seen something like that in a really long time. Just hardcore fucking, dude, immediately everyone just stood up, said, like, just. Oh, you guys standing O? Yeah, and <clears throat> he's got this bit, I won't tell you the bit, because I don't want to burn his bit. Is it about what's-his-face? Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. And it's destructive. I mean, it's destructive, and he's acting it out, and it's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And I, I was sitting outside with uh, Jesse May Peluso, and we were doubled after, and we were doubled over, and we were critiquing the bit. We were, like, like figuring out what we liked in it. <laughs> but whoever went on next has massive balls, because it was tough. Guessed it, yeah. Right, in the, right after that was like, it's my first time in the main room. And... uh he, I've, Who went I, on after him? I don't know. I wish I knew because I really fucking respect that kid because he, man, he just. Dean Del Rey? No, it wasn't Dean. It was a younger kid with a with a hoodie on. He had a, a, a hat, an orange, he had an orange uh, ski cap on. Adam? I don't, was it, is that Steve? Uh, you know, no. Was it Steve? I wonder who it Adam? was. Was it Adam? I don't know. Adam. I'm trying Josh? to Josh? Oh, was it a young kid? Yeah, young kid. Josh Martin? It might have been, Glass yeah. it, like this. I don't know. But he he had a rough step, but it was like he stuck. It's like it's like the shit you that you... You just stay in the pot. Yeah, it's like getting a face tattoo. You that's, fucking... the com- that's the comedy store, dude. The reason, if you're blessed to learn in a store, is that there's no host, dude. There's really no host. I guess last night they did, but you always have to go up after, like, some dude just scorched the earth, and you got to try to get laughs. Like, the two hardest people in the world I've ever had to follow is... Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones, Saturday Night Live, Ghostbusters. The big black chick. She's She's been doing comedy since Christ was a kid. I don't know. And she just got on Saturday Night Live like two years ago. And oh, she, really? And now she's on, like, uh, she's the black chick in Ghostbusters. And yeah. a fucking education having to follow that woman. you got to focus. I have to script my first five jokes. Yeah. And just know nobody's going to be listening. And the other person is... Joey Diaz at that room. Joey Diaz, I had the oh, I had I didn't. Chris, come on, um, I didn't have to follow Joey. I I I went up before Joey twice. Last week we just Joey just called and was like, "Let's go do sets." 
So we did one a set of flappers, which I love flappers. I love flappers too, dude. So I love flappers, and I love you know what else I love is the haha. I love the new haha. It's like a New York City club in outer space. Dude. It just looks like just a space jam. Chris, come on, leave us the fuck alone. And so uh, this dog isn't like oh, you don't own a dog. You have a roommate. That's what this <laughs> yeah. dog is. That's how big this dog is. He doesn't realize. Like last night, I came out and I wanted to talk to Leanne. Leanne gave me a great fucking pep talk. Who? Chris, come on. Are you fucking serious? Leanne, my wife. Oh. Hey, come here. Go get that. Go get it. I wonder Go get if it, this Chris. dog thinks she's she tiny thinks, like your other dog. She like, thinks she's a little, little fucking dog. lap dog. And so, like, Bill Burr came over to do a podcast, and she just, she just sat on his lap. And he was uh, like, I love this, but, I, like, I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> it's 100 pounds of just all love, huh? I came out to talk to Leanne last night, and Priscilla just came out and just sat on her. Just lays across her. It, it, she gets in bed with us. It's like having a third human being. It's like running a train. <laughs> <laughs> My, I, I, I've been doing this joke. Chris, no. It's all Stop good. It. You like coffee? Chris, come on. I've been doing jokes. I was telling the story about how I always get hired to do weird gigs, and I had to do a gig at a Las Vegas Swingers Club, and it was hilarious because it's like you got to do stand-up while, like, Black guys run trains on fat white chicks, and it's just like you just gotta stay in the fucking groove. And so, wait, do you think you learned? Do you think you learned? Did you? How much did the comedy store inform how you do stand up? You know, it it uh, completely one hundred percent. My whole style's comedy store. It was detrimental at first because I would go into like comedy clubs in the Midwest and be like, just flamethrow the room and like. There's a there's an order and a business to a lot of comedy clubs in the, uh, on the road, which I totally understand that is not at the comedy store. Yeah. Like, the comedy store thrives on chaos, you know, and the weirder the shit, the crazier the shit, and just, it's outlaw stuff. A lot, not as much now as it used to be, but when I was coming up and, you know, Mitzi was barely there, but she's still running the place, and it was like the, 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 the inmates were in the asylum, and it was just like, it was just pure chaos, dude. It's, there is an energy. I was, I had, I, I, not to like talk all about the comedy store today, but like, there, like, I did two sets back to back. I did Ari's storytelling show, and I did Red Band show, and I never work at the comedy store. I never work at the comedy store based off of, of, uh, fear that I'll bruise my self esteem. You know what I mean? Does that sound fair? Yeah, I get that. Like it's like I'm not. I never pass there, so I'm not in there. So I can't just show up and get on. I have to be like put on a show. And a lot of times it's like you you, you have to start from scratch at that place. But I feel like I don't think there's anybody that would be upset if you just if they you start no. getting spots. There. No, no, I think I, everyone would love to have you there. I think I don't know maybe, but I, like the the thing is, you know, it's like oh, this is like super vulnerable for me to say, but I'll be very honest. It's the whole showing up and having to explain to someone you're a comedian when you've been doing it 16 years. Dude, I get it all the time. It's like I did Ari's show, and some door guy, very nice guy, I'm sure, was just like, hey, man, you can't go in this way. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to the belly room. He goes, no, you need to show your ID. You need to go into the front. And I was like, oh, I'm a comedian. He goes, he's like, he didn't say it this way, but he's like, I don't know you. And I was like. It's unbelievable. I was like, God damn it. And then the, the guy next to him, I was hoping someone knew me, and he was like. He's like, yeah, man, you got to go in, you got to, like, I was at the door of the belly room to go up, like, at that back entrance, and then Harlan Williams just walked right past me, and no one said anything, and I went, hey, he just walked in this way, and so I was like, all right, now my ego's fucked up, so I go to, I tell Ari, I'm like, sorry I'm late, I had a hard time getting in, he was like, what? Yeah. 
You think they know who you are? Listen, I, I go through that at the improv, the Hollywood improv. Yeah. Those door guys, there's a turnover there, which I understand. Yeah. It's not that it's a bad place, but everybody's a comic. They all they all want to go out. Everyone up, says they're a comic, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying what everyone says. Right. Like, listen, officer, I don't, or I don't, whenever anyone gets to, for a drinking problem, well, they're like, I don't fine. have a problem. <laughs> I totally get it. Because, yeah. Like, I go, I go to comedy, I go to the improv, and I go to walk in, they're like, hold on, dude, we need an idea. I'm like, and then, luckily, there's a, no, he's a comic, let him in, but there's that ego thing. It fucks with you. Listen, man, you know, it's like you and I met a long time ago, and uh, we did a, uh, a DVD, and everybody's kind of gone on their own trajectory and that shit, you know, and through a couple, like, weird decisions in my life, my trajectory has been a different than a lot of people's trajectories, you know, and it's just like... I feel like I get what you get at the comedy store at a lot of places. Oh, I get it and a lot of places. It destroys my ego, man. Oh, I'm God. like, I, you know, it's like, I just like, dude, you don't know me, okay? I guess, I guess, I gotta go in here and just, and then you go up on stage and it's just like people. I've done the hot, I've done uh, flappers. Yeah. And they like, I was doing the you the Yuhu room, which I really love. I that love you. the Yuhu room. It's like a nice place. Like I love what Ari did. Like. Get a tiny room, work your hour out. Pack yeah. it with your fans, see if it works. Pack it out. I like doing that in the Yuhu room. They'll give me a weekend. I'll do half an hour, 40 minutes on stage of just flamethrowing people. You know, but it's so funny when I, I got put, I was doing a Yuhu room. They put me in flat in the main room. They're like, you want to do a guest spot? Because a couple of the employees know who I am. They're yeah. like, yeah. So they put me up. And, you know, it's, and the kids are doing the best thing. I'm going up with, like, 23-year-olds who yeah. have been watching YouTube clips, so they, they understand cadences, and they, like, <laughs> they have very polished, unpolished shit. You know what yeah, I'm saying? It yeah. seems like it's delivered by a, a fucking Reno veteran who's been doing, like, <laughs> Catch a Rising Star very in Reno. Very polished, unpolished shit. I've seen so many guys, and I'm not saying specifically at Flappers or anywhere, but I have seen so many guys doing exactly what you're talking about. Very polished, unpolished shit. Yeah. They've seen enough to understand cadence. They just don't know why they're doing it. That yeah, way. yeah, yeah. God they, damn it, Sam. They get the beats and all that stuff, and you're like, these kids are way ahead of me when I was at that age. <laughs> but they don't know how to write a fucking joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, man. I literally was like watching this guy the other night at some undisclosed location, and I was just like, I was like, I'm smiling, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm not laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing he's saying is original, nor is it, like, interesting, but I get where I should laugh. There's this really funny young comic. Her name is Taylor Tomlinson, and she's literally one of the funniest, young, youngest, funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. She's, I don't know if you know her story. She did Last Comic Standing. She uh -huh. got pretty far, but she started out in churches because they wouldn't let her do stand-up in comedy clubs. Oh. You know, they wouldn't let her do stand-up in comedy clubs, so the only stage time she get was doing these, like, church events. So she worked clean at these church events, and then she has this, like, old black man crowd work that you watch. Like, she's so in heaven, oh, and you, like, fuck. watch her, like, holy fuck. And she's, like, 22, and she, like, gets at all this kind of... All this kind of, she gets it. And, like, I was having her, I was doing a show with her somewhere, and I had, you know, Greg Wilson was watching her, and he's like, yeah, these young kids, they get it because they've been watching YouTube forever, and they understand the cadence and all that stuff. But if you watch her, her premises are, like, from her age, which is Taco Bell and all that stuff. But that's yeah. what she's lived, you yeah. know? It's like, the biggest thing these kids have to do is, like, go out and live life before they can start getting some real shit. Like, it's the same way everyone was copying Dane's cadence yes. in, like, the late 90s. Because we were like, God, I remember, I distinctly remember watching him the first time do stand-up and went, 
he does he I can't imagine him bombing. Like he just he's got it. Hey, uh give her give her notice uh, like it was just like so like distinguished and like and I, I remember going like I remember having jokes where I was like the joke doesn't work, but I bet if I repeat the word four times, I bet people will I'm understand. I'm just walking. It. I'm walking. So I'm, I'm walking. walking. I'm walking. I'm just walking. Look at me walk. I'm walking. walking. I'm walking. Yeah. Hello. I'm, you know, it's just, yeah. and it's a really smart way of working. The thing that's up saying is, like, the more you're around, like, I feel like an old athlete. Like, nobody knows Shoeless Joe. Shoeless Joe is the greatest ever. Yeah. You watch Shoeless Joe, you'd laugh at yeah. Michael Jordan. That's yeah. Shoeless Joe. Yeah. He did everything Jordan did, but without shoes, man. And you're like. <laughs> And like that's kind of sometimes how I feel about Dan Cook. It's like, you know, with all this crazy shit that went on with him, like nobody really appreciates. Like there was a time about ten years ago when he was the baddest man on the planet. Like he was on. Unf- I would watch him at Dublin's and just be like, whoa, this guy is fucking murdering people. And it's like it w- he was the best at that time. He was I remember going up after him one time and thinking, how do you? now get them to think about you because i'm still thinking about him yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah i'm still thinking about what he just said and i'm the one that needs to talk he i i there was a time and i remember it vividly where it was like i remember saying to someone this must have been what it's like to watch the first caveman make fire <laughs> like you, you've heard stories about the fire but now you're watching it, you're like oh fuck man he does it every time 100 i mean he what did you ever go to dublin's way back in the day yeah and you would just he would just get up there and he'd get the he'd get the prime spot and then it would just be forty five minutes of just this yeah he would just he would just take something that was in the ethos that we'd heard there was a sports chalet a take it to the limit and he just sprinkled it in throughout his set and by the end anytime he went sports chalet everyone's on the fucking floor. I heard a story one time. He's like, uh, he was get, doing a college, and he goes, he's, and by the way, I, I hate, I, I had a, I used to have a friend who like loved for you to talk about him, and then all of a sudden one day it was like, fucking keep my name out of your mouth. What? Uh, I don't want to get into it. I know. But, yeah, and so, and so I never speak for, I, and from that I learned a lesson: never speak for people, never tell the folklore stories I heard that I loved, that I appreciated, because those same people might find that as an insult um but i will tell you a story that i heard from dane that i'm not if it's not true it's not true but i dane was at a college and he goes you want to see something amazing this is before the show started and they're like yeah what he goes just watch and they're like ladies and gentlemen dane cook he goes out on stage he stands the applause stops and he just goes pickles <laughs> and the place goes fucking eat shit like fucking three dozen like pickles oh pickles! yeah it's i remember he does. He was like uh, the whole thing of keep it simple, stupid. Is just he was so smart about how wh- what he talked about. It was so relatable. I remember him doing a joke about uh, a girl. His girlfriend had rape fantasies because I've had girlfriends like that. I'm like, yeah. what are you into? She's like, oh, you know, I just want you to, you know, come and take me. And it's just like and he had a j- funny joke about, am I raping you good? Am I g- raping you good? And I'm like, fuck, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. It just gets so. Uh, he was just really good at just, I don't want to call it pop comedy, but it is kind of pop comedy. It's like very broad strokes, unrelatable shit that just, he was a master of. And, yeah. You know, and this is just me talking. It's like, it is weird when you see kids are like, Ugh, uh, and you're like, you don't understand, like, how unfollowable he was at one point. Unfollowable is the, 
is like the it's you're right. I, but I, but there like there was a, I think there's a I wouldn't say I think there's a time, but I think in that in that time, I think comedy was like I never saw anyone bomb. Like no one was bombing at the time. You Everyone were was following just, me, dude. <laughs> it was such an interest. What I do right now is so much more open, <coughs> more in than what I did back when I started. When I started doing comedy 20 years ago, man, comedy was everything was Seinfeld. It was it was yeah. like observational, clean comedy, which I totally respect because I always say you have to be you when you're on stage. You have to be you, and I I generally believe that. But Seinfeld's act is Seinfeld. And, uh, you know, I've seen interviews with him, how he talks, how he acts. That's him. He doesn't need my validation, but I'm just saying that's why I really like Seinfeld because I feel like he's a genuine dude on stage. But I was, like, I, like, I guess you can call it scumbag shit, but I've always been, like, really honest about my character defects and my, my vices and all that stuff. But back then, nobody wanted to hear it. Now it's like yeah. a totally different thing. Like, thanks to Comedy Central and the Internet, and it's just kind of changed where I think people, like, I think everybody has a little scumbag in them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's the and Internet. It, what happened is so many people started putting out, it's like making pizzas. Everyone started, was making cheese pizzas for a while, and then you were like, fuck, man, I like anchovies. Yeah. And you just were like, and, and at one point, the Internet changed everything, and everyone's like, well, I actually like anchovies, too. And I, I like the fact that there aren't just cheese pizzas. Yeah, I think it should be a wider range of everything, yeah. dude. And it should be an experience of who you are and all the weird. I mean, I, I, I'm doing a joke right now about smoking crack with this fucking silver robot guy in Hollywood and how he wanted to <laughs> suck my dick. And I had to fight this cracked out robot to stop him from sucking my dick, you know? And then it's like, that's the stuff I want to talk about. On so today. wait, when you got to the comedy, how old were you when you got to the comedy store? About 26. Okay, this I'm is, in my 40s this is now. probably 98, no, 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 99? I'd say, it's, uh, I'd say it's about 2000. Okay, and then so what was like, who was the big, I literally have never hung out of the store. I mean, it's, it's a regret. Because okay, you were so store. I mean, if you I talk, anybody. I talked, to, I talked to Rogan about it, and I said one night, I were fucking do the show, and we're at the store, we're having a drink. I said, you know, I think if I had been, if I, I think if I had hung out at the store, I don't know if I'd be alive. And he was like, yeah, I don't think you would be. He's <laughs> like, he goes, I don't think I'd be friends with you. I've always said, you know you're great at something when you change the rules, yeah. right? This is literally, I basically made it so they stopped giving comics free drinks. You know, I was such a, <laughs> a fucking alcoholic drug addict, just oh. doing blow, drinking and fucking at that place, that they had to take away free drinks there. I joined, I got in at the improv randomly. I don't know what was the fucking thing. I don't know why I wasn't, I didn't have a connect there. I just w reached out and I said, I'd like to work here. I don't know why the improv. I don't know why I picked the improv. And I just said, I'll do anything. It was the, it's the beginning. It's something I'm going back to now, I think, in my life, is this uh, loose piety, play over piety, uh, and, and humility. I don't, I do not, I got to a place where I fucking started to lose my humility. Like when that guy said to me, I don't know who you are, my humility was nowhere. My my humility was everywhere last night. When I walked up last night, I was like, because I did a lot of soul searching, because I had to do a set again, and I and I had a hard time getting into the store, and I was like, just don't go back. Just call Red Ben and say you're sick. And, and it doesn't matter. It's just That's a fucking so set. It's so crazy. It's so interesting, man. 
I've been trying to talk about that on stage. It's like now that I'm in my 40s, it's such a blessing because it's like you are who you are. Yeah. Like through your 20s, you're like, I'm going to change the world. And then like in your 30s, like I'm going to get paid. In your 40s, you're like, this is who I am. This yeah. is who I am. This is where I'm at. I don't give a shit. I can't I, change it. I can't be better. And and and. and and I'm and really deep down inside, I'm a very humble person. So I walked in last night and I went up to the guy at the front and I was like, I was like, this is what was fucking freak. This is the part that bothers me. I go, hi, my name is Burke Kreischer. I have a set. And whoever the guy's working the door he goes, I know exactly who the fuck you are. And I was like, listen, I don't work here a lot. I don't know where I'm going. I don't. I really, honestly, Sam, I don't know the difference between the OR and the main room. I didn't know there was a difference. Yeah. I was like, when they said main room, I went, wait, what? What's the other room? I was like, I know they got the belly room. I know they got the main room, and then is the room with the glass, is that the OR? That's the OR. And so I didn't know where I was going, and I said to the guy, I go, I don't know where I'm going. He goes, oh, okay. So he points me back that way. So he goes, then I got to go past through the line of people, and people are recognizing me. And then I go into the next bouncer. I'm like, fuck, here we go again. This is where I get stopped. And I go, hey, my name's Bert. And he goes, I know who you are, Bert. Uh, you just head right back there. And I was like, holy shit. I walked back. I knew fucking everyone. Bobby Lee rolls in, one of the fucking greatest dudes alive. Just such a monster. He comes in and he's like, what's up, Bert? And I barely know Bobby just through emails. And I'm like, oh, my God. I felt so comfortable. And then I had a great set and I fucking left. I was like, do not fucking tempt your fate, Bert. Don't hang out until 2. You know just who get you the fuck home. Ron White. Ron White was like that. He didn't really? come around forever, and then he kind of showed up a little bit. And now, anytime he's in town, he'd love to hang out. Yeah, I, I really, I had a great time, and it was fun watching it. And the it's a private club, dude, where comedians can be comedians. It's a private club. It's different. It's more elite than the Friars Club. Yeah, it, it's just an interesting thing. And like, here's the problem with the comedy store. It's like it's such an amazing club. It is literally the world's greatest comedy club. You can bang. It's like that in a cellar. You know, they're, they're the two best, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it both are just effing amazing, fucking amazing, you know. My problem was I was there for so long. It's like when you're getting so many spots at the World's Greatest Comedy Club, it can be like you can get stuck there. And I was there for so long because I was just getting such good spots. I was working all the time. I was making fucking a little bit of scratch here. I was doing a bunch of sponsorship stuff, so I was making money. I wasn't on the road. So now that was the weird thing. It's like all you guys were fucking destructive on stage, but none of you guys left. Like all you guys wanted to stay at the store. And like I feel like the improv comics, all of us that started over there were like, we're like, I gotta get on the fucking road because we were tied into the improv so we could get like, hey, can I host in Brea? Can I host in Irvine? Right. Like, yeah, I'm, that I'm, is I'm thinking problem. of you, Ernst. Up until recently, Sebastian never did the fucking road. Sebastian, Caparulo, I guess Caparulo does the road. Cap Caparulo and Sebastian did the road forever, you know, but, uh, uh, and Maz did, but a lot of people just stayed there for fucking Ari, Ari Joey. was there forever. He would only go out with, uh, you know, with Rogan. Rogan was there forever. Rogan was there for a very long time. It wasn't until he had that fallout, which I think, I was it was like the greatest thing to happen to him as much as it probably hurt. Yeah. It forced him to go out, you know. So now I'm like, kind of just catching up and going on the road and i'm doing this big tour coming up called the man heat tour punchlines and slow grinds and i'm doing like uh <laughs> two weeks of of uh the northeast i'm going like punchlines and slow grinds it's, uh, it's are you making shirts yeah we're gonna ma i'm working on it but it's Brad <laughs> zumok and we're doing like we're Chad going like zumok's fucking hilarious you know so he's gonna love hearing that because he's like i was telling him i'm like 
He's like, you gotta get on some podcast to promote the show. I'm like, I will. I'm like, I'm going to do Chrysler. He's like, oh man, I hear nothing but great things about Chrysler. And you know, him and I are good. We, Chad and I, have been good friends. We both kind of danced with our demons for a while. We yeah. both, uh, you know, done a, wreaked a lot of havoc <laughs> partying, and uh, so we're both sober, and we're both kind of gonna go do this fun, crazy, weird show. We're going to like uh, Buffalo. We're doing Helium, Funny Bones in Syracuse. We're doing Cincinnati, uh, Cleveland, uh, Rochester, you know, just all these different things. It's All the tours are available on samtriple.com. You can see where I'm coming through. But it's the 19th through the 30th, and I'm just and going. And you're doing, like, one night? One night in different cities every night. That's the way to do it. And just driving, dude, and just boom. Are you really? City, different city, different city, different city, all within that northeast to just. Kind of just start kicking ass. It's like the comedy store is a great place. It's a, it's my, I love that I went to the comedy store, but I got addicted to that nipple, and I didn't want to get off it. So now I'm trying to get out there and just do some more stuff and free up a couple spots for some newcomers at the comedy store so they can learn the kung fu. Man, I've been baptism by fire, dude. Rogan, Dice, Eddie Griffin for the first fucking. Three- they said surprise guest last night. It was Martin Lawrence. Really? There was a surprise guest. Martin fucking Lawrence. I was blown away. I was like, Martin fucking Lawrence is here? I, I, I left. Nate Diaz was at the show. Nate Diaz, who, dude, how big is that dude? I'm six foot. I didn't see him. I wish I had known he was there. I would have fucking stayed. He's about two inches taller than me. So that guy's six two, man. He fights at 155. I would have to cut <laughs> off legs to fight at 155. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, dude. I that can't. guy is huge. I, uh, I've, they, apparently, like, he was at the show. I would have loved... I would have, if I had known he was, I, I, someone said he was at the show, but I don't think I heard it. I think I was like, oh yeah. And I guess I forgot. And I just was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I wish you were here next week. I wanted you to do my naughty show. It's going to be a big um, What day? It's Wednesday. Uh, I think I leave for Edmonton. Fuck, yeah, we're doing it next week in the main room. It's during X-Biz weekends. Like, you know how you have the AVNs? Well, their competition is X-Biz and they have their big uh, convention. In Andes, that's next door to the comedy store. So the whole oh, week, really? it's just like a porn star beehive. And every year I do like a naughty show right in the uh, in the main room. So they all come from there and they come into the comedy store. It was so funny. And it's another thing about like Joe Rogan and, and Brian Redband's show. It's like such fun party people show up. Dude, there were, uh, I saw on KQ Funny. I say KQ Kate Funny. Quigley. I say KQ Funny because that's what I follow her on yeah, Periscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw her on Kate's uh, Periscope that there were two porn stars there last yeah, night. Yeah, I was right there with them, dude. My friend uh, Kayla Page and my friend, uh, and then this girl I met, uh, Akira Blue. I said Akira Blue, something like that. Yeah. I don't even know, but I've known Kate, I've known uh, Kayla Page, the one porn star for years. She hasn't, she doesn't do it anymore. But like, she had the funny thing about her is she would do all my naughty show videos, and she has like legit comedy timing in her delivery. Like, really? I could put her in any video, and she would deliver the punchline. She got, she got like mainstream agent, the signer because of how she acted in my video. She was like legit really? funny, dude. These porn stars, and she's just so, she reminds me so much of my, myself because I would bring her on the road with me to do naughty shows, and she would just murder, dude. Really? Her pole dancing, her burlesque, her comedy on stage would murder, and then nobody would know who she was. And I'm like, I can relate to that, dude. <laughs> this is me. This is me. That's how I feel. But, it, man, it was fun, dude. It's like, yeah, we're doing naughty shows all over the place. I'm trying to do some new live streaming shit. Like, Wait, what do you got? Like, because like, I feel like I have too many... Uh, I've, I have too many things going on. I'm doing the blog. I'm doing the podcast. 
I'm doing TV. I'm trying to develop something for TV. I'm doing stand-up. Like, what do you, like, where, where, because I look at Ari and I go, Ari's got it dialed in. It's stand-up and his podcast, that's it. Yeah. I was talking to Rogan last night about it. He goes, he's, he's, I'm not going to speak for him. He's like, I think you have too much shit going on. He's like, you know, when you got, and it's true. Like, they called me with this show idea, and I'm working on this story for Ari's show. And as soon as they call me with the show idea, I start daydreaming about that and not my set that I'm, I have to do that night. Right. And I was like, I got to fucking call them back and go, I can't talk to you right now. I got to get this set there's, fucking done. There's always a saying that you should, when you're writing a project, you should finish writing that project, then move on to your next project. But, you know, I do two podcasts. I'm now starting this uh, video uh, blog ranting show. But, you know, I see it like more like I've always wanted to do radio. And I just see it as like if I was a radio, a big radio guy, let's say Colin Coward, I yeah. am going into my radio show Monday through Friday doing three hours each thing. So I kind of see like each one of my podcasts, my videos is just another day of me going to work, you know. Yeah. So it's not really like I, I feel like I'm too busy because – I love creating. I love writing. I love – I'm like – I'm clinically insane, dude. I can't turn my brain fucking off. So the best thing to do is just use it and keep writing and writing and keep writing weird shit. And it's just like, you know, I'm writing – I want to – you know, I really like – I've learned to like – I really like writing for other people. Like I've, I, I didn't want to do that first because I had a yeah. fucking horrible ego. But now I really like writing for people, man. And it's like I've been writing digital series for people because that's kind of how these kids I haven't made. Like, when we were young, dude, it's like, there's like three channels. There was, there was one camera you could buy if you wanted to make anything, but still you had to shoot on tape. Yeah. It was the Canon G2, I think, was I have one. I ended up buying one. And, <clears throat> and you had to use that because it would translate to television. Regular video cameras didn't translate to television. Nowadays, I mean, I went, I mean, talk, you went, and, uh, like, just to put it in perspective, I drove this, I saved up money. It was $1,200. I drove the Sammy's cameras. I got the G thing. And still the audio sucked because it was in thing. So I had to buy like a, 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 a Roby or whatever mic attachment, a boom mic. And so now I got everything dialed in. And even still editing it, you had to plug it into your computer and let you had to let all of it play. To upload, you had to let it all play. And then fuck, it was so painstaking to make a video. The other day, I went on Amazon Prime. I ordered a camera that was like 400, 500 bucks. It showed up the same fucking day with a memory card. By drone? I shot a fucking, I shot a vlog and just posted it. I was like, what the fuck, man? So it's a different, it's a different world. It's a different world. And you know, you know, Kay Quigley is one of my very good friends. Like a long time she called me up. She's like, oh, should I do this bikini thing where I show up everywhere? I'm like, it's about to get wild west out there. Do whatever you can. The whole point of this now is how many people can you bring to the big paid project, yeah. whether it's television or movies. So get those fans however the fuck you can. It's aggregating. If, it's like if Hollywood knew the two bro- two chicks and a cup chicks could bring fifty million people to a, a, a fucking a, a, a ABC drama, they yeah. would hire the two chicks, one cup girls. Yeah. I always wanted to do. Where are they now with the two chicks, one cup? Yeah, where are they? Yeah, what? They are, can't be good. <laughs> they can't be good. They but you gotta be good. This is the number one video of all time on the internet. You should have been like that. Should have been spun into oh, something. Spun. I literally just today. I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna post this video online. 
I was like, you know, I'm reading David Spade's book. I should place it right there. And my, if I'm going to do that, I might as well put my book next to it. I was like, God forbid this goes viral. Maybe David Spade gets a hit, and I get a hit because of it. Like, yeah, why not? It's so funny the the how different everything's changed. When did you start doing the blog, and what's the blog about? I just started it. I, li- I like I couldn't get my computer. I had to set the see. I had a YouTube account a long time ago yeah. when the Naughty Show first started. That had millions of hits, and that and this is only like seven years ago. And that doesn't sound like that long ago, but in terms of entertainment and the internet, that is the dark ages of the internet yeah. seven years ago. So YouTube came and just got rid of all my shit. I, you know, I was on Death Squad, and Death Squad's one of the greatest things ever, especially for you know in terms of helping my career. Yeah. It's an amazing, you know, but there were also player haters who hated some of the stuff on, so I just get people flagging my shit constantly, and after a while, YouTube's like, you're done, and they swiped all, like, like three million views off this new kind of channel I had, and I was just like, so I got really discouraged, so I didn't do it forever. Well, I, I love ranting, like, I love to rant, so I do a couple of rant podcasts, and everybody loved it, but I was like, I don't want to do three podcasts how can i do something different so i said you know i'm gonna do a youtube channel where i rant once a week every thursday at this time i'm gonna pick five subjects and try to rant for an hour and just go off on and people seem to like it so i just started last week i just put up one like video about dog pants how people are fighting about dog pants on the internet like whether it should be all four legs or just the hind legs and it's obviously, it's all about your cock and balls. The whole point <laughs> of pants is to cover your cock and balls. So, and then it's like, how do you market this thing? That's the whole thing. Like, what do you got to put in there that gets people to look at it? Yeah. And again, it goes back to keep it simple, stupid. Dog pants. People like to talk dog pants, you know? I'm going to go off on making it a murderer probably tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Have you seen that I yet? Don't bring it up. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I, I'm in the two-week where it start. I started hearing about it, two, uh, like, a week and a half ago. And I'm in that spectrum of like right now everyone's and I gotta watch it now or it's or the statue of limitations is up. You gotta watch yeah, it. yeah. That's how I am going to see Star Wars tonight. Oh the Statue of Limitations came up on that uh Sunday. Oh really? Yeah. So you're you're allowed to say whatever <laughs> you're you want? Say, yeah, Doug Benson was like we I did the Doug Benson movies. He was like, Oh no, the Statue of Limitations is up. We're gonna talk about it and he just they just and by the way, I there were parts I didn't know about the movie because I was with Patton and Doug. Yeah. And and uh and might might be one of the top Five podcasts I've ever done is that episode of Douglas. Pat Oswald. Pat Oswald. That guy's an, a mercenary, like just a murderer. He's so fast. He's so quick. He. I was wearing. I was wearing a sweatshirt, like a hooded sweatshirt, uh, a, a North Face vest, and a ski cap. And I guess I just looked like a hundred different references that he had in his pocket. And he, I mean was so goddamn quick it was I, I it was and i think that's what everyone loved about it is just Patton making fun of me for 30 fucking minutes so anytime i'd say something he would then drop a brand new reference he's so smart i i then i was i the best thing i've ever done is i was like at the end of the thing i was like and thank, i appreciate Patton wanting to be on my podcast and, <laughs> and so he came up to me and he's like i'll be on your podcast just that's me. great and a gun recognizes a gun i love that saying he's, gun recognizes a gun a gun recognizes a gun you know you just know when you watch somebody like that's one of the best and there was one of these when i used to be in Ve- when i first moved to vegas within like the first 3 4 years every week there was a new gun in town yeah. and i'm like oh fuck another guy who would just go up there and just Fucking floor the Were room. people showing up to Vegas like with chops? 
No, Vegas is a totally different thing. When I was in L.A., I would say Vegas is like Vegas now has a really nice scene. I just think some of the comics don't hustle enough. They just you got to grind hard. But there's so many stage times. They just opened another comedy club. So there's like five or six comedy clubs. There's so many places to work. And I yeah. think Vegas is going to eventually become an artist community. Because these, these casinos, they have like three or four stages in each casino. And now instead of having one show per stage, they now have a different show every two hours. So there's so many, there's so much opportunity to get up there. I'm trying to get really? back to Vegas. Really? I want to be, I want to do the road and do Vegas. Like my dream is a late night, like Don Rickles show where I could just oh, flame how throw people. How great would that be? I just want to do it, man. Charge. It's like Vegas. They, I do a comedy club. I'm like, how much it takes? Like 40 bucks. I'm like, you're charging 40 bucks. People want to pay it. If you go to Vegas and like, hey, this show's twenty dollars, like something's wrong with that show. Yeah, know? that is the crazy part is that if you, they don't ask a price, a premium for the ticket, people think they're not getting their money's worth. Yeah, so it's like, oh, I'll pay forty five dollars to see a twenty dollars show. Oh, I'd love to get a room in Vegas and like I used to love, uh, I used to love. Did you ever do Joaquin and? Uh, yeah, I just and, did their show this week. Oh, really? They got a new room. It's in the it's in the L A. Uh, it's in the Stratosphere. It's called the L A. Comedy Club. And I just did it. It's in the stratosphere? Yeah, it's great, dude. Really? It's like almost like they took the OR at the comedy store and did a mini version of it. it did you just smell your feet? I did, did just smell, you just smell my your feet. feet? Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. I smell my nuts all the time. I'm like, okay, we're not <laughs> Something doing Something came out from I'm between my toes, that. and I was like, oh, i got to find out what that is. Leave it in taste it. Leave it in taste it. I love those guys. We did – I got – we they I didn't, they didn't – they never fucked me over, but there was one time where where – I, you know, they were. It was when they were trying to move things around, and they were short on money one week, and and. Uh, they well, the reason they're good now is because they get the bar. If yeah. a comedy club owner doesn't get the bar, it's always going to be weird on checks. Yeah, and 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 I never had any ill feelings towards no, them, great. and they were never they were never uh, dicks to me, and they were very upfront. Like, listen, we do not have it right now. When we get it, we'll pay you. And they're good, and dude. They were good, but my wife's one of those people that was like, she's once, an elephant. She never forgets. Once. Someone didn't a check didn't go through, and this is more like back when we like not that I'm not saying we don't need money now, but we re, like if I went on the road, we were out of pocket. Well, I've always said that about you know it's like there's some comics and that it's like give me that check, dog. I need yeah. that check because bills are gonna need to get paid, man. No, they they got this little room. It's called the LA Comic. I just did it, and like on a Monday night, it was packed. It's yeah. like it's packed all the time, and it's like it's dark. Comic clubs need to be like strip bars, man. Pitch black, yeah. so nobody sees what's really going on, and you could go fucking off on people. Yeah. And they like the when a room's really bright, like the Laugh Factory, it's so bright. If you do an, a really dark, dirty joke, which makes people laugh, but they don't want anyone to know they're laughing at that joke, yeah. it ruins the vibe. A dark room, people are like ha 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 ha, and nobody sees who's laughing you at what. It's the reason office parties at comedy clubs suck. It's because when you're like, you ever eat an ass? And everyone's like, whoa, that's my boss right yeah, there. that's my boss. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got one of them, the first gigs I ever did, Jason Galern. Do you know Jason Galern? Yeah. Oh, one of the greatest human beings on the planet. Dude, one of the great. He he goes, hey, man, I got this gig for you. I, I was supposed to do it. I can't do it. It's $500. And I was so young. 500 bucks. I'm there. Fuck it. Mm -hmm. You got to go to Arizona. Okay. You gotta, you're doing stand-up for accountants on a moving bus. That's going from Phoenix to Laughlin, Nevada, and you got to entertain them. And I'm like, five hundred bucks? I don't give a Laughlin, shit. Laughlin, Nevada. Yeah, I'm going. I'm interstate on a gig. Okay, 
I get up there. They're like, "It's listen, man. This is a corporation. It's their corporate gig. You got to work clean." I'm like, "What? Why am I here? Fuck. Why that. am I here?" So they're like, "We're clean." So I started just doing stand, and then I ran out all my clean. So I started doing, and I'm bombing, dude. I am bombing. Bomb. I'm trying to think of friends' jokes. Like, what's a clean friend? I'm doing. I'm doing Nick Swartzen's <laughs> jokes. I'm bombing. I am bombing, dude. I eat. They're like, just sit down, okay? Yeah. Does anybody want to do stand up? So they all took turns doing stand up. They're like, and it was all like, you ever been to Bob's cubicle? What's up with all those pictures, <laughs> Bob? How many kids do you have? <laughs> Bob, how many kids do you have? Oh, he's talking to Bob. One woman goes, he's funnier than the comic. I'm like, I'm in the room, you know, because I I bombed before. Yeah. I can get my car, go home, lick my wounds. I'm going cross state lines. With people who hate me, dude. There's no getting out of it. It was awful, dude. It was awful. Did you ever hear Bill Burr's story of he? I I don't know if it's. I almost certain it's Bill. He they had stand up and they a company did and they give him tickets to a fucking playoff game for the Yankees, but he had to do comedy on the bus. And oh yeah, I've heard about those things. And it's just fucking, just I just fucking sucks dick. I corporate. Every corporate's always pay well, but like, I never. It's not my sweet spot, and it's not the thing I like doing. It's almost like if they hired, I'm not saying I'm Picasso, but if they hired Picasso to paint a house, yeah. Like I'm not a house painter, yeah. Like I understand that I paid someone to paint my house. Yeah. I understand it's a pain in the ass, yeah. I, but I'm not a house painter. Different kind of painting. It's a different kind of painting. I can, I I can fucking paint my pictures, and that's all I really like doing. Have you ever met a comic named Jason Rouse? Yes. Rouse is a great example. This guy got he got hired to do a Vegas gig, and if you know Rouse, you know his comedy. No, but describe Jason Rouse to everyone. He is like he's like, shaved head, gold teeth, shaved head, gold grills. Yeah, white dude, everywhere. white dude, white Canadian, uh, death metal comic, death metal, just leathers, fucking hood, Lethal ring. Fast though, like when you talk to him, he's on fire, dude. Yeah. But he's one of the true last Mohicans. Yeah, really, one hundred percent murder, murder, murder. He gets hired to do a gig at the like M Hotel in Vegas for elderly people, and he bombs. The guy who books him <laughs> loses money. the gig. Are you serious? Yells at Jason, hey, you cost my family money. So two weeks later, I'm going to Vegas and I'm trying to do find a place to do a naughty show in Vegas. I meet with this guy. He goes, yeah, I book a lot of shows. I book, uh, you know, the M Hotel. I go, hold on. Are you the guy that booked Jason Rouse? He's like, yeah. Did you book Jason Rouse for a clean show? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you just Googled his face, you'd be like, this probably is the wrong guy for that yeah. show. He goes, he signed a contract to be clean. I go, that's not him, man. There are clean comics out there. You hired. And it doesn't work that way. It, it never works that way where they go. You get a phone call, listen, can you work clean for one hour? Yeah. No comic that does, like, I'd be like, no. What happens is they go, we got you a gig, it's in dot, 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 it's some price point that you've never, you're getting 20 grand, and you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. Really? And they're like, yeah, are you in? And you're like, fuck yeah, I'm in. All right, great. All you got to do is like 45 minutes. You're like, great. Then you get there, and they give you a beat sheet of what you're not allowed to talk about, and you're like, fuck, and it makes sense. For twenty grand or whatever the fucking high yeah. price is, yeah, I understand. I probably can't talk about fucking pussy farts, but you didn't need to put that on a bullet point. <laughs> I've had I had a gig one time. I had a gig one time. They said don't, and I'm never, I'm never gonna say the name of this company. They go, don't talk about the fact that it's all men here. Don't talk about the fact 
that they're all millionaires. Don't talk about the fact that they're all white. Don't point out that someone isn't white. Don't point out that, and they're like, what we want you to do is celebrate being rich. I'm like, I'm not fucking rich. And they're like, no, like, celebrate being rich. Talk about doing rich people things. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And it was more money than I'd ever been offered. And I just went up and ate a dick for an hour. Did they check cash? Check cash. All matters. We got done. And the guy, a bunch of the guys that worked there, they were like, you said it was okay. We just want to party with you. I was like, what? They're like, we just want to party with the machine. Yeah, like, I got, I, I got up, and the first thing out of their mouth, tell the machine story. Like, by the way, this is a, a company. They're like, tell the machine story. And I go, I'll get to it. And they're like, no, nope, tell it now. These are fucking millionaires. Yeah. They do not want to be told what to do. Tell it now. I tell the machine story. Okay. All right. He's done. <laughs> like, that's 10 minutes of a fucking hour set. And then I went and partied with them all night long, and that's all they really wanted is to fucking party. Of course, I broke all the rules. I fucking pointed out the one Indian guy. Fucking talked about the one black guy. As long as it goes well, they don't care. But they as just want to lay that well. down in case it does go bad. Does go well, and they could be like, "We fucking told you." Yeah, and and they were really cool. Uh, they were they were really cool. But I can tell you a hundred with a hundred percent certainty, I did not, I did not have my best hour on stage. It was t- I was tough. I still have the. So you're only comparing it against you what you normally do. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of stand up too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've had weird It was mediocre. Like, it was what did we just do? genuinely mediocre at best. Best case scenario, they're like he was okay, but yeah, it was uh, it was fun though. I mean, it was a, it's an interesting story. I, you know? I don't give a shit. I break everything down to uh, sex worker brackets. Like, am I making crackhead? Hand job money? Am I making stripper money? Am I making escort money? If yeah. I'm making escort money, if I'm making money that rich men pay hot chicks to fuck them for, I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah. You know. And if you just go up and you're doing a clean, you gotta do a clean show. I could do a clean show. I can just crowd work to the end of days. Yeah. And what always happens is the crowd wants me to go filthy. Yeah. Because it's real and it's not. I did uh, the Ventura Harbor Comedy Club and like they're like, don't talk dirty. I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. And I just started interviewing this couple, this elderly couple, of about 75 each. All they wanted to talk about was how much fucking they're doing. They just see well, it's like, people. It's like, yeah, someone's putting parameters on a group of people that haven't asked for the parameters. I mean, sometimes they do ask for the parameters. Sometimes they're like, I went and did, uh, I'm doing it again. I Once again, I won't say the name of the company, but I'm doing it again. I went in, and I was like, and they're like, you know, you got to be clean. Uh, you're doing like 10 minutes. I was like, I can do 10 minutes clean. And they're like, and you know, they give you some guidelines. And then I get there and I meet the president of the company. He goes, It's my fucking company. If I don't laugh, then you're not coming back. And he goes, I don't give a fuck what you talk about. Talk about anything. Just make me laugh. And I was like, Done. I went up. First fucking joke I tell is this joke about Isla putting her finger in her ass. Place goes fucking nuts. And he's just sitting there. Man, you got, I got to give it to this guy. Uh, hopefully this never gets back to him. Not, not that I'm saying anything bad, but like, I don't know if he was doing this on purpose. That's why. But, man, you know what he did? The president of the fucking company, he stood up out of his seat like Robert De Niro in fucking Cape Fear and started laughing hard as fuck. And the second he laughed, everyone was like, it doesn't matter. No rules. Our president's laughing. We're all having a good time. It's all good. He was like, he was a fucking, I looked at him do that and I went, this is a really great guy. He just made my fucking week, my my day fucking brilliant. And That's I, a gangster right dude, there. Dude, I fucking, I said... I said, he came up to me the next day, and he was like, you fucking killed. You made me laugh. And he was like, uh, every fucking year for the rest of your life, we want you here. And I was like, Jesus, 
I was That's like, a great gig. Fuck. And it was like, man, that guy, I remember thinking, I learned a lot from that guy. Cause he, he knew everyone's names that were, he worked with. He knew everyone's names. He took the time to fucking take moments to share with them. It's like the way Rogan does it with, like, with, with fans. Rogan literally goes, I'm going to fucking take a picture with every single person that wants to take a picture. I've never seen it like that before. Like, when yeah. I used to gig with him, dude, one step through an airport, picture, another step, picture, another I mean, step, picture, another yeah. step. And he always was really nice, man. I couldn't do – you know, man, I love Joe Rogan, man. He's done more for comedy than anybody know. I could not do his job. I could not do where every word that comes out of my mouth is overanalyzed to the end of days. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I, I like being under so the radar. I like being under the radar. Like, like the fact that I know that even the stuff we're saying right now, like a lot of people hear it, but we're never going to get held to the fire for it. Yeah. We can say whatever the fuck we want. No one's going to – we're not getting fired for anything we're saying. But, man, I listen, I said that about uh, Jesse Man. I were sitting there last night. He said something like – "He's." we were like, it's, I love that he's unapologetic for who he is, and he says things that that in a – out of a different mouth might be, like I, I would be like I would be like I don't know man like it's 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 ballsy, it's like ballsy like he said this thing and he goes, he's like uh, I'm talking about his daughters he's like I'm turning into a bitch and it's just it's like I don't give a fuck that you could analyze that nine ways from Sunday on fucking some alternative talk show of yeah. what I just said this is what I'm fucking feeling yeah and I, it was like but Jesse and I were like both sitting there going like I fuck that's what I love about his stand up it just it's, it's Fucking it's him. It's real. And he's just one of those guys that, like, the punchline is the exact perfect punchline for what he's coming up with. When you hear, you know, if it's a great punch, ah, that could be a better punch. Not with Rogan. Everything is completely and utterly the best punchline you could have at that moment. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, and he was total stream of conscious last night. Like, like you. You have a fedora on it. You are a man of many hats, right? That's what that's what Rogan is. Yeah. Like he has to he has to remember whatever he's saying is determined by what hat he's wearing at that time. As a stand up he can say crazier shit. But as a UFC commentator he has to watch what he said. Like yeah, everything is uh, like another like hats like the stuff they got in trouble with for saying about Cyborg, you know, it's like Christine Cyborg when Tony Hinchcliffe's like, yeah, she's the only one to cut weight by cutting off her dick. I understood why she got upset because Joe Rogan is the John Madden of that sport. Like he is. What did Tony Hinchcliffe say? She cut weight by cutting off her dick. Yeah, this this uh, Christine Cyborg is this amazing fighter. She's a chick, but she has like man skills, you know, like yeah, in a I've lot of her. different ways and. I like her fights, and I can understand why her feelings were hurt. I mean, I understand why. Well, you forget she's a person also. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like if you're doing stand-up and the head of Comedy Central goes on a podcast and racks you a little bit. Yeah. You're like, oh, man. That's the guy who decides everything. It's like, <laughs> you know, I know I'm a comedian. I'm dead on the inside, but that that hit the last nerve left, oh, you know? so funny, yeah. But Rogan's smart enough to go out and make it a pop. Like, he's so self-aware. that It's really amazing. And it's like... I was kind of hoping Cyborg and uh, Ronda Rousey would end up fighting. I, they still may. But, you know, it's like, I think I think the UFC is... You know, Dan White's such an interesting person because... He know, really fucking is. He's so... Because he literally created... A billion dollar industry. I remember, I remember in college getting high as fucking going. I want to create a sport. Me and my buddy Eddie were like, let's create a sport. And so we literally freeform, just trying to think of how we could create a sport. 
Yeah. Dana White created a sport. Out of nowhere, dude. Another American-made sport. I know it's Gracie's, but they made it in the America. Gracie's, yeah, the Gracie's, basically, and they were I American guess. at the time. But Dana White, it's like, look, you can say Howard Naismith or whatever created basketball, but yeah, and I'm not. By the way, I'm not taking away from the Gracie's whatsoever, but it's it's Dana took it to the next level. Dana took it to the next level and said, "No, I believe in this shit. I I love this shit. It's this just, is my. This is what." I will dedicate my life to. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know Dana's story, but I do know the one I have in my head. Like, I'm a fucking Boston bouncer yeah. who fucking got punched in the head a bunch, and fuck it, this is my ticket. Yeah. I'm going to fucking do this. And he still has that aggressive mentality well, of that's like. That's why people love him. It's like, it's why do people like Trump, regardless of I'm not making any com. Yeah, you know, I know I'm not picking anything right now. I don't I don't vote for either of the parties. And, I know. Anyways, but the point is, like, why do they like Dana White? Because he's just so fucking honest. He's real. Which is why people like Donald Trump as much as they might hate his politics. They, we're just so used to getting lied to by yeah. our politics. That someone's just like, no, nah, I don't like that. I'm going to fuck them over. I'm gonna and you're like, well, at least we we got somebody shooting from the hip. That's Dana White. Now, I so I, I only say that because, like, who am I to critique Dana White? I've never created a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. But what I will say is, like, I feel like they miss the ball sometimes, and they should have. They should have promoted Christina Cyborg. That's another female that is a murderer yeah. that they could have made a brand out of. But they were so protective of Ronda Rousey. And I get it. It's like when Ronda Rousey's like, I'm hosting Saturday Night Live. That's everywhere. She gets into places that John Jones, they wouldn't, Ellen, they'd never have John Jones do you on think, Ellen. Do you, think they, do, you think that, do you think that they looked at it and they were like, we need to create one star and we need to protect that star as opposed to create, like, it's better to have the Celtics for them as opposed to the Celtics and the Pacers, which are playing really well as well, but everyone wants the Celtics to win anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they didn't know what they had, and that female MMA is the most unique thing in that it's the first time you can have women competing against women, but in, in an event dominated by men. Yeah. You know, it's like the closest you had Danica Patrick, but she never won anything. Yeah. But here you could put, because she's going up against guys, whether a woman can win NASCAR or not, that's not what I'm discussing. I'm talking about you were able to put a woman in an event that had all men where she dominated people in a spectacular form that people were like, whoa, what's this unicorn? And then, because, women, you know, the most amazing study ever moment that just changed entertainment was when they discovered that women are 70% of the buying power. So they know that uh, at home, the people they really give a fuck about are the women. They're going to yeah. go to the store and buy everything. <laughs> That's so interesting you're saying this. You know? The only fight my wife has ever wanted to buy was the Ronda Rousey fight. And my wife does not like UFC. Like, she was, she has no interest in Conor McGregor, although we ended up buying that fight. She didn't watch the fight. She, I mean, it was pretty quick, but she didn't watch the fight. But when we were over at our friend's house, the Gruzin, she was like, she was like, are we going to get the Ronda Rousey fight? And I was like, I was like, right, someone else's house. I mean, and yeah. I told him, I said, hey, if you buy it, I'll pay I'll pay for it. And my buddy Eric's like, seriously? You know what else that fight did is when she got beat, it put, there's an, there's like an empathy that sometimes is numb to me when you watch, like when I watch Jose Aldo get, Jose Aldo get fucking knocked out, I wasn't like, oh my God. Like I was like, yeah. But when Ronda got knocked out, everyone was like, fuck, man. I just watched someone get, I like, 
it's almost like you could taste it again. Well, it's it's also like at the end of the day, it's like we don't like seeing women get beat up. I mean, it's just the truth. And then we could be like, men are equal, women are equal. At the end of the day, nobody likes there was uh, nobody likes to see a woman get beat up. And there was another fight. This Joanna Champion, Jezuszczyk, whatever her name is, she's the one fifteen. I, I call them the violent stick figures. She's the 115 champion. She was taking on this girl, Carla. I, I don't know her last name. But Joanna Champion, Joanna Violence, destroyed this chick. And it was hard to watch this <laughs> Velociraptor beat the shit out of this fucking chick. Just, I mean, dude, you go back, you're like, oh, oh. And every, you could hear the whole the whole place got quiet. And everyone's like, oh, my, oh, dude, stop yeah. the fight. Because at the end of the day, Nobody wants to see girls get. I mean, like, and we and I, listen. People sign up for this shit, you know, but it's still hard to watch. So when Ronda gets knocked out, and just I, I and I was at Sales Comedy Hole listening, watching it, and I was like, I just yelled, "Watch for the head kick!" And just within two seconds, because that's what Holly Holm does. Yeah. She's just a vicious. She's a dominator of everything. She she's been a champion in boxing. When's she gonna fight again? What? When does she fight next? She's gonna pro. They they were trying to make her hold off to to fight Ronda, but now they're gonna have her probably fight um, Cupcake. Uh, I forget what the chick's name is, but uh, she's they're probably gonna have her fight Cupcake, Misha Tate, Misha Tate, and that should be a good. Fight. I mean, I would like to see. I'd rather see Holly Holm versus Cyborg. I think that's a fucking insane fight. Fuck Holly yeah. Holmes is a real deal, man. Real deal, man. She's been fighting championship stuff for a while. And, when the when Dana White's like, no, they're gonna have a rematch. I'm like, Dana, you're killing a cash cow. Yeah, you're killing this cash cow. You got to give her time to practice. Now, here's the thing: Ari and I have a a bag of bets from our punch drunk. Yeah, and it's basically like I believe Holly Holmes will win the rematch. He's taken, he's taken uh, Ronda Rousey. Loser has to reenact gay porn. Like we uh we we we're gonna write out a gay porn scene that we have to reenact and it could get as crazy as possible oh, on the podcast. Oh, we do all stuff. I love to bet the Ari had to take uh, boner pills and ecstasy and watch two hours of gay pornography like on ecstasy and boner pill and we did it live streamed it so people could call in and tell me what porn to watch and it was all like compilation porn so it was oh. just. Just fucking bounds of man just just shooting on everybody. <laughs> I had to do two hours of that, man. It was rough, dude. Oh, how long have you guys been doing uh, Punch Drunk? Four years. And it's you, Teeve, and Ari? Yeah. How's Teeve doing? Teeve's doing great, man. He's I think I ran into him recently. He was at the store last night. I was bidding out. He's doing out. great, man. He's doing great. You know, everybody's got their own journey, and he's doing great, and he's Literally one of the fastest dudes you'll ever meet in your life. There's I love no him. He's just the sweetest guy, and he's so honest and so vulnerable. That podcast he did with Ari about his drinking was one of the fucking best podcasts I've ever. Trauma. You know, there's some people like that. Like, Brett Ernst, I always said, is a, a good-looking guy with ugly people problems. I always yeah. said that. Like, he's been through some trauma. That's why they're funny. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you'd be amazed at how similar comics and porn stars are, dude. I know. We I haven't had Brett on the podcast. And I've never had Brett on the podcast. i got to have him on the podcast. Brett Yeah, he is. He is. He's one of the sweetest guys alive, genuinely. But, man, we did a show together that it was the funniest fucking thing I've ever done. And I spent, like, a weekend partying with him and doing this show. And I don't think I've ever laughed more at a person that wasn't trying to make me laugh. Just literally, just naturally funny 
funny when he wasn't trying to be funny, and funny when he was trying he to be funny. He is a hilariously dark human being. Like, if yeah. you li- like the shit that goes through his life, like, he's so fu- He's got stories for days. He really does. Days, dude. Like, crazy shit. You're like, how are you still alive shit, you know? Yeah. And Have you seen his wife? No. Oh, my God. The guy knocked it out of the park, dude. Really? Like, Jesus Christ. I couldn't date that hot. I couldn't marry that hot. I would I would be like, where are you going? Where are you going? Because you just know <laughs> she's fucking kicking dicks away all day. Everywhere she goes, dicks thrown at, dicks thrown at, dicks thrown at, dicks thrown And you just got to hope she's a goalie, good enough goalie, stop from anybody scoring, dude. What's he doing? Is he on the road these days? He road dogs it a lot. Really? Yeah, he's road dogging, and he's like pitching. He's just like us, dude, pitching, trying to sell some stuff. I yeah. just feel like this is a great time to be a comedian in L.A. It's a great time to make shit. Yeah. I'm going to pitch real quick. All right. Tell everyone about your tour. Tell them where they can go. I'm just going to piss outside. Okay. Inform everybody. Okay. I love that you're pissing outdoors. I feel like nobody does that enough. I feel like people... Dude, I like to find weird places to piss, too. That's my big thing. Like, can I get away with... I just feel like... Do you know if you get caught pissing outdoors, you you might have to register as a sex offender? Like, how ridiculous is that? All right, the Man Heat Tour with me and Chad Zumach. January 19th, we're at Buffalo Heliums. January 20th, Sy- Syracuse Funny Bone. We just added January 21st in Cleveland, the Man Hall Room. Uh, we're at the Youngstown Comedy Cellar Friday and Saturday, January 22nd, 23rd. Uh, the Cincinnati Funny Bone, the 24th. Uh, Columbus Showbox. The twenty January twenty fifth, Wednesdays. I'm I'm in Cortland back in the six oh seven. My buddy's Bricks, his club, his nightclub. I'm playing there. Then we're finishing out Thursday through Saturday at the Rochester Comedy Club. So come out, rock out. And the next week is the Naughty Show with Fleshlight. It's gonna be nuts. We got Bobby Lee, Ari Shafir, Tiffany Haddish, Jason Rouse, Eleanor Kerrigan. And Jason Tebow. Have you ever worked? You know who you should get on your podcast? Who? Eleanor Kerrigan. That woman is a monster. She is she the she used to work at the store. Can I ask you something real sure, quick? Sure, of course. Have you ever have bad sets? Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. Like, what's a bad set to you? Be honest. Uh, the other night uh, at Flappers, I had a bad set. Like, like what is not having a bad like? My bad. My version of my bad set is what I guess probably. I'm trying to think of like the right analogy. Of, uh, like, I don't think people realize it's a bad set, because then I, I just, what I do is I go to a bunch of bad habits. So, like, I, I try something genuine, or try, try something real, and then, uh, like, I, I, t- I went into the YooHoo room, and I told this story that I've been wanting to tell. I told one time on Elliot in the Morning, and it really killed on radio, and everyone wanted to hear it, and I was like, all right, that's the, the that is, yeah, go pee outside. I'll, t- I'll tell, yeah, I'll tell you, you can hear me. And so, I told on Elliot in the Morning, and it was this great story. And then, uh, and then I was I tried it on stage a couple times and it just fucking bombed. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go do the YooHoo room and I'm gonna tell this story and it, and I'm gonna make it work. And I told it in the YooHoo room and it completely fucking worked. And I was like, fucking great. Oh, it worked perfectly. And I was like, that's it. I got it. Nailed it. Um, I think it was I think it was because it was so intimate. I think it was so it was so intimate and I was so confident on stage that I think everyone liked it and so then I go into I go into the the main room and I tell this 
and I'm and I got the fucking thing behind me, and I do like a little bit of fuck around up front, and then I go to tell the story, and the story just fucking falls flat, and I was like, fuck. So then, and I'm doing okay. I think. I mean, I think I'm doing fine. But what happens then is I get. I it's a I, instead of saying I'm gonna stick with, and I told the whole story, but as opposed to saying I'm gonna stick with working on this new shit and trying to be good, I just do a bunch of easier shit like bam, 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 bam. That's so inter- It's so psychological, isn't it? And it's so, and so like I I think people like Adam Hunter was like great set, but I I think he hadn't seen me in a very long time, so a lot of the stuff that I said I was I wasn't proud of. Like even last night I had a really good set and I was like. But I was like, I was like, I don't know. Comedy store is weird for me because I feel like I gotta do well. Because if I don't do well, then anyone that's there is like, why would we let Bert be on our stage? You know, like so. I feel that every time I hit the stage. Yeah, I feel like, like, I feel like that this immense pressure to just. I did Hooters has a comedy club out here upstairs, Where? and I did that. Where's up, this? On Hollywood Boulevard, it's, they've taken the top area and turned into a little comedy club. I love Hooters. I could f- the Hooters on Hollywood yeah. over by Highland. Yeah, I love that place. I'll send I, you. I'll send you the guy's info, dude. He probably love. I love it. I mean, like, dude, I had such a good time. It's like you got to find a room to work on new shit, and that's yeah. kind of where I do it. Matt Matty Bollocker used to do Red Rocks. Oh I, yeah, I, I love, love Matty Ball Game. Yeah, Matty Ball Game. I used to love doing that room because you could really do new shit, and you could really take a chance, and there was no one from the industry there. And like that's the other thing is like. I go up last night and it's fucking sold out. I mean, it's packed, and I and I'm like, and it's funny because we're in the back and they're like, uh, Delia's going up, and so Rogan and I are talking, and I, and then Brian comes off and he's like, "Where's Delia?" And I was like, and he's like, "What?" He's like, "He said he wanted to go up now. He had another thing to do." And then they're like, and I'm just listening, going, "When when's my set?" <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, I, I hear them applauding, and Brian op- Red Band opens the door. And he's like, "Oh, you're up, Bert." And so I'm like, fuck. Did Delia not go up? No, he went up after me. But oh. he was, he, he was, I guess he, I guess he was just fucking walking around. He wasn't right there. And they had said, Bert's going up next to the host, David, I think it was his name. Yeah, and David so, Deary. David Deary. And so, so yeah, so, but I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think, I think I'm past this. When I, when I bomb, I, it is a somewhat of a conscious decision to do poorly. Oh, I'm so understand that, but, dude. Yeah, it's not like I'm, and then this isn't to sound like to people listening. I can say it to you, and you know what I'm saying. But to people listening, I don't want you to think that like I decide to take it into the shitter. What is what is happening when I'm bombing? Plane into the building. I don't yeah, even care. Like I decide that I am not going to fall in into my bad habits and do stuff that I know works and just get out of it because that's not why I'm here. I told I said this to Ari the other night too. I said I was talking about the flappers set, and I was like. I, I am there because Richie trusts me, and he knows that I can do well, but more importantly, he likes me as a comic, and he wants to see me create. So and that's what I want to do. Is I want to create. I want to make new shit. So, like, like I, if I'm going to do poorly, it's because I'm trying to do something new. you got to, dude. And you got to, you got to fail, man. The biggest fucking, the biggest flaw with so many comics is they were terrified to fail. That's that's my biggest problem with L.A. right now is everybody's doing power sets all the time. Yeah. There's no Joey Diaz and I. Joey's, I think Joey might be coming over in like 30 minutes. But Joey, Joey Diaz said to me, we were like, 
you know, I love Joey because no one knows certain sides of Joey that we all know. Like, everyone just sees him on his morning joint or hears him on the podcast. Are you in a podcast with him? I don't know. He's like, I, Joey's a little hard to put your finger on. I told him you were coming over, and he goes, I'll be there at noon. So you, like, should, you should ask him about the Twitter war. He just got in with uh, John Caparillo. What happened? They just went at each other. Are you fucking serious? No, dude. I'm not kidding. They just fucking went at each other. I don't know what it's about. I think it has to do with, I don't know, I don't want to put where, you, so you should ask him about it. Uh, yeah, but Joey's one of those weird guys that he may not talk about it. No, dude, he was going off on Caparillo, so he may want to. Maybe he's like, I want to talk about that, but there could be a good chance he does want to so talk funny, about it. funny, I've never met Caparillo. Caparillo's a good guy. You know, he's a good guy. He's just like, he's a, he does his own thing, dude, and, you know. What do you mean does his own thing? Like, he just, he. He was part of the comedy store for a very long time, and then, like, he just stopped being part of the whole thing. He's like, comedy store, born and bred, and they just stopped coming around. He stopped interacting with a lot of people. I don't know why, but man. They stopped, in, like, coming around, like, stopped interacting, meaning, like, cognizantly, or did he just have a family? And I mean, that that is what he's saying. I yeah. have a wife. I just had a kid. I can't come around anymore. That, I mean, I hate not to, I don't yeah. know him, and I'm not going to take a side on anything, but I have to say, like, one of the biggest hindrances I have to going to the store is like last night. Last night I was, I fucking, I and this is I think this is the beauty and the evil of the store is like I I take my family out bowling with our friends and I'm like all right I'm not gonna party going I gotta do a set tonight but I'm in my head I'm like I gotta set at the store I want to make sure I do well I'm in my head about and I know that I'm gonna I run into that, I, you're being so honest with that I am so dude I have to. Jog and meditate sometimes before I go on stage because my head gets so fucking nuts. Oh, I was I was there and I fucking and then I'm like, all right, I bowled a whole game with the girls. It's eight thirty. I go, I can get to the store in twelve minutes. From I'm gonna take an Uber over so I can drink. So I know I'm gonna see everyone and 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 I was like, I want to have a few cocktails and maybe I'll maybe I'll hang out. But I'm, I go, I shouldn't hang out. I got a podcast with Sam in the morning. So I go, I'm, this is all. I get in the car. I drive over. To the, I get I get taken over to the store. I get to the store. I'm getting ready to go on stage I'm, or sitting with Rogan, and my wife texts me, and she's like, uh, hey, do you have the keys to the car? I was so in my head about my set that I had fucking you taken an Uber me. over, and I had, and then I go, yeah. I go, oh, sorry. Just take an Uber home. And then I, and then she texts me again, asshole, our house keys are on there. I was like, oh, fuck. And so, and then I'm like, and then I start partying. I have a good time. And I, but part of me is, like, I get home. I'm like, I got to be dad in the morning. I got to make breakfast burritos. I got it. Thank God, Isla's like a stoner. Isla fucking woke. Isla's still in bed, probably. But, but like, uh, but like, I can understand where Caprilla would be like, would be like, you know, hey, I'm, I have a family. Things have changed. No, I totally get it's that. It's so hard, man. It's and so I don't hard. Know what the arguments about you'd have to ask them. They're two, they're two killer comics. I, I don't know. I've never you. met John Caprilla. I've, I, Brett Ernst loves him, and then I have his friends with Brett. So that's the only way I know of him. Is through that he was like he's the last guy to ever really get a deal out of Montreal. He was the last guy about ten years ago. Yeah, I don't know if they done they still do deals, but he was the last one to get a big deal out of Montreal. I thought Chicken was the last one. Chicken, oh poor Chicken, man. Crazy times, dude. I wish that I had been. I wish that, and I've told you this a million times, but I'll say it one more time because it's the fucking greatest thing ever. You and Ari taught me so much about about being a good person in this business. Because the first time I met you, you walked right up to me and you're like, hey, man, I'm Sam. I fucking think you're funny as shit. We're about to do that show. And I was like, and I was so intimidated by you. And I was like, he didn't have to be nice. He could have just not spoken to me, which is what every fucking comic does. And then 
he would have gotten in my head, and then I would have had a shitty set, and then he might have had a better set because I had a shitty set. But instead, you got – you were positive to me, and then I felt comfortable, and then I had a good set, and you also had a fucking good set. And Ari was the same way. I went up to – and because of that, I, went up, I walked up to Ari and go, hey, man, my name is Bert. I think you're really funny. And Ari was like, I think you're really funny. And then we became friends. Oh, that's great. But uh, I don't know why we were – oh, Chicken's one of those guys that I met before that, and he was just standoffish, and so I was ten times more standoffish. And Reno Collier was in, was in between us, and he was really nice, but he, Reno didn't want to have to broker a friendship, so he just fucking was like, I'm going to go drink. Yeah, yeah. And then I never spoke to Chicken once. If people scare me, I want to be friends with them. Like a gun recognizes a gun, and when I realize there's a quick gun here, I want to be friends with them. I'll go up and introduce myself. Well, I introduce myself to everyone now because I'm like, I just go, hey, my name's Bert. It's very nice to meet you. The sad part of that is I don't remember names very well. So. I don't either. How about, you know what's so funny is I hate bringing back this porn. I always have a bunch of porn star friends. Yeah. Whatever name you give me the first time I meet you is your name forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. If you if you go, hey, I'm Sarah Double Anal, for the rest of your life, <laughs> I don't care who you are, you are Sarah Double Anal for yeah. the rest of your life. That's just how it is. So I meet these girls, you know, through the, through the show, and then they'll become friends with me, and then they'll be like, you know, my name's Michelle. I'm like, I just know you as this. And I, you're lucky if you get one name with me, not that I'm anything special, just <laughs> my brain is chaos, and yeah. I only have, I'm my storage is full. You know, you know who I, what porn star I really want to meet? Who? Jesse Andrews. Do you know who that is? No, I'll look her up. She is. I, I'm not like I've, I. I like I. I follow her on fucking. Uh, I follow her on Instagram, and she, her Instagram is just like. She's like the fucking. She's like a Lolita, but she's above twenty. But like she's like she's probably twenty two. But she's this, like, DJ now. She makes jewelry. I don't know if she does porn anymore, but all her friends are, like, fucking hot as shit, and they just do, like, rich girl porn star stuff, like, go to Ibiza and DJ and then hang out on fucking boats and yeah. and don't wear tops and don't shave their pubes. Like, just shit that I'm like, what shit. the fuck? You know she is so hot. Instagram models are so – I always tell comedians, man, you got to think like an Instagram model. I know it sounds so weird, but – Instagram models own package their whole fucking their their whole brand. They are all about packaging their brand, selling it to people, maximizing the reach of their brand. Comedians got to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, through the podcast and the video blogs and all that. You just got to sell your brand to everybody. Like, the, you know, the great thing about the internet is like it allowed it allowed the hookers to pimp themselves. They didn't need a pimp. So yeah. now they have their Instagrams, their all that shit, and they're pimping themselves out instead of having some dude have to pimp them out and keep all the fucking. It's the most amazing thing I've ever watched in my life. Yeah. And I can't stop liking bimbos on Instagram. And I, you know, I feel bad. I'm like, oh, I'm liking all these filth. You know what? I'm 40. I don't care. I like filth. I like filthy <laughs> chicks who bend over chairs and be like, have a great Monday, and you just see their asshole, and I fucking. Love it, and I'm tired about apologizing. Ever since I started comedy, I've always been apologizing for who the fuck I am. I'm a filthy guy. I like being called the N-word when I fuck. That's who I am. 
That's who I am. I like being called the N-word. I don't know why this Mexican did it to me, and now I'm hooked on it, and it's a weird moment when you ask a girl to call you the N-word, but, you know, that's what I'm into, and I'm tired of apologize. I like cream pie I like doing all that shit. That's who I am. I like, Insta- I like liking sluts on Instagram, and I mean that in a kind way. That's who I am. I'm tired of it. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Tripoli. <laughs> the fucking best fucking rant I've ever heard. So, I believe. Please tell me you're talking about that on stage. And I am. And you know what else I'm talking about? You know what's so amazing about is I saw this, uh, she doesn't do porn anymore, but this girl named Ryan Keeley. And, she, like, at one point, you know, and everybody ages. And she's still really young and really hot. But there was a moment when I have this great show called the Rock and Pole World Championships. And it's literally karaoke and pole dancing teams compete against each other. It's literally the best live show you will ever see in your life. Holy and I'm about shit. to. I'm going to do one in, I think, uh, early March. It's the greatest show you'll ever see live. Holy shit. Yeah. It's my greatest invention. It makes a naughty show look like a, a fucking a dog show. It's like, it's literally the greatest thing. Brian Keeley showed up. I've never seen a human being more hotter in person in my life than when she showed up. Last night we were talking, and she's like, does Rogan hate me? Does he hate And he's like, you are so good. And like. Just talking to you today, we're all in our fucking heads oh. so fucking much. And you know, dude, I'm sober guy, and I, you know, I go to I go I go to twelve step programs, man. And the most enlightening, freeing thing I ever learned is that nobody gives a fuck about me, not in a negative way. Nobody's thinking about me, dude. Yeah. Everybody's like Bert Kreischer's in his head, hoping he doesn't bomb at the comedy store. He doesn't get he. Bert didn't say hi to me last night, not because he doesn't like me, because Bert Kreischer is scared out of his fucking skull yeah. that he might bomb at a fucking giant show. It has nothing to do with me, man. Yeah. And that's everybody. Everybody's so fuck. Oh, is that guy thinking, oh, my goodness, he- nobody cares, dude. Everybody wishes you well on your journey. Nobody gives a fuck. That is the fucking truth. It- nobody gives a fuck. No, yeah, it's it is- so fucking freeing, dude, to know that you are not alone, but y- nobody cares. Yeah. And listen... Whatever weird shit you're into, Bert, I'm sure you're into some weird shit that you don't want to talk about on the podcast. That's fucking cool. But just know everybody's in the weird shit. Yeah. Everybody's got a weird thing, a dark secret. There is a body buried somewhere in the skull that nobody wants to fucking talk about. And that's why I get on stage. Like, I like getting called the N-word as I blast chicks in the pussy. That's who I fucking am. And I don't give a shit. <laughs> I fucking love you, man. You are fucking... I, I got to say something to you. I love you so much. You don't understand. And sometimes I feel really bad because I hound you. No. I love you. No, and I'm so thankful you put me on this podcast. And you're so nice. And I felt like oh, I just bullied this guy in the put me on No, not... Dude, here's the thing. Can I tell you this? And, and I actually thought this because of you texting you, hey, I want to be on the podcast. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. In my head, I would, I'm afraid to ask people to be on my podcast because I feel like going like, hey, I know we've talked about my podcast before. Can, we, can you just come and hang out so that I can send stuff to my fans? And I feel bad. And the only other person that's like you that has texted me and said, hey, man, I'd love to be on the podcast just so you know is fucking Doug Benson. And both you guys are, I consider, friends, but I feel like I'd be bothering you if I no, texted you to dude. be on the po- podcast. Again, we're going back to sell, uh, analyzing everything. It's just like, I don't... You know another thing, like I have, I'm 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 Armenian and Italian, you know. I got fucking fire for blood, dude. You yeah. know, and I have a I I come from machismo, fucking man, and you know I could do everything myself, and like I, the 
the hardest thing I've ever asked uh, learned is like it's okay to ask people for stuff. Ask for a little help. Oh, dude, I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at that. You know who's great at that? Who? And I mean this with all love and respect is Dean Del Rey. I want Dean Del Rey to write a book called How to Meet and Greet People because he's the best at fucking doing it. And I've watched him work. so bad. It's just like, no, dude, you don't know how many people just are just, hey, man, help me, help me, help me. Hey, man, help me, help me, help me. And they get stuff. Does everything happen? No. But they put it out there. Again. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's the biggest thing, I, you know, especially in sobriety. Uh, this really great stu- uh, study just came out, and they found what is addiction. What's what's a big thing in addiction? And they found that most people have strong addictions because they feel alone and mm-hmm. disconnected. Fuck, dude! I all I, that story I just told you I'm writing about. The reason I'm writing about it is because in that story is the most alone and disconnected I've ever felt in life. And it's how I feel the majority of the ways. Like last night, last night, and I don't know if everyone does this, but like last night there was a moment where um, we're all in the green room at the store, and uh, and I and everyone was talking to someone, and I wasn't talking to anyone. And I was like, I don't know if everyone does this, but I was like, uh, you look foolish, you're not talking to anybody. Like, what are you? Like, yeah. in my head, it's just like you said, I'm in my head. To anyone else looking, they're like, first probably thinking about his set or whatever, but I'm just going like, do I, should I start a conversation with somebody? Like, do I jump into a conversation? And then Bobby Bobby Lee walked in. Bobby Lee's like, Bert, are we going to podcast? Like, it was, and then he sat next, and then he goes, can I sit next to you? And I was like, oh, my God, you have no idea what a fucking lifesaver. Yeah, what a lifesaver you are. Now I'm talking to Bobby Lee, who I want to talk to, and I was like, I was like, oh, but, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm in my Dude, head. Dude, I have crippling social anxiety. I get it from Horrific. my mother. I've gone to birthday parties, walked in, wished people happy birthday, walked right the fuck out of the party. That's part of the reason I left last night is I go, I, I go. listen, I can hang out, I can drink all night, I can have a good time, but I go, at some point, when do I say goodbye, like, do I, am I just, like, what if I don't know a lot of people, what if I'm just hanging out next to Red Band all night, and he's, he's going to be like, Bert, you should go. Get, walk around. I'm like, well, I don't know if I, I'm afraid I'm going like, to get ID'd. That's so funny. We just overanalyze everything. And then I saw the video on Kate's Periscope, and I was like, God damn it. I saw you, and I go, I know Tripoli was there. I could have fucking hung out all night. Yeah, right? With and, Nate, yeah. Dude, two porn stars, Nate Diaz, Kate Quigley. What a great life we live. Oh, and I, but, then I, but then I got home. I smoked a cigar. I got to bed at a really good time last night for me. Probably like midnight. But, uh. But like, and I finished this vlog, I posted the vlog, and I was like, okay, all right, let's just work hard and play hard later, I guess. I don't fucking know. I'm seeing the face. Joey's so interesting. He, oh, there's Jesse May Peluso. Um, Joey's so interesting. He doesn't like texting, but then he'll text you, and but he doesn't want you to reply to him. Yeah, right. He's like, don't, he's like dog, I don't fucking text, and he texts me. The funniest thing was when Tom Segura did a, either he did or someone else did a group text. I think you were in it, I was in it, Ari was in it, Red Band was in it, and a couple other people were in it, and we were all texting each other, and Joey Diaz was in it, and then Joey <laughs> Diaz started threatening Tom Segura's life, because <laughs> his phone just kept blowing up with repeat texts, he's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you, dog, and Tom Segura, please stop texting on this thing, Joey Diaz is getting so pissed. Dude, Segura's I want to do a Lion King moment with fucking Tom Segura's kid. Tom and Christina's kid as the like the the fucking the comedy prince has arrived. How funny yeah. is that kid gonna be? He's he's 
you know what he's going to be? He's going to be the kind of funny that Tom is, where it's like Tom's not over the top, beating you over his head with a sense of humor. Hanging out with him, he makes you laugh nonstop. And it's that subtle stuff where it's just that the kid's going to be, he's going to be a walking around inside joke. Like he'll say this shit under his breath that'll fucking destroy you. Because Tom is incredibly smart. And like people don't, I'm sure people do realize that, but he is insanely smart. I mean, like, he knows Spanish, he knows all this shit. He's like, he works at a higher level. Uh, I actually got Tom Segura in the comedy, you know, in the stand-up comedy, you know that? No. We we were doing a, a Growlings class together, and, you know, it's a gun recognizes a gun. Yeah. Kid scared me, so I was like, I gotta be friends with this guy, because he was Shut so up. fast. And I was like, dude, you're so fast, you're so funny, because somebody did this to me in Vegas. You should do stand-up comedy. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll take you around. So for the a week, I took him to every comedy show that I knew, and he started doing stand-up, and, and he's just like... He's someone, I, I, there, he could write a book about, and it's it's interesting, and maybe it's just part of his persona, or part of his, part of his per- personality, but like, he's someone who, like, just could get in with great comics and they'd take him with him to like amazing places, but he's not the guy that calls people up like Rogan, can you get me on? Hey uh 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 Sam, um uh Russell Peters, can you take me the O two arena and open yeah. for you? He doesn't do that, but they but everyone loves him. Including myself. I mean, I took him to one of his first road gigs uh up in Sacramento. I fucking he bombed so bad. You have I'll never forget. I remember the I said to the club, I'm bringing my own feature. He's fucking hilarious. He bombed for 25 minutes every single night. And I remember at one point the manager going, "I thought you said he was funny." I go, "He is. You just you don't get it. They don't get it, but I get it." Like I I totally understand that. Like it's getting lost on this road club because everyone's fucking mouth breathing and looking windows. The fucking <laughs> And and the only reason I'm doing good is because I have bad habits, and I'm like, fucking, who likes to eat pussy? And they're like, ah, I love it. And I'm like, ah, this is my 20-minute chunk that it, everyone has kind of done a version of that right. I'm now going to do a version right, of. Right, right, And Tom's not doing that. And then we drove home, and he was like, he's like, man, that, uh, you think they'll have me back? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he is one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite human beings. I told him, I, we went out to dinner, me, him, and Push. This I did this an episode of my blog on this. So if you want to go to my blog, go to Bird Bird Bird. I'm not, you know that if you're listening to this. But and I said to him, I go, dude, do a vlog. I go start a vlog and just I go just run the camera, edit it together. But him and Push are so funny together. They ordered this because they're not leaving the house to have the baby. They got this uh, takeout delivery system. <laughs> they accidentally ordered like five pounds of bacon. <laughs> oh, he's like, and but it's. Tom doing it so you can see it. It's like so I was rubbing bacon with everything we eat. But uh, I fucking love that guy. I, dude, Christina Pajinski is a assassin. She is funny as shit. She's an assassin. She's she, got the thing that all funny women. When I say funny women, I just mean in life. That before you saw stand up women in, on stage, when you met a woman who was funny, you you recognized it in a weird way. You got a crush on them immediately, yeah. and like funny women. And just like funny guys, the 
almost like the definition of a funny guy to everyone was, like, I think Adam Carolla said it was a guy who could do an Ace Ventura impression. There's that type of guy who thinks he's funny. He's like, all righty then. Yeah. And, and he just does, like, his Borat impression all the time. And you're like, enough. That's not funny. But a funny guy, a real funny guy, girls f- had a crush on. Real funny women, men get crushes on. And they always had, like, an ability to make an inside joke that only you and them appreciated. And you almost were like, God, this woman's enriching my life. Yeah, I love I love smart women. I like fast women. I love female comics, man. There's all this, you know, it's so funny. I was doing the Hooters Club last night, and it's like after the club, it's an open mic. And so the room's full of open micers. And I this one very attractive female comic sits down. I just started talking to her. And I'm like, so how do you think it is being a female comic? And she was really cool about it. You know, but I listen to a lot of female comics talk about how hard it is to be a female comic. And I'm like, the truth is, it's hard on everybody. It literally is hard on everybody. You have a, you know, some people hit and you want to think that represents the whole group. And it's really not like that. It's hard on everybody. The thing I will tell you about female comics is like they have a parachute. There used to be these two crazy twin comics who would hang by the comedy store all the time. They were doing comedy, but they really just fucking... With the comedy store bikes, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's riding them. And uh, <laughs> one day they just disappear. I don't see them for, like, two years. I'm, a, I'm walking to the improv. She pulls up in a brand-new Land Rover. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, oh, I got married. I'm dating it. But boom, that's her parachute out. You know what all my male friends who do comedy in the 40s are doing now? Medical testing. They're all <laughs> fucking doing medical testing. They're all fucking lab rats. Taking pills, hoping that they don't get a dick growing out of their fucking forehead for fucking ten grand. That's what they're all fucking doing, dude. Like that's the that's the four hundred one k for a fucking comic. Let me take some pills and don't let a dick grow out of my forehead. I'm gonna lay on this table for one month straight without using my muscles yeah. to simulate what space is like yeah. for astronauts. That's so funny. They have a golden parachute. You know what my friends are doing? Medical. That's what they're all doing, dude. It's so funny because, like, you do, like, I'm not, like, and I'm sure that Eliza would argue this point, but I'm not saying that, that I'm not, definitely not saying she will not be doing stand-up for the rest of her life. But, however, if she chooses to stop because of some emotional crux that we all have at some point where we're like, what the fuck are we talking about? What the fuck are we doing? I don't feel like I'm saying anything original. She definitely could marry any fucking... Oh, she's so hot. She's so beautiful. But I'm going to tell you something about her. Yeah. She, Whitney Cummings, Christina Pichetti... Whitney Cummings could literally... I'm not saying that... I think Whitney's hilarious. I think she'll be doing stand-up for the rest of her life. I do. I she, think both of them are. Both of them. I'm, I'm not saying they aren't, they but, man. They seem to have a... The, yeah, it's, it's, but they're it's, fucking it's, hilarious chicks. Do you know how many fucking good-looking pro-athlete millionaires would love to spend time with a fucking funny, I hot feel, chick? I was talking about that last night. It's like... You know, with the, uh, you know, I was talking about the medical testing. It's like women could always jump on rich, rich dicks. Yeah. You know, guys can't jump on rich snatch. Women, there's no such thing as trickle down pussy. You know, they don't fuck broke dick for fun. They women always got fuck up. That's why I feel bad for famous women, to be honest with you, because they always want to fuck alpha males. And the problem with alpha males is that all the females are going for alpha. Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's a weird thing. It's like Winnie Cummings just. You know, Julia Roberts is such a unique person because she literally fucked, like, the best grip on this, on, on set. And, like, yeah. you know how rare that is to fuck the best grip? Nobody's fucking best grip. What's his name? Danny? I knew his name 
specifically because he's a hero. She was at a party I went to one time. Uh, we went to a party at uh, like a Christmas party. Danny, he was good friends with our friend. They were both grips. Yeah. And he was a really fucking solid guy. I ended up talking to him all night, not knowing it was Julia Roberts' husband. And Julia Roberts was on the couch. She was on the couch. She was looking at belts. I want to say Danny. I wish Danny Motor. Yeah, Julia Motor out there, everybody. Julia Motor. But it's like Whitney. It's like she can't just fuck anybody. What do you mean? She wants to fuck. Women want to fuck up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the way it is. I heard Whitney on Rogan's podcast, and I was, and it sounds like it sounds like a fucking nightmare to be her and single. Like it sounds like there's like dudes have dudes have issues with her money. Dudes have. Or she has issues with dudes having issues with her money. It sounds like, from what I was exper- here at listening on her podcast, that it's like, it's got to be a clusterfuck to be hot, rich, and funny. Yeah. And talented and and driven. That's driven, the other thing. Like, All no, those women are driven. I always say to myself, fuck. what would Whitney do? That's what I say to myself some mornings. Where I like, thought of her yesterday as I was going to the store. I thought, I thought, I wish I had, there was something about her when I first met her that I was like, I saw her do stand up, and I was like, "She's really strong on stage." She when she, I was right. I, you know, dude, I feel like sometimes, oh, it's with, oh, she, no, dude, that girl is a legit assassin. But she's really, she's really, she's really driven. Like she's, and I wish I had her drive. I wish, like, I was like, she's great on stage. Anyone else, I just go, you know, you see what happened. But with her, she's one of those people that you saw, and you were like, "Oh, this is gonna happen." Like, if I was smart, I would. Hang out, hang around her a lot. Jeffrey Ross says she did ten years of work in five years. She yeah. just worked smart. The biggest thing Whitney has, and like this is a blessing and a curse, I feel, is like she knows she knows how to talk to the suits. She knows the words they want to hear and the way they want to hear it. And she's an amazing human being at being able to dictate her thoughts in a way that they love to hear to the point. That it's so effective that sometimes it can be detrimental. And the reason I say that is, like, that show she did, Whitney, was funny. I don't give a fuck what anybody said. But she was so able to convince them that it was so good that they put so much money in advertising that it became – it was impossible for it to do fucking what it was expected to do. It was just impossible. She was getting, like, Jim Carrey returns to television kind of promotions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas if she would have came in on the kind of under radar, it could have built up and could do. I wanted to say say that the real fucking winner out of that show was D'Elia. Oh, 100%. Man, he was so good on that show. He's a good actor, dude. Oh, dude, he's an amazing. I mean. He is he is a genuine. T- I saw I t- saw him last night. He was very nice. But man, I he when I saw him on Whitney, I was like, dude, this guy comes into a scene, steals the scene with no energy. He's not trying to steal a scene. He just is charismatic. He's funny. He's likable. He's likable as fuck. I talked. I I've said this on other podcasts, and I'm sure I'll say it a million other times. One of the things I love about him, he wants to be a action star. He said that on Ron Bennington's podcast or uh, Unmasked. Dude, I believe that could fucking happen. I believe. He's why in, not? Yeah, why not? I believe that. I'd just, fucking go. If he gets an action movie, I will go see that fucking movie opening week. Yeah. And I, I think a ton of people would. He's I, so fucking likable. Dude, he's like, you know, I've had to follow that guy in a fucking comedy Thank show. God I didn't have to follow him last night. I was like. He's a weird guy. I do well after. I don't know why. Him? You know who I followed? Two other people that I followed, like, how did that go well? And it just went well. 
Daniel Tosh, oh. and then David Tell. Oh, those are two guys that I can't because I, uh, I like them so much that I and the, I watched their whole set as a fan, and then I go, oh fuck, I got to do the same magic tricks they just did. I don't have that in me oh, right now. Just there's that I, I want, like, I want I'm the guy following this. Oh, dude, uh, Tosh is Tosh is someone that I believe is probably. I think a lot of people that are my my people my age go, oh, the guy on Comedy Central. Like I think a lot of college kids watch him and they love him. I think. He is someone who could do a tour. He could do – there's a market that is not buying tickets to his show that would fucking um, love that guy. Yeah, 100%. You know who's a sneaky superstar? Who? And, like, I think people do realize, but he never gets talked about in the conversation of just the greatest comics. T.J. Miller. Nobody talks about that Dude. guy. Like, everyone's like, oh, I want this guy. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller is an out-of-the-box fucking thinker, too. By the he way, these are so these are all people. successful. Like, we just talked about Chris Leo Whitney. No, nobody's touching what that guy's doing right now. Oh, yeah. Nobody. I mean, a successful show, a legitimate successful show. It is. Uh, Silicon Valley is one of the funniest shows on 100%. television. No questions asked. He is a fucking hardcore scene stealer in it when he gives the closing speech when he there's a moment where he's got to give a speech at a tech conference and uh and he's fucked someone's wife or something dude tj miller and and another thing about tj and uh, this is and by the way these are all people i would never reach out to do a podcast with i would he never so i'd never successful. reach out to tj i'd never reach out to me too dude but uh, your your podcast I, no but I, like i just i just, I just one. like i like them all but i would feel very uncomfortable like I don't have a problem te- texting Patton to do it, but I but with TJ I go, I don't want to I don't want to force him to do it. I don't want him to resent. I don't want him to go. Dude, uh, he's in Deadpool. Dude, he's on the trailer for Deadpool. How great is that trailer? Oh, it's fucking awesome! I literally sat there watching the trailer, and TJ's in there, and I was like, motherfucker. Now, it is the. Yeah, he's a fucking. You know who else is great? Ryan Reynolds doesn't get enough. Like, dude, that, Ryan Reynolds is worth every $20 million they give dude, him. that guy fucking, his timing is insane. I would I would Good say. Good should not be that, ti- that kind of comedic timing. Yeah. It's he, unbelievable to the point that I almost think it hurts him because people are like, he's too good looking. Yeah. Dude, he's so good. I always saw a parallel between Ryan Reynolds and Dane Cook. Yeah. I always saw a parallel, and I was like, I was like, I wonder if either of them know who the other one is. Well, they did that movie together. Oh, fuck, yeah, they did. Waiting. Yeah. That was a great fucking movie. That was a great and movie. And Dane went for, like, the, Dane had the out, fucking out there character with the tattoos on his face or whatever. I, I, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is legit, man. I could, there's a lot of comics I fucking love. You know, that's one of the things about the stories, you end up really fucking loving comedy. Like, there's some clubs you go to where you're like, God, fuck this guy. Fuck this club. I fucking hate it, man. You come out of the store for one night. I did two nights back to back. And I'm like, God damn it, man. There's a like there's a ton of great comics. Steve Agee. Steve Agee fucking destroyed last night. Yeah. He destroyed so fucking hard. He was like, Well, I just uh I'm not gonna do one of his jokes, but but because that would be fucking not cool because I'd fuck it up and then people were like, He's not that funny. But man, he had a joke about hemorrhoids. That I was off to the wings, and I was laughing so hard I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't stop laughing at him fucking just meandering through a bit. Like, just kind of fucking, you know, Steve, like, 
he is fucking amazing. Dude, it is amazing time in comedy. I it is. Like you think about it. Sandler's back. David Spade's back. Uh, all these guys that I've... Dude, I would... I'd pay money to see David Spade. 100%. I'd pay money to see Adam Sandler. And now they're going on tour with Swartzen. All these guys are back. All it's going to do is breathe excitement about comedy. And I'm telling you, man, it is the best year to be on the road. It is a great time, dude. It is a great time to do comedy because, like, there's not a lot of rules now. You could, as long as it's funny, you could almost talk about anything now. Yeah. Thanks to, you know, Tosh.0 and Workaholics and, and uh, 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 South Park. Dude, Workaholics is such a great fucking show. Dude, it is so the good. The end of this podcast is going to be titled Bert and Sam Sucking Everyone's Dick. Yeah. Hey, guys, just do us a little fucking, just show us some love on when you talk and go, man, Bert and Sam are fucking hilarious. Uh, dude, I'm blow-banging <laughs> everybody right now. I'm sucking 18 dicks on this fucking podcast right now. Yeah, dude. I think it's a great time to do comedy. I love it. When I go on the road, it's a totally different experience, man. I used to be like, oh, I hope these guys like me when I walk <laughs> up. It's so just funny like, that you oh, think that. I hope they get it. You know, now it's like, fuck, dude. As long as it's funny, dude. As long as it's funny, they'll give it a shot. And it's like, even mid in the Midwest. Sometimes Midwestern crowds, in Flo- like Florida's great for comedy. They're better than fucking West Coast crowds. But Arizona's great. Everywhere's great. I'm ex- San Francisco's great. Canada's phenomenal. It's just like, what a fun place to do comedy. Yeah. It's just a great time. And you know what, man? I, I owe my whole career to the internet. Just because I'm putting out content, I'm finding people, I'm finding people, I'm finding people. And they know my comedy. And, like, it's so weird to be in a foreign city. People are like, triple you. like, oh, that would never What's, happen. When, when do you think it's going to be the time that someone steps up and says, Sam, I'd like to own all your content. How much can I pay you? So that when you make something, I own it. And would you I ever had a guy that? a long time ago try to do it, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't fuck you money. So I'm like, no, dude. Like every, I want what would be the price point? What would be the price point if so, for someone to step up right now and go, I would like to, I'd like to be in the business of Sam Tripoli. I, will, uh, I would like to own 50% of all the content you put on out from here on out. I don't know. Oh, dude, that's a great question. What is your number? Do you have a number? I'm never, I'd have to think about that. I can, I can come up with a number pretty quickly. Um, How many I'm thinking, zeros? honestly, no, you, I'd be, you'd be shocked. I'd do it for, to do, uh, to own all my, everything I put out. Half of everything you put out. Half of, half of everything. I'd probably do it for $700,000. That's not a bad number. 700, uh, oh, by the way, a year. They just own it for a year? For one, no, no, I get, fuck, I don't know, maybe I'm fucking this up. For I if you said to me, um, if you I probably do it for less now that I'm thinking about it. If you said for I'll give you I'll give you half a million dollars a year. Uh, I'll give you half a million dollars a year, and I will own half of all the content you put out there. Uh, if it sells in perpetuity, I will still own half. Uh, if it goes viral, I own half. I get half your ad sales on your podcast. I get half your ad sales on your YouTube channels. I can, I'd probably do it for probably half a million dollars. Now, if you want to talk about putting that in, folding that into travel, like like Travel Channel, working for Travel Channel, it would be, it would be much more to do a TV show because TV shows so you're so intense. But I'm talking like just what I'm putting out right now because this is the shit I I do I do for free. Yeah, it I would, love it for yeah, five hundred thousand dollars. I'd probably consider having a partner in this where I go 
A year? Uh, a year. I go $100,000 a year. Just you can have half my shit. Yeah, and you, you go. You $100,000 a year, you don't have to worry about shit. You give me a partner. Let's say, let's say Mark Cuban rolled up. Listen, someone do me a favor. If you're listening to this and you know Mark Cuban, send us this his way. I think this is a good, I think this is an interesting business plan. $100,000. I'd probably do this. I'd probably, I'd probably sell. Two fifty, I'd sell. No questions asked. Two hundred fifty dollars a year. You can suggest content. And Mark Cuban says, "Listen, this is what I want. I want half Did of you go every to Shark Tank and and pitch that. I, I want half of everything you do. I don't want you to slow down production because you're getting paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now you're on vacation. I want you to produce They'd like have you to were. Stipulate what you have to put out. Yeah, and 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 I want you to keep creating. And I I want for that half. I want to be able to do with it what I want." So Mark Cuban could go. I sold it to the Sultan of Brunei. He paid like a million dollars, and he and he and you can't put it online. But he listens to your podcast by himself. <laughs> no one else can listen to it except for the Sultan of Brunei. But here's a million dollars. We're gonna split it. I'd fucking I would. Yeah. That's an interesting. That would be an interesting business plan is to purchase. Okay, let's let's fold it into this. Okay. We're doing Shark Tank. Right We're doing now. Shark Tank. You're selling me. I would like to. How about this? What would it cost? Fuck, I don't know if there's... Uh, maybe I'm not good at business, but, like, what would it cost for him to to get... Are you allowed to renegotiate? That's my question. Like, what what is it? Are you, like, an NBA player? Are you signing a five-year, $100,000-a-year contract? Because what if you blow up? You ready for this? A 10-year contract. So you're guaranteeing the money you've put in yourself already. We're all guaranteeing that in 10 years something very massive is happening with our careers. Yes. We're, we're definitely oh, – I plan on getting bigger than I am today. Ten-year contract. Same price point every year for 10 years. Would you sign a million-dollar contract where you get $100,000 for the next 10 years? Yes. I would in a heartbeat. And I didn't think twice about it. With the freedom of that, I would just go effing crazy, dude, on everything. I would go effing. I would be putting out the craziest, weirdest shit. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I, if I would do it for two point five million dollars, if you gave me two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, because I think at two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, I could leisure. I'm talking. I'm not. I'm talking now. Well, because you break that down, it's going to be like a hundred. After taxes. So if you pitch a TV show, he gets half of what you make up. If, if I'm when I go get to Travel Channel, he gets half of my paycheck. Dude, I think you're gonna get hit up by somebody. If I had a shitload, I'd be like, I'll invite. I'll hit up her. You're basically offering stock options in my career. You should do that. Dude. I'll give you 49 percent of my career. I still want to be the controlling owner yeah. of what I do. You want 51 percent of Berkshire Enterprises. Mark Cuban, I'm offering 49. I'm offering 49 percent of my career to you. Dude, you should see if you can pitch that. I mean, even if it doesn't get picked up. And just come out and just go, hey, guys, my name is Burt Kreischer. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a podcaster. I'm a vlogger. I'm a television host. I'm an actor. And in 1997, Rolling Stone magazine called me the number one party animal in the country. I'm 43 years old. I have two children. I'm also a safe bet. I don't drop the N-word. I I don't fucking say too outrageous as shit, but I'm talented. Yeah. I would like to offer you 49% ownership in my company for $2.5 million over the next 10 years. 
I dude, you should right now call up Shark Tank and see if they'll let you do that. And then Mark Cuban go, oh, you know what? Because Mark Cuban could then go, I'll take it, and I'll make you a fucking star, and I'll just get a re- investment on my money. Mark Cuban just takes me to every single game with him. Hey, guys, it's Bert Kreiser. <laughs> hey! Yeah. Bert, take your shirt off. 100%, on dude. Ah! 100%. That would be fucking great. It would be great, dude. That's that's my fucking, that's my Shark Tank. You should have your agents call up Shark Tank, see if you can pitch it. Right that. now, my agents will be like, 2.5 over 10 years is a, not a lot of money. And by the way, did I do my math right? I think I did my math right. Yeah, That's twenty thousand dollars a year. They would be happy with that. And I'm getting, I'm also getting fifty-one percent of the but money dude, that I bring in. That doesn't in. mean you can't work. That yeah. just means oh, right. they're getting half of what you're talking about. Yeah. So you can even stipulate that. And they I'm get, also getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and I'm getting on top. Like if I do nothing that year, they I get, get half of what you make. Mean you pay out. You tell your agents, I'm paying you out this, and then he gets half of what I make. Yeah. It doesn't affect their bottom line. And I got Mark Cuban in my pocket, yeah. who's like, who's like, hey, you got, uh, well, uh, first of all, I think we You're can, move, have the access com- to I think we can move the company to Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, I am 51% owner, but yeah. he does have a pool my kids can go swimming in. Yeah. All right, we're going to Dallas. You, you'd be on Access TV, which is only going to get bigger. You'd be on, you could do some stuff on MSNBC. And I got 10-year, I got a 10-year uh, parachute where yeah. I know. I'm not going anywhere for 10 years. I can really make the content I want. Yeah. I start making my content. It goes on Axis. And you're still making road money. You're still making road money. Still doing the road. You're making a little less now because you're giving half of that up. Uh Yeah. But that's fine. I'm sure. Okay, let's do it. But your money will go up because you're the guy from Shark Tank who sold half his brand. You will make up in what you give up. And then in, like, little things, like I'm wearing Mavericks shit everywhere I go. Yeah. I think you should do it, dude. I think oh. you're in a, a great place to do that. That's a great – I wonder if I can do that. All right, we got uh, We should probably end this podcast. Joe Diaz right, should be here. I love minute. you with all my heart. And if Joey comes over and you're still here, I'd kind of like both of you here, but I don't know. I got a jam. All right. Uh, what, tell, them about the, tell them about the thing. It's the man he – Tour, Punchlines and Slow Grinds through the Northeast, January 19th through the 30th. Go to samtriplee.com for all the info. And then next week is the Naughty Show at the Comedy Store, host, uh, sponsored by Fleshlight. I love the people at Fleshlight. Dude, they're great. We're going to do some more projects, too. And you got uh, you got uh, Ari, Bobby Lee, Tiffany Haddish. You got to have her on your podcast. She's I know. I've known Tiffany fast. for a long time. Uh, Jason Tebow, Jason Rouse, and El- Eleanor Kerrigan. And just check out me and Chad Zumach. If you're in the Northeast, we're coming to a city near you. I guarantee you, you will have the best time ever. It will be murder fest. Sam, I love you, man. Thank you. And go to CD.com. I just put out my old CD for the first time digitally. The first CD I ever met with some fucking classics on it. Really? So go to CD.com backslash artist backslash Sam Tripley. Check out my CD. I love you, sir. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the machine. Hey guys, trip flip tonight on Travel Channel. It's a new episode. It's an hour-long special. It's Vietnam, and I promise you with all my heart, you will absolutely love it. It is inarguably our opus. It's the one of the best ones we've ever done. Usually that's how it works. When they're hour specials, that means the network likes it so much they want to make it longer. 
This is fantastic. Uh, we do something in this, and I've talked about this before on this podcast and in these intros, but we do something tonight that is uh, buzzworthy. It is one of the coolest things, and I heard about it from a friend of mine, and this is the beauty of this show. I heard about it from a friend of mine. He said when he did it, they pulled a cockroach out of his ear, and so I said, I got to do that. So we go get our ears cleaned with these surgical tools on the street and during rush hour. Fucking amazing. So go watch it. Trip Flip on Travel Channel tonight. Uh, as always, uh, go to my pod. You know, just find me. Go, go be curious about me today. Take a day to spend the time. I put out, there's so much content I have out there. You should go check some of it out. Go to my YouTube channel. Go to my website. Check out my tour dates. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You know what? Rate, review this podcast. This is all free content. Only thing I charge for are t-shirts, my book, and my stand-up. That's it. That's it. Because we have great sponsors like Sapa Mattresses. Sapa Mattresses uh, it was a hookup. Honestly, it's not the traditional um, type of uh, sponsor you'd get because what happened is fellow fat friend Tom Segura got a hold of this mattress and he liked it. And he liked it so much he said he wanted to talk about it on their podcast. And they basically said, you know what? If, if, if that's the deal, then let me give some of your friends, see if they like it, see if they'll talk about it. And that was the deal. And we all fucking love these mattresses. Everyone loves these goddamn mattresses. And I do believe sleep is where you should invest your money. I am dead serious when I say that. If I have a shitty night's sleep, I feel like a dead man the whole next day. Who cares how nice my car looks? Spend $50,000 on a car? Not really. My wife never let me spend I don't even know how much we spent on our car. Well, I know we're trying to buy a second car, and we're having a hard time. We're fighting about it. But we don't fight about buying a mattress. We bought this really, really expensive one, because I like that's the way I like to work. Really expensive. But what I didn't realize is that you're paying for all the overhead that it takes to get the mattress to the store, to get the mattress from the, all the bullshit, the guy who needs the parking spot. You're paying for the coffee that everyone that sells mattresses drinks. This is an online entity. So when you buy this mattress, you're paying for no overhead. It is basically quality worth exactly the same price point you'd pay for a $2,000 mattress. You're paying for, you're spending 800 bucks. You're just getting the goods. They got this spinal honeycomb system. Look, I don't sell mattresses. I'm just telling you what I like. And if you like it, Go to SmarterBed.com, SmarterBed.com. I'm almost certain it's SmarterBed.com. I could swear to you on my children it's SmarterBed.com. If it's SmarterBed, I'm going to be so pissed off. It's SmarterBed.com. And uh, when you purchase your mattress, at the very end, as you hear about us, click podcast. That way they know that you guys are listening and we're reaching out to you and that we appreciate their mattress. We appreciate Sapa Mattresses. You could, S-A-A-T-V-A is the name of the mattress company. But to make it easier, just go to smarterbed.com. Look, I'm going to read something they told me to read. See if it makes sense to you. Oh, by the way, okay, I'll, these are some talking points I said. They don't just drop it off on your doorstep, on your doorstep uh, and leave you to deal with it. They deliver it and install it and then take away your old mattresses. It's a luxury product that can be folded into a box. More like you'd be sleeping on at the Four Seasons. Um, they say that if you sleep on this bed, you'll live guaranteed 15 years longer that can't be right oh no i'm kidding i just made that one up <laughs> and here's the best part they give you a risk-free 75 in-home trial 75 day in-home trial so if you don't like it in 75 days fucking call them up they'll pick it up and they'll bring you back your old they're not going to bring you back your old mattress i think you're in uh, look it's interesting that we talk about this because 
I had a conversation with the guy that we talked to today. Uh, everyone's been asking where this podcast is. Everyone has been asking where this podcast is. Because I taped it, and then I did one with his co-host, and I released his co-host the very next day because I had the video. And uh, I've been holding on to it because I kind of enjoyed the attention I was getting from his fans. Why does he have fans? He's the co-host of uh, Faction Radio with Jason Ellis, Jason Ellis Radio. It's the Faction channel on SiriusXM. Sometimes I think SiriusXM has their heads up their fucking asses, to be dead honest with you. As a subscriber for 16 years, I've been a subscriber as long as XM has been around and Sirius. And sometimes I go, why can't you just make it easy for me to find my shows? That's why I got the app. Check out the app. It's really great. Um, it's on your phone. You go through data pretty quickly, but uh, but it's not that bad. And, and that's where I listen to this show. Um, he is a best-selling author because he, he co-authored both of Jason Ellis' books. He is smart as shit. He's an ex-musician. He's fascinating. He's a really interesting guy. At the end of this podcast, we do an analogy off, an analogy battle, and he wins. I shouldn't tell you that he wins, but he wins. He could very easily do stand-up comedy tomorrow if he chose to. He is genuinely a renaissance man and one of the more interesting people I've ever talked to. His path in life is fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together unless you're driving. Don't put your hands together. Keep them at 10 and 2 or whatever Bill Burr says to put them at. Uh, my friend, Michael Tully. But, uh, yeah, that's why my brain thinks. You know what it is? I'll tell you what. I'll be dead fucking honest with you. I have, I'm going to therapy for the first time. Okay. And, uh, and obviously I watched the... Kurt Cobain thing, and I have an issue with, I have an issue with false, with, 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 uh, performers creating idolatry. Does that make sense? Performers creating idolatry. What does that mean to you? Like, like, Kurt Cobain writes amazing fucking first album. By the way, I'm talking to Mike Tully. We are sitting in the man cave. Uh, we are, um, uh, we're talking about Montage of Heck, which I brought up on the walk-in. And you were like, interesting, because I don't think you, you sound like you weren't totally into Nirvana growing up. Uh, I've always been a, a contrarian. I don't know if I understand that word correctly. I'm pretty sure that just means you're a dick. <laughs> so I got... I, you're, you're a cynic. He, <sighs> you're a heartfelt cynic. And I know that for the first time I met you. You're a heartfelt cynic. Yeah. I think what I finally learned about myself, because there's so many big movies that I never saw. I didn't see all the... I never seen, like, Top Gun and shit like that. And I wasn't... And that's the tip of the iceberg, Bert. <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was trying to avoid those movies. I just feel like um, I've come to realize that I need to find something for myself to like it. If I find just some little band for myself, I'll convince myself they're the greatest band in the world. If Rolling Stone says so and so is the future of rock and roll, I just li I don't. I'm, I'm trying to listen with an no, open mind. Yeah, but I go, no, fuck this. This is bullshit. I've heard this all before. So I actually. I would say I'm not like a Bleach era Nirvana fan, but I would say I was listening to Nirvana a couple of months before a lot of other people were. And yeah. as soon as it got that big, I was like, meh. I'm the exact meh. same way. I'm the exact same cool. way. With and I was out by in utero. Okay. And really? I, and I was listening to a bunch of fey, shitty English bands. Yeah. Because they were the furthest thing from what everybody in my high school liked. I was, I was, um, I'm that same way. We saw Dave Matthews at the Cow House. I think it's called the Cow House or the Milk Bar. In Tallahassee in 90, probably before I went to Russia, so 94. In 94, 
maybe 93 even, and he, he was amazing. I mean, I was blown away. And we got, everyone got his album at his show, and we all played it. And then when he got popular success, I was like, I cannot stomach this. And the girl I was dating who ended up cheating me and sleeping with my best friend, she loved it. And she, that was like her jam. And, and and then she cheated on me when I got back from Russia. Well, at, least Matthews, at least you're over it now. <laughs> dude, I am dying to run into her. I swear to God. She's an actress in New York. I'm dying to run into her one day and just be the shallow piece of shit I, I am in my heart. You know, like just be like, oh, hey, are you still trying to act? Because you told me I'd never be a comedian. And, and oh, my God, what time is it? Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? Like just a fucking asshole because I really – it did it did really burn me. I hope she's happy in all honesty. But – like you know, there's some little part of you. Know, you hope she's not a leper or anything. I hope she. I hope she's. I hope she's still hot. To be honest with you, I don't know why. I hope she's still hot. And I run into her, and I look disgusting compared to what she dated. Like she'd be like, oh, God, thank God I dropped out when the stock was at the highest. So, but no, but I, I feel the way you felt is that Dave Matthews epitomized for me mediocrity. It, epi- it, epi- it epitomized. You know, Kurt Cobain said in this interview, they said, "Now you guys are the it band." And he goes, "Everyone just wants to be hip." Like, he's like, almost like they don't like our music. They just like the fact that everyone's playing us. And it was fascinating to me because that's how I feel. And I, I felt that way with comics. Like, comics that I thought were brilliant, then they get mainstream success. And then all of a sudden I'm like, uh, you know? Now, I know there's this weird code of omerta in the comedy world. Which, I'm which I'm dumber not, than you are. What's which, omerta? Um, what? God, it's... Uh, my brain isn't fully awake yet. Alberta's the the mafia thing of we don't talk. Yeah. So I'm not a stand-up comedian, so I can like freely express my opinion Biggest about comedians. Your life, by the way. What's that? But you're not not ever getting on stage and doing stand-up. It's not too late. It's not too late, and I would definitely do it if I were you. You're one of the funnier. I was thinking this on the treadmill. I I will simply call you third Mike, only because you have this ability to not step on the conversation, not redirect it unless it's necessary, and you consistently say the thing that is ten times funnier than anyone said in the room, and you don't you don't try it a hundred times, you know your punches. Like when you said the fucking we, – we were on there and I was talking about putting fingers and girls' asses. You're talking about my regular job, which, which is which, – On the Jay Fellow Show, yeah. I'm serious, XM, yeah. Serious. I did. I don't – Know where I put them? Um, they're probably in the bathroom. I know Bert is cleansing, but if you would like a donut, I brought some. Donuts. She's on a cleanse too, because the big man's on a cleanse. Oh man! Um, Should I just take those back out with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, my daughters will fucking murder them. I figured that. I, um, I have a child as well. But uh, but but that, and I I was saying like it's a, it's a, it's an insult to say third mic because there's only two people on your show. But I don't even know what the I've only just recently like oh, 2 weeks ago and I've been doing radio for almost 10 years heard the concept of first mic second mic third mic. Jim Norton Jim Norton is the quintessential third mic. Okay. Jim Norton is one of the funniest comics working and he would sit back in that show and yeah. when he spoke you knew it was going to be gold. Okay, we are going to talk analogies today. Yeah. I I have here's the analogy for what I do. Are you a sports guy at all? Yes. I get to just uh, stand in the corner and shoot threes. Yeah. Jason creates the You're Steve Alford. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Steve Kerr. I'm, I'm any number of – Steph Curry. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, no. Because well, he's kind of leading the team. as yeah, yeah, the MVP. Well, I would like to think I can create my shot from time to time. Yeah. But uh, uh, somebody else gets in the lane and disrupts the defense, and especially when there's a guest on and there's more voices, and I get to just sit there and go, I am standing here, and I am ready, and I all you do is put the ball in my hands, and all I need to do is sink that shot. Yeah. So it it looks harder than it is. When you only have to make a joke every couple minutes. Yeah, but time. but you do it well. Thank you. That was my, that was my 
perception is that you 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 seem to um you seem to take on your position with the kind of thing where the where the, where the coach would have been like we need to get him the ball more like you know like 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 that's where I say you should try stand up you should okay. definitely try stand up because it's funny you should I I have actually been thinking about it for the first you, time you should definitely life. try stand up and and I wouldn't I wouldn't do this is me I've been doing it for 15 years. I wouldn't start off in like a big show with a bunch of fans. I'd do some regular like improv, like no one knows you, and really find your voice mm-hmm. and who you're comfortable with. Yeah. And then honestly, you could go on tour pretty quickly. <laughs> well, let's talk about this afterwards. I don't know how interesting this is to other people. I feel like I have a three-year-old kid, and I feel like the window where that – I feel like I'd be swimming upstream at no. this point. No. Not at all. Really? Not at all. I have two kids. I started touring 100% of the year mm-hmm. when my daughter was born. Because had I done it when I was 25, that's what I should have been doing. Because I was yeah. basically – I was doing everything that I think a 25-year-old comedian does other than comedy. I was a waiter, and I was an alcoholic. And you were writing scripts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. I should have just been, instead of bullshitting 100% with – Ukrainian chicks in the East Village. I should have occasionally been trying it out in front of a microphone. Did you start in New York? Um, I'm from... You're from New Jersey, right? I'm from New Jersey. You have some Jersey ties as well. No, Philly. Okay, well, Jersey Shore. Yeah, Jersey Shore. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Um, and uh, grew up in Jersey, went to high school in New York City. I'm actually going back for my 20th high school. You went to high school in the city? Yeah, I used to take the bus and the subway to high school every day. Wow, what was that like? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. I never did it any other way. Uh, kind of, you know. Well, you know, when you're young, you're not like afraid of dying or anything. So when you'd see like the, you know, the guy who was like stained in his own feces that was like sort of like lazily waving a blade at people, you yeah. know, you, you weren't afraid of that. You were like, wow, I'm really in New York City. I feel like uh, going to high school in New York City would have been like growing up in the suburbs of Fallujah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, once I had to go down into like the subway is one thing, but the neighborhood that my high school is in is the Upper East Side, which okay. is like J.D. Salinger, New York, if that still means anything. Mm-hmm. I had high school in Central. I mean, I had a phys ed in Central Park. Oh, how badass is that? So it was a lot more like it, it almost had like a Dead Poet Society vibe where I went. God, that's really cool. It was cool. So that's why like it's crazy. I'm flying back for one day for my 20th high school reunion in two weeks. Which I feel like I need to explain what a cool place it was that I went to high school to explain how lame it is that I'm willing to fly across the country just to go to my reunion. So what was it like? Like, did you guys wear uniforms? No uniforms. I think his kids used to get mugged on the subway, and they had oh. to get rid of the uniforms. <laughs> I was, no, I went to high school in the 90s, so we're, you're coming out of the tail end of New York in the 70s. What year? What year? Because I'm trying to think. I graduated in 95. Okay, I was about yeah. So it's just started cleaning up then, I guess, right? This is prime time Giuliani, broken windows, Bill Bratton, New York. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, Your parents sent you into New York because I'm imagining private school, good school, really good school. Um, and your dad's a dentist. Uh, my dad was like management at AT and T. Okay. Um, uh, it, it was uh, it was free. The high school was free. Really. All scholarship. Crazy place. Like when I say Dead Poets Society um, or, or Rushmore. Rushmore is like my favorite movie because my high school is actually very Rushmore-esque. All boys. Yeah. And uh, in on Christmas morning, 1912, an anonymous benefactress gave the Jesuits like $4 million, the Jesuit priests. Um, uh, I went to a Jesuit high school. Okay, yeah, so you know. 
gave the Jesuits like $4 million to build a free high school for Catholic boys in New York City, and they built this like beautiful Shut up. place on – yeah, and you had to pass a test, and you had to pass an interview, and I mean, initially, I thought I had no chance of getting in. I would just, first, I went to the open house, because I just wanted to see what a school like that would look like, Yeah. and then they're like, well, take the test, and I was like, well, that sounds like fun. So I took the test, and I and I passed, and, and I was like, well, I'll still never, and they're like, well, do the interview, and, and by the time I had done the interview, now I'd been to this place three times, and I was like, I'm, with all due respect to suburban New Jersey, I'm not going back there ever again. Yeah. So it's, it's so interesting. I went to a Jesuit school. I was school at a private school in grade school. And in eighth grade, we were at basketball practice, and Eric Nuppel and Brian Callahan were like, hey, we're going to go take a tour of this school. And I was like, and I, I really, honestly, I just said to my parents, like, when I got home, I was like, hey, Brian and Eric are doing a tour of this school. Should we go? My dad's like, yeah. I think it was cheaper, too. And my dad's like, fuck yeah. Let's go. So we took a tour, and my dad kept saying to me, buddy, this smells like where I went to high school. And it, and for some reason, I, I do things that my dad did, does. I don't know why. I, and I almost find myself doing them and then almost like nodding, like no one knows that my dad did that first, but now I'm redoing it. Okay, what would be another example? Like last night, uh, we're playing, Georgia's at a softball game. My dad used to always say to me from the, from the he was a coach, but he would say from the dugout, Bert, get a base hitter, you spend the night in the closet. And everyone would laugh. And I'd always go, he's not really put me in the closet. Last night I said, George, get a base hitter, I put you in the closet. And everyone laughed. And I, But no one knew that it's my dad's joke. But the fact that it smelled like his school, and I wanted that kind of like, I was nostalgic for, I was nostalgic for boyhood, if that makes sense. As a boy. As a boy. Like, I, I'd gone to this predominantly <laughs> Jewish okay, grade school. And, and there was no, like, the sports were really bad. And, and, like, I was on varsity baseball in, like, eighth grade. And, like... And and it just was like it was really like a, a a nebbish school like very scholarly, and I was nostalgic for testosterone. I think, I think I wanted something that was a little realer. Boy, I got it first day of school. Spencer Ford punched Eric Nupple in the face, and I was like, "What the fuck did I sign up for?" But uh, but yeah, same way as you. Did you enjoy the Jesuit process? I love it. Did you have like brothers teaching you? Um. Yeah, I mean, even then they were having trouble recruiting for the priesthood, so I don't yeah. think there were nearly as many priests there had been. We had the, I mean, honestly, the, the laity for people that that's the people in the church who aren't priests. You know, um, there were a lot of lay teachers um, that may as well have been priests, like, like Mr. Mercandante, but he'd wear the fucking outfit. Well, and I mean, people who only recently retired after teaching at the school for 60 years just yeah. like human statues human pillars of what this school represented yeah. so there was a lot of that we did have i had a rivalry with uh a guy what are they jesuit scholastics is what they're called because you don't it scholastic you sign up to be a priest when you're like 18 or 20 or whatever but yeah. they put you through the ringer and you don't actually get to be a priest as a jesuit until you're like 31 or Maybe it's thirty three when Jesus died or Did he wear the blue shirt with the with the with the collar? Uh the light blue shirt with the collar? He had options. I remember they would let them wear the collar and you could tell that they were really proud of themselves the days that they yeah. wore the collars that they hadn't fully earned yet. But I remember this guy, he was really proud of his speaking voice and Somebody, uh, it was relayed to me. It's a very, very long story, but uh, somebody mentioned me to him when I wasn't in, in the room, and he said, "Mike Tully is scum." <laughs> <laughs> we, we had, we had, we had those guys too. 
Dude, ours, dude, now, I want to know about inappropriateness because ours were very, ours were, our teachers were semi-racist, semi-massively um, sexist. I remember them explaining, I remember them standing, sitting up and going, let me explain to you how society works. You as white males are number one. Wow. No, I didn't get that. My school was not like that. Black males, number two. Kari Brown, that's you. Third is is white women. I mean, like literally broke it down. I mean, is that even true? Uh, no, it's not true. Uh, it's uh, probably in the finance the financial earnings process, maybe. But they sat us down and told us that you ready for this? Now, did you have this experience? In you had religion class, right? Of course, yeah. Did they show you a third trimester abortion? No, my school was actually very liberal about religion, which is funny for a religious school. Now, was your school in the city? In Tampa. Okay. In Tampa. Oh, maybe is that is it a southern? It's thing? Southern, yeah. Oh, so okay. They showed us a third trimester abortion where they break the body up inside and vacuum it out. No, 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 no. No, I think the lore of Manhattan and what it represents culturally to the world makes even religious people who live there be like, yeah, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not super hung up on it. And did you have those? Like, did you did you ever see the movie Heaven Help Us? Heaven Help Us. Is that a Warren Beatty movie? No. Oh, that is a Warren Beatty movie. Uh, oh, not. God damn it! It's not Heaven Help Us. We're no saints. No. Uh, no. Um, what's the movie with uh, Matt Dillon's brother, Kevin Dillon? Nope. I've never seen Kevin Dillon in anything ever. Are you Are you serious? Yes, dude. I told I, you I've never seen anything. God damn it! How I just watch. I just watch like trauma movies, dude. And my wife is fully on board, so it's not like I. It's It's only narrowed my cultural focus. Uh, the other night we watched uh, a Chevy Chase movie from 1981 where he develops kinetic powers after getting toxic waste dumped on him. I think I saw that when it came out. <laughs> but that's like a Friday night at my it's house. Is Goldie Hawn? No, no, and, no, 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 no. No, they're at the beach and he like gets up on the bed and he's like levitating. I think I saw that when it came out. There may have been more than one Chevy Chase telekinesis comedy in the early 80s. I'm going to find out the goddamn name of that movie. Yeah, go for it. It's such a great movie. Mm-hmm. Heaven Help Us. Yeah, Heaven Help Us, right. Yeah, Heaven Help Us. I never saw it. It was, it was a, about an all-boys ca- all Catholic high school in the city in the 50s. And they, like, dig. Did you have, like, dances with the girls' school? Yeah. Really? It was great because it was an all-boys school that I went to, and only boys from our school could go to the dances, but any girl could go. It was it was a pretty cool school. So that's awesome. So you excited to see the guys? I am. I actually really am. Yeah. The, my experience at my tent, and look, it's like just as soon as you count on anything in life, it's not what you, just as soon as you, you, know, you think you have it figured out. My tent was like, because it was a small class, and I think because there weren't girls, we, we, we weren't very competitive. Sports wasn't a big deal at my school, and we didn't have girls, so I don't think we had ways of like socially ranking one another. Yeah. Of course, you had an idea who was cool and wasn't, but there was no way of actually proving it with football or getting laid. It was the best, beautiful thing about an all boys Catholic yeah. high school is that there was there was no nerds. Well, and also this is a school for for bright kids, so I think even the cool jock kids were also kind of closet nerds. Yeah. So nobody was gonna unless you had to be really nerdy. You had to fully be like Dungeons and Dragons at lunch. Yeah. To be like a nerd in my school, so. Everybody it was a small class, so if I graduate with 110 guys, I consider 70 of them friends. And at the 10-year reunion, it was the wildest social experience I've ever had in my life of, oh, you, how are you doing? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, that's so funny. That's so awesome to see you. 45-degree turn. Oh, <laughs> you, yeah. how are you doing? Just over and over 
50 times. And, yeah. of course, I, I've repeated that story so many times that there's absolutely no way that's going to happen, happen on my 20th. Nobody's going to come, and the people who do are just going to be, like, doing 20th bumps, is better. 20th doing is bumps better. in the bathroom. Oh, that was our 20th anniversary. <laughs> our 20th anniversary was at the beach. Uh, my buddy Blake paid for all of it. Like, he footed the bill for everyone, for the whole thing. Because everyone was supposed to, everyone chipped in money, and, I mean, everyone was supposed to pay for it, but my buddy, but a bunch of people didn't, and my buddy Blake just covered the whole thing. And, uh, it was fucking awesome. It was, but it was like, I mean, it was like debauchery. Like, we stayed at, we stayed at a hotel on the beach in Clearwater for a whole weekend, and, like, no one brought, like, a couple people brought their kids, but, like, pretty much their kids were, my, our kids were down the, down the beach, and it was fucking chaos. I mean, like... Everyone reverted back to. It was so funny. I remember everyone calling each other by their high school nicknames, and you haven't heard those. Hey, Frankenberry. Hey, the Reekins here. I'm like, guys, that's racist now. But uh, the Reekin? We was well, oh, uh, our school was Puerto very Rican. racist. It was like we had one Puerto Rican guy. We called him the Reekin. Sure. We had one Indian guy. We called him Chief. We had one black guy. We called him Brother. We had one <laughs> Jewish guy. We called him Shylock. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, they, they would Offen- offensive and very very clever to boot. Oh, <laughs> well, the teachers gave them that name. The oh, teachers, I remember when we were your high school. Your high school, school has, your high school has nothing in common with my high school. The Merchant of Venice. Uh, <laughs> Merchant of Venice. So let's just consider Andrew Wall Shylock, okay? So this guy wants a pound of your flesh. Yeah, just like Andrew. Just like Andrew. His people killed Jesus. Do you realize that? I mean, what would he even do with the flesh? It doesn't matter. The point Andrew, is... what would you do with the flesh? What would you do with the flesh? And Andrew's like, why are you putting me in this? The point is, he wants it and he's got the contract, so he's going to kill you. Fucking <laughs> someone tried to stab Andrew, like, after that class, I think, out by the chapel. <laughs> Did you have that one Friday every year that, that you, uh, like, every semester where you had just mass in the morning and then you got to go home? Uh, I don't remember that one either. Uh, it's, uh, there's no point in me, in, me, me trying to connect. Like, you just brought back, like, no one ever talks to me about All Boys Catholic High School, and I feel like it's something that's lost. I love it. I'd be very, you don't, you have daughters, right? Yeah, two daughters. There's a, there's a, uh, a really expensive All Boys Jesuit High School here in Los Angeles, and if I still, uh, Loyola. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if I, I don't, if I still live in L.A., and if my kid can be talked into going to an All Boys Catholic High School, and, and if LA. there's any way I could possibly afford it, three humongous ifs, you talk about, you know, uh, yeah. replicating your, your dad's stuff, I'm so incredibly conscious of not trying to, like, force who I am and my experiences and likes and dislikes and its attitudes on my kid. But if there was ever one time I would, I would take a shot at that, that would be the one. I love it. It's so it, I, I can tell you feel the same way without you even saying oh, it. Oh, I like, want a, a, sing, a singularly formative experience. It really is. It teaches you. It taught me how to be a stand-up comedian, no questions asked. It taught me how to tell a story. It taught me how to hold a room. It taught me how to, it taught me how to fist fight. It taught me how to not to fist fight. Like, who not to fist fight with? Wow. Who let shit go by? Like, I learned a lot. It was a little bit like a junior prison. <laughs> like, I learned a little bit of – you can tell, by the way, we're going to get into an analogy off. But, like yeah. – and this is coming, everybody. But I, uh, I, I speak in analogies. I feel like I, it's the easiest way for me to communicate a thought to people. Now, let's – what time do you got to head out? Your show starts at noon? Uh, yeah. I okay. probably Oh, I got, I got a little bit. Of, I, I have, like, another – I have another hour at least. Okay, okay, good. I'm good. So um, so then you leave Jesuit, you go to Oxford. Well, yeah. Oh, I went to – I did go to Oxford for a year. That is true, but it sounds – In England. It, yeah, Oxford, England. Um, it's, I've been very fortunate with my educational experiences, to say the very least, um, uh, considering I tend to backdoor into them. Like I was the last person that – I think the last person that got into my high school off the waiting list 20 years ago. Yeah. So I, I really didn't actually belong there. And then I took a couple of years off because I thought I was in a band or something. And um, what kind of music do you play? 
the really fey English Brit pop stuff that I referred to earlier. Still try to keep that dream alive. In uh, I was in a band in college, kicked out the lead guitarist. He formed a band called Creed. Keep going. Really? Yeah. Tremonti? Yep. And he won't talk to me. And he denies that it ever happened. I wrote about it in my book. Hey, like your ex, the important thing is it clearly doesn't bother you anymore. <laughs> um. So, yeah, a couple years wasting time. I went to Fordham, which is the Jesuit college yeah. in New York. And then I, I applied. I, w- I didn't have the grades to get into a, a study abroad thing in Oxford. So I just applied for, like, City College London or whatever. And I just wrote on top of my application, uh, I would also like to go to Oxford. <laughs> and and then they give me a thing, hey, you got into the program. And I go, oh, that's cool. I'll go party in London for a year, you know. And then, like, a couple weeks later, I got a call from some, like, administrative secretary lady. And she's like, uh, so I have your thing in front of me. I just uh, – do you want to go to City College London or do you want to go to Oxford? And I was like, I'm doing Oxford? She's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I just – I wasn't sure about that. Okay, thanks, bye. And just like that, I spent a year at Oxford. What was that like? Um, was it like uh, the movie where Rob Lowe's rowing? I did have, blues. I, I had a bunch of friends who did the crew thing, and uh, it, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't participate in that. Oxford is – the way it looks is it's probably better than people even think. If you ever look up a photo of Oxford, it's, it's um, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I mean, Tolkien is like an Oxford guy. So yeah. That's not like a coincidence. Um so in terms of walking around the street, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's hard to describe. The experience is about twenty percent exactly what you would hope it would be, and about eighty percent being really really bored drinking Australian beer. Really? Yeah. No. Are, are the classrooms as old as Tolkien? Oh, way older. So so are you sitting in a in a place that I mean I always think yeah smell defines things to me sometimes. I understand. But like, do you go in and you just smell like yeah my your grandmother's t- grandmother. Kinda, kinda, or a really, really old priest, right? Um, there's Oxford is actually a collection of I should know like thirty, forty, fifty different colleges, mm-hmm. and so I went to a very specific one, which I don't know if there'd been a fire or oh no 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 no, they were the they were the the um the Catholics ultimately they were Dominicans and they had been kicked out. They helped set up Oxford, but they got kicked out of Oxford when England became Protestant when Henry VIII wanted to marry get divorced. Yeah. So they actually kind of set the thing up but got booted and only got reinstated around like 1900 or so. So yeah. my place was like old. But yeah. there were – every other school in town was like 1600s old, like crouched down to fit in the door old. Did you have sex with anyone over there? It was really, really hard. Uh, I'm trying to think. With American girls, probably. Because if there were like 10,000 students in Oxford, about 1,000 of them were American exchange jackasses like myself. Yeah. So we were not a small, novel minority. Oh, so you couldn't use your like – you the, couldn't like Brooklyn up your accent. No, no, like, no, no. And, and, and what's more, like every girl there had already been hit on by every American guy who just liked a girl with an accent. Yeah. So we were a, we were a, we, we were a nuisance. In the town, to because the kids who go, it's like everything else. Like it's a really good school, say like Harvard. So you would think, oh well, all the smartest kids go there. Kind of, but it's more like all the richest kids go there. Oh yeah. So yeah. you have these like rich old money English people who uh, American kids abroad for a year are of limited value to them. We don't have a whole lot to offer them. It's- I was actually like legendary because I did take a British girl home 
from a bar one time. Really? I don't think we actually had sex, but like that in and of itself. And I hate that you know that's what it's like when you're younger. That yeah. it was kind, it, it was just kind of catch and release. I don't think I felt a genuine romantic connection with her. I was like, oh my god, an English girl is going to come back to the American guy's house. Oh, I only hooked up with one British chick once. I, I, well, I take that back, too, But one was when we were in Edinburgh, me and Patrice and Voss, and uh, and. Uh, I didn't, we I don't know we got into some party and then she had gotten out of a wedding and her boyfriend left her and she was it was bad but all oh, she was saying I'm gonna die an old maid the whole time we were hooking up and I was like I think you need to leave um so so did uh did, did it affect do you find that that there's certain travel experiences I find that change my DNA forever uh-huh. and, I, and I can't fix it again right. Vietnam is that place for me that. Vietnam and Japan really fucked my DNA up. Where okay. I went, okay, now I see the world differently forever. Like forever, I'll always see this world differently. Did that have that effect on you? And I know that traveling abroad, abroad at a young age does, but at that age, did, did it affect the way you looked at the world? Did you go over there and start smoking cigarettes and reading old leather-spined novels? No, no, and- no, no, no. Very much the opposite. Because I was such an Anglophile and because um, I had... I was I still identified primarily as a musician and because all my favorite bands were England, I thought that I was going to get there and possibly never come back. Yeah. And the way that my family said goodbye to me indicated that they thought this might be the last time they ever saw me on a regular basis. Yeah. And instead, I was like really I mean disappointed. I didn't hate it, but I was like, "Oh, this isn't this is not this like magic other better world." It's just this. It. I'm. I mean, I'm from Manhattan, which yeah. is like, you know, that. No, no. It, it Maybe only in the sense that I, I realized that I didn't have some magical other place to run off to. Yeah. You know. Um. I think I almost got that more out of the first time you move away from home. It's like you know, a fish won't be aware of water until unless it ever makes it to the surface and is therefore not surrounded by it. Um. I went. To, I spent a couple of months in Santa Barbara. And and I think that was like getting out of the East Coast and understanding not every place is exactly like where you're from, which you'd never get from just going somewhere on vacation. Yeah. I think that kind of popped that cherry with me. And I'd, I'd learned that lesson. You can go anywhere away from your house and learn that lesson. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd already done that by the time I got to England. So, no, not really. Why do you say Japan? Because um, my wife is Japanese. I've spent a bunch oh, of time over there. Uh, Japan, the culture. Uh, the, uh, the culture. Uh, like, uh, we were at... Um the big train station in Japan where we take the bullet train out to uh, to, to uh, Kyoto, and uh, no one was talking. No one was talking. It was rush hour, and no one was talking. And I thought, wow. Like, and, and the 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 way that culture was so uniform and so um, and so in check. They all kept themselves in check, and it really kind of. And I'm the definition of loud American. I'm the definition of loud American. I might not disagree with you. And so, no one would. <laughs> and so, uh, like, it's not like going to a sushi restaurant when everyone's like, sake bombs! Like, that. And none of that happened. And then, and then, and then you, and then going, I went to, from there directly to Vietnam, and Vietnam's the exact opposite. Not to draw too much analogy out of it, but if Japan is um, a society where everyone knows their personal space, Vietnam, everyone's got their fingers in your mouth. And it's like just right 
there and you just I, and it really was like it really was getting into the vibe of travel and experience and immersion and going fuck it I'm eating an egg sandwich out of a vendor who only has a hot dog cart and they're making fried eggs underneath it with a sterno and I can't promise those eggs are fresh but I'm gonna fucking wolf it down and I'm gonna enjoy it and if I get sick I get fucking sick but Japan's the exact opposite it's like it was like so wait uh, your Burger King has uh, has squid burgers <laughs> like I, it really really changed my my the way I perceive things. Yeah, one thing about Japan and Japanese culture is I feel like, like in America, it's it's just so politically and and as a big national community, it's just totally hurting cats. There's no way we could get everybody on no. on the same page with anything. And like, no. I, well, you can argue about like climate change or whatever. But if we ever said, look, man. We hired all these scientists, and they just said, we got a uh, longest shower you can possibly take is five minutes. Yeah. Look, man, I like a hot shower as much as the next guy, but that's what they said, and we hired them to tell us what to do, and that's what they told us to do, so that's what we're all going to do. No fucking way. Could you even do something which is pretty mild in terms of the very you know the 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 climate change uh, the, the 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 changes i think we probably really need to make to our lifestyles to, to counteract climate change but japan's the kind of place where they could say that and everybody would actually do it even though nobody could check up on them for it because yeah. there's this sense of there there of this communal we that people are proud to be a part of yeah. and they're they're proud to have a consensus on stuff like that and I, there's trade-offs you know there's a lot of people feel very emotionally repressed and stuff because there's so much time and attention and energy spent fitting into a group there as opposed to developing yourself individually of course you're right from Japan yeah oh she's from where in Japan um a city called Fukuoka Okay, I don't know where it is. It's a big city. Yeah, I, I, there, it's Japan is. There's a lot more of Japan than I ever thought there was. Uh, this sounds silly, but I thought it was a tiny little island. Mm -hmm. It's a series of fucking islands, mm -hmm. and like, and I didn't understand just how vast and how globally different different parts of Japan are. And I think it's, I think I always say, if you get one opportunity to go out and travel, it's you gotta you gotta go you gotta hit Asia. Asia changes the way you look at the world. It yeah. really does. Yeah. No, wait, so, so you get done college, and then you go, you come into, you go straight to the Santa Barbara and then back to the East Village? No, uh, okay, wait, so. Because I'm, I'm, I want to I draw the line of, like, okay. I want to, because uh, let me tell you the things that fascinate me about you. Okay. About you, about, yeah, me about you, um, is you wrote both of Jason's books. Yes. You wrote the movie Woodsman, which I watched last night. Which, which, hold on, hold on, no, no, no. Don't even fucking start, this, like, putting it down. You came. You guys came up with an idea on the show. Mm -hmm. You wrote the script, I think, in an evening? Yes. Oh, like after a couple... Well, but, yeah. Wow, you really did some homework. No, no, no. I don't no. even know where this homework way, would be available. I don't, I don't ever research fucking anybody. But after I first met you, mm -hmm. the first time I did radio with you, I went, I went, okay. I, like, I literally, you know, your, sh your show is not... It's not the average show. It no. is just... And I'm certain you guys are a publicist nightmare. Like, there's no way the publicists just go, yeah, yeah, you can roll in. It's going to be a cake interview. You guys are fucking ball busters like a group of friends at a Jesuit table at lunch. Did you feel under attack at all? Have you ever felt under oh, attack? In of course, but not in a bad way. Are just, you, be honest. I just was, yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. Right. yeah, of course, but not in a bad way. Right. Like I, didn't, I, like, like I said, Jason and I have actually talked about this. I never once felt like anyone was being a dick to me. I never once felt like it felt like a stern interview. It felt like you're this is not where well, I'm not going to patty cake you. Tell me about your book. 
It must be fun being on Travel Channel. So you got involved with the Russian Mafia? Get out. Holy cow. So Van Wilder's been, like, that was not that interview. It, it was like, it was like, it was like, hey, we're out to dinner. We're going to talk. And I would like to have some answers. Like, it was like a, I'm just saying, this actually goes to dinner like that. I do. I do. I definitely do. <laughs> Listen, listen, we're going to break bread and everything. But more importantly, I need some answers. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I'm yeah. sure you guys have had, I know yeah. you guys have had. Um, legendary bad interviews with there, people. There have been a couple. If, you, been a if couple. you do, if you do hundreds of them, a yeah, couple. But like, of them even are... like, even like, like, okay, me falling off. Like the the perfect example. And by the way, Jason and I have actually texted about this. Right. I've never once felt you guys treated me like a dick ever, or I simply wouldn't continue the relationship. If I wasn't happy, I just would be like, eh, I'll pass. When you guys offered me to come back on the show, I was like, fucking hundred percent, I'll be there. Cool. Uh, and but um, but like when I showed the the falling off the rock video. By the way, for regular, like, I'm just telling you, you know, terrestrial radio, they'd be like, oh, that, because no one can see it. Right. Oh, that looks horrible. Right. That's not your show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that doesn't look that fucking bad. <laughs> and then, and then, but that, for me, that is funny radio. Like, that's funny, is then now we're all going back and forth, and I get to take the stance of, you have no idea what I've been through. And you guys are like, well, Tony, Tony all should know. He rolls in. Great fucking moment. I mean, honestly, I know it because I heard it on Twitter. It was fucking epic. It was great, and it's it's hilarious because I can't think of a better good cop for that situation. If you'd pick anyone in the universe, because, yeah. you know, Jason is Jason. He goes, oh, that, that wouldn't hurt. That's no big deal. He might be being, you know, that might be bluster. That might be a bit of a bluff. Who who yeah. who, who knows, you know, but when Tony Hawk goes, yeah, that shouldn't really hurt. You yeah. can't get mad at Tony Hawk for that. Yeah. No, and for what it's worth, I mean, if it, it, I, I probably would have been a recovering Vicodin addict like yourself if that had happened to me. Oh, but sometimes once the joke gets established, it's, there's no sense in me. You know, we're, we're not having a, we're not having a, a reasonable, rational conversation. We're having. Yeah, and what's the point? I mean, like, yeah. I'm not. I'm, by the way, the shows I like doing are that. It's a hang with guys. Just like I feel like I'm at the I'm at my fraternity house or at a lunch table at when I was in high school. It is real. It is ball busting. It is, it's not, it's not Regis and Kelly. Well, right. And I don't think this is something that I, I, I remember the exact moment that I learned this. When I was a kid, we, we all made fun of each other. And that was just like a total normal course of action. Maybe that's, it's not limited to the East Coast, but I don't think that that is everywhere. East Coast. And I just thought it went without saying that if we're, if we're giving you a hard time, you can tell somebody's actually being a dick. But if we just won't leave you alone and we just keep needling you, that actually means that we like you. Yes. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk doing it to somebody I actually disliked yeah. because I would be afraid that I would be betraying my actual legitimate dislike for them. Yeah. And I remember my friend had, uh, also from the East Coast years ago, had a girlfriend who was from somewhere in Central California, and we made her cry. And I couldn't. I couldn't understand why she was crying yeah. when all we were doing was welcoming her into the fold and em- embracing her with yes. our with our insults. Don't you understand that we hate you? We're showing you we hate you so that you know we love you. Yeah. No, but that's I, I, the good. The good shows, the good radio shows out there, are that they are guys who do not. I mean, like, like. I mean, I, I, I say, I say, you know, the the defunct Opie and Anthony was a great show. I'm mean, sure you grew up on the East Coast. You probably heard them growing up. Almost, right? You probably didn't. Cause you're listening to different fucking music. Almost never. Yeah. You and listen, again, I didn't did you listen to Stern. No. You didn't listen to any radio growing up. No. Yeah. And and the high school thing is actually pretty critical to that. I didn't get my driver's license until I moved to to L. A. Really? Yeah. Because I was 
I was I was on the bus in the subway when other kids were getting their first car and therefore listening to Stern in the Morning or yeah. Anthony Afternoon. I mean, I, I heard it. I had friends who listened to it and stuff. But the whole thing, I feel like I could count on one hand the number of times I listened to to either of them. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't listen to them until I was like fucking 32. Yeah. on XM. XM really changed the way I listen to shit. Right. Like, I like it because it's unfiltered. It's crazy. I feel like anything could happen. But I'll, but one more thing before I go back to saying what what I was initially saying was that, like, just like them, just like Stern, just like you guys, my buddy Cal, Elliot, all these good shows, you're hanging out with a peer who is not going to allow you just some publicist's fucking, Ron Bennington, some publicist's Bullet points, you're, that is not your show. And I'm, I hope you understand that I think that's a compliment, that you're not looking at a bullet point from what you just, a fact you got. And you're like, so this happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. It was fantastic having you in. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. Course. But so I got done the show. I had a good time. I go, I go, dude, like I talked to Jason. Jason and I got along pretty good. Like, but I think I met him before. Maybe I hadn't. But like, I was like. I go, fucking Mike Teller, I gotta do some fucking research. Who is that guy? Because, like, I, me and you were going back and forth good, and, like, and then you were like, so, I tell me, like, questions no one ever fucking asked me. Tell me how the fucking National Lampoon thing happened. Nobody asks you that? No. I, I also don't answer it. I very seldomly answer it. Oh, okay. Like, a lot of times I'll just be like, I'll give a very short answer. Right. And then and that one I just ended up talking about it. I never talk about it. Yeah. So then I go on, and I have Jason's book. It's in that cabinet right there, mm-hmm. or it's underneath here. It might be one of the two, and uh, and it says co-written by or written by Mike Tully. And I went, that's Tully. Right. I go, motherfucker. And by the way, I read both of Jason's books. Cool. I read you. most of both of Jason's books. I'm a little dyslexic. So, and I went, oh, fuck. So then I go and I start watching videos, and I hear your commentary on like, like and once again, your show is, the Jason Ellis show is not the normal show. I'm watching you guys ultimate fight Brendan Schaub. Like, there's a fucking mixed martial arts fight going on in the studio. A legitimate UFC. A legitimate fucking fight. Not, like, and I'm like, okay. And your commentary is hilarious. And I'm like, god damn it. So I start looking, and then I see, and then I get into, then I go into some of Jason's younger skateboarding videos. I just, you know, sitting in a man cave drinking, watching online. Right. And then I see this interview you did about the Woodsman. I start watching the Woodsman. But then... And then I realized you just wrote it in a night. And you're like, and then I start going, you took a sabbatical to write screenplays. I was like, okay, all right, fuck. This is like, I knew you weren't a stand-up, but I was like, I don't, I didn't think I understood your path or how you got there. So I was like, okay, so, and that's what I'm dying to ask you. So I don't want to make turn into a Barbara Walters, but like, you go to, you go to. Okay, it's real simple because I don't, I don't have a path. I mean, if I had it to do all over again, I, I would have like picked some pie in the sky scenario and then uh, what do they say you know uh built my ladder up to it yeah but uh i okay i finished high school and again this is like kids go to harvard and yale and <clears throat> you know it's like a, a just turn out kids that go to ivy league schools I was the first kid in 20 years that got in off the waiting list and i was the first kid in i don't know how many years who didn't go straight into college because I was going to be a rock star slash I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing here. And actually my band had enough success that a guy, this really – picture a British uh, record producer who'd like 
worked with the kinks and stuff like that and wore black suits all the time and you are picturing the guy who discovered us yeah. held a uh, he had a he booked out a recording studio for a weekend and it was this big stunt where like for 72 straight hours bands could come in and get an hour of free time to make a live recording in uh, a really like world class new studio and the local new york the channel 9 news covered it and they filmed us and we we won the thing and so we went from being this band that was just like rehearsing and smoking doobies to a band that was still rehearsing and smoking doobies, but now had a guy who'd produce the Kinks behind yeah, us. Yeah. And so when I finished high school, I was like, "Well, fuck this! I'm just gonna I'm, my band's about to take off," you know. And uh, it just didn't happen. And it's so funny. I mean, it was actually kind of a movie moment. We didn't know how it worked. We thought we were definitely living in the fantasy world of, like, you do the big gig and you get the big contract. And the reality is, even even in the 90s, you just you just claw and scrape and you move up five fans at a time. And, but we just didn't realize that. We were teenagers, you know. And um, so we did the big showcase. And they told us, this is your show. This is it. Where's that? It was at Don Hill's. Okay. In New York City, you know, pretty cool venue. It was very yeah. cool at the time. Um, this one, like, motherfucker was going on and all that there. And they told us Island Records is going to be here and CBS. And, you know, you get up on stage, you just see silhouettes. We're kids. We're 17, 18, whatever the hell we were. And we're like, we need to play the show of our lives. And we're going to get a fucking record deal. No booze, no, no drugs before it? Probably had a beer or something yeah, like yeah. that. And a guy from our management team, and like this guy used to work with Skid Row, and I'm like an old metalhead. Like he he brought Dave the Snake Sabo from Skid Row to one of our shows, and he's like, "Hey guys, not too bad." And we're like, "Oh my God, the Snake likes us!" You know? I smoked pot with uh, I smoked pot with uh, Sebastian Bach and and uh, the kid from New Kids in the Block one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was random. Keep sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. So so they just said, okay, the the dressing room is downstairs. They said, do your show. And then wait down here, and if any of the labels want to sign you, we'll come down here and we'll introduce you to them. So we're like, this is it, guys. This is, you know, like fucking head-on-head, four-way huddle. This is what we've been working for our entire lives. You know? And we went out, and we played the greatest show we ever played in our entire lives. Yeah. And then we walked back downstairs to the dressing room, and we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there, and finally somebody's assistant came down, and they go, you guys want to come upstairs? And we're like, we're waiting down here for the labels to come down and make us rock stars. And he goes, oh, that's not the way it works. You know, they came and they saw you tonight, and maybe they're a little interested, and maybe they call us on Monday, and maybe we do it. And that was the story, and that was the beginning of lots and lots of great stories from British manager guy who everything sounded great. There's a hilarious story of the time that we – we uh we hit him up for a thousand bucks so we could buy silver leather pants, <laughs> and he gave it to us. But yeah. he wrote like a child, and I remember me and my bandmate, who's Brian Cullen, who now works with me on uh on uh Faction, the channel on SiriusXM that the Ellis Show is on. Me and him went to a bank, and we're these like scumbag kids with a check for a thousand dollars that in the memo says for leather for band clothes <laughs> and they held us up for like two hours actually giving us the money for the check so anyway uh we did that and it just turned out that the guy was all talking uh didn't have a lot to offer us in terms of you know signing with record labels and stuff like that so we broke up despite him but he like owned contracts on us and he's like you guys won't break up because i know you guys you can't quit 
and I'm the only way you can keep going. And we were like, fuck you. We're, I'm, we're that spiteful. That's so we good. just broke up. Yeah. And now I was high and dry. So then I was like, okay, I guess I go to college. So I went to Fordham. I went to Oxford. Um, after college, still didn't have a plan. Still vaguely thought I was a musician, but I wasn't really gigging. I was like writing songs and recording with my friends. What, what instrument did you play? I was like a singer, songwriter, guitar player. I made an album. Like, actually, the stuff that I was writing you around. You one of your songs here? Yeah. Okay, okay. Wait, wait, keep Absolutely. Keep, finish the story. Keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm a bad interviewer. Like, uh, but um, have you ever, do you ever written a script about this experience? No. Had? Okay. I don't think there's a movie. Are you thinking about writing a book about you at all? Mm, not particularly. Okay. I think there's only really two reasons to, like, I think I have a more interesting life story than a lot of people, but it's I don't. Not, but it's not, it's like, it's like the Wu-Tang Clan. It's not what. It's not what you're saying. It's how you say it a lot of times. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, you're a, you're a fantastic writer. I mean, be much better than I am, and I have a fucking book about me. And my life's interesting, but I really wish I'd had a you in my life to fucking tell my story. Because, like, Jason's life is fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. Really genuinely fascinating. Mm -hmm. The mesh of you two, it, it really is a fantastic partnership. Thank you. Um, I agree, and I think I was really uniquely well situated to write that book. Having been having a conversation with him about his life for like five years leading up to that, yeah. I, I, nobody else could have done that book. Like no I could have, and that's not a slight on any other writer on the planet. Uh, nobody, nobody had the the running start. When we were doing the book, because uh, I know I've worked on books with other people, and I don't know their story. And you get halfway through, and they go. Well, I mean, sure, that's when I was living in a lesbian colony, you know, colony yeah. on the island of Cyprus. And I'm like, well, this is the first time hearing of, hearing of the lesbian colony that you used to live in. With Jason, it was more like, give me the this story, give me the this story. It, it, the hardest thing to figure out, and he wasn't even always sure of it himself, was just the chronology. Yeah. It, we had all the stories. It was just actually, in what order did they happen? So anyway. That book's uh, so well written, I thought he wrote it. If that's he it. did. I, well, that, no, but I mean, like, I mean, it, it, you wrote, did. you, you no, did I didn't. No, a I didn't. fantastic job in his voice because it's his voice. It's his sound. Well, but that's because I, but how do you think that happened? I didn't write any of it. All I did, right. I, I made it my business to put as few of my words in it as I possibly could. And honestly, I have his voice in my head. I spent, yeah. four, I spent 20 hours a week talking to the guy with headphones on. Yeah. So even when I had to do a transition or something that he hadn't just given me in raw audio. Yeah. I just, I know how he says stuff, yeah. you know, okay. so I didn't, I, I, I feel like I did a, I'm proud of the job that I did assembling. Both of you are a great team. And, edi and editing. Thank you. But he, he wrote, he wrote the book. I have Jason on the podcast tomorrow morning and I'm excited because both of you guys are really interesting people to have just, to have met at 42 mm -hmm. where I go like, I've been in the business. Where the fuck have these guys been this whole time? Uh, you guys are fascinating. You're mm -hmm. a fascinating team. Your show's fantastic, and I and I enjoy watching you guys collaborate. It just seems like seems like uh, like it's, you guys are like a fucking punk rock version of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Like, does that make sense? I could think of worse analogies. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you analogize you and Jason like? Uh, you're not you're not Ed and Norton or Ed and uh, Ralph. I don't know, like. Batman and Alfred? Batman and Alfred. <laughs> like, he's just like the... Uh, he's Batman just like, and Alfred is a great analogy. Like, he's just the guy that goes out and like... Everyone said Batman and Robin, but you said Batman and Alfred. I don't... Yeah, I know. I resent that. And I, and I used to resent that because people... Again, I'm so not a radio person. People would say, oh, you're Jason's Robin. And I thought they meant Batman, and I'd be offended. Yeah. Not realizing that, of course, they meant... You know, Robin, Robin Quivers. Quivers. 
I used to take great offense at that. I never told anybody that. And I was like, my wife actually was like, they mean her. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, that's, that's a rough analogy. Okay, okay. let's get back. Let's get okay, back. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, I'm, I'm so bad at this. There's a million things I want to talk to, and yeah. I know you got to go to work. No, so. and I actually have a bunch of things I want to ask you, but uh, we'll see what we can get to. So, yeah, finished college, wrote a bunch of songs, didn't do anything with them, ended up making an album about – three years ago of all the songs I was working on back then, which is just awesome in this day and age. You can sit in somebody's bedroom. And, and this make. isn't Taint Stick. And, no, uh, this is me okay. solo. Uh, and then I was like waiting tables and rough time. September 11th happened in New York and uh, it was very, very hard even to get a, a, a waitering gig for a while. So that, I guess if you're ready the screenplay, that's uh, that's the, that's the, the darkness before the dawn. Again, a terrible movie script. I couldn't get a waitering gig. And then my buddy that I had been in the band with, Brian, who now works on, with me on Sirius XM, uh, had, was a longtime Howard Stern fan and had parlayed an internship on Stern into a job with the big syndicator Premier Radio Networks. Okay. He knew a guy there that was producing a syndicated daily uh, hour-long show with Carson Daly, and that guy needed a writer, so Brian uh, was a cheerleader for me to get me to write uh, to submit a script, and I got hired writing this sy- terrible, disposable, syndicated daily show for Carson Daly. And then when that dried up, Brian had by then moved on to Sirius, and the channel he's working on, Faction, needed a guy, so he brought me over there as well. And then I was working for Faction in New York, and they said, well, we're opening this L.A. office. Do you want to go work out there and pretty much just go make yourself useful? So I went to L.A. and moved out here 10 years ago, and in making myself useful, there was Jason Ellis, who at that point was on live three nights a week, just alone in a room. We would say, okay, See you later, Alice, and go home. And he was just there, and he was brilliant with just taking callers and saying shit off the top of his head. He'd I been that. he'd been like bursting internally. He didn't even realize he wanted. He had so many things he wanted to say that he wanted people to listen to that had been welling up in him for his entire life. And now there, now he could just hit a microphone, and people would call in and be like, "That's hilarious," or "Alice, what do you think about this?" And so, you know, my mandate was to make myself useful, and it was like, well. The way to make myself useful is to try to give this guy a hand because this is far and away the most exciting thing that's happened. How did you How did you hear about him through through? Well, before I started working on the channel, my buddy Brian was trying to bring me on, so he was saying, "Check out," because Jason came from Tony Hawk had and still has a radio show on our channel. He'd be saying, "Listen to this Australian guy on Tony Hawk's show, and isn't he so funny?" And then I remember him saying, "Yeah, they might give that guy his own show." And hearing the air check and the line I've quoted a million times. They just wanted him to be a DJ at first. So he came out of a, a Danzig song and he said, uh, Glenn Danzig is a Satan worshiping midget. And it's not, I can't even do it justice because his delivery is at least half of the fun. Yeah. You know? Um, I remember picking him up. I remember picking him up and listening to him uh, on a long car ride and thinking, oh, this is badass. This, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know why I thought this. I thought this guy is out of his house up in Calabasas, where he has like a moto park, and like, and he's just doing out of his house. Oh, how fucking badass is this? I, I can remember, see that. I the, get, the last studio sounded like we were broadcasting out of a house in Calabasas. So it, and I you really can be forgiven for thinking that. But it's 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 the it's the it's you know sometimes it's that it's that under dialogue that you that you draw into stories where you're like, oh fuck yeah, this is real. Like they're not in a studio; they're just doing this out of a fucking bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, it still kind of feels like I was that. a little bummed out. i got to be honest with you. I was a little bummed out when I got when I first did the show, and they gave me directions, and I went, are we going to Fitzsimmons' place where Fitzsimmons does his? And I was like, oh, it's a fucking studio? I was, Dave, like, I was like, man, I thought I was going to Calabasas. You just missed 
our our studio until two years ago was in a, a band rehearsal space in West Hollywood. Really? And it was – Jason always says that we were broadcasting in the bathroom, which is not exactly true. In the back, there was um, a creative space, which yeah. before us was Tim Burton's creative space. So it's – I mean, I think before he was really, really – Yeah, I know, yeah, but still, that's the – it, 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 there's worse places it's on the Earth. DNA imprint left on the wall. Yeah, that and is, that's, I always thought that was kind of cool. But there was a big bathroom in there that functioned as our our kitchenette. So there there was uh, a fridge right next to the toilet. We called it the bitchin. And yeah, it was really, really, really grimy. And like, if it rained, the radio we, we couldn't broadcast. <laughs> what you thought it was when you heard is exactly what it was. Oh, like yeah. one of one of the. The things I did, you know, I tried to help Jason get guests. I just tried to pitch in however I could, and it wasn't like I had any contacts or skill or anything like that. Um, is it, We were right by, you know, there's the Benito's taco stand, which was like, it's on Santa Monica. This is probably where Eddie Murphy picked, Yeah. you know, just just the epicenter of transsexual Los Angeles. Yeah. And just like one night, I just, I took 20 bucks and walked over and paid trannies to come and, uh, and be guests on the show. Like, that's what was going on. I, I, so what I, you thought it was is exactly what it was. We have a nice studio now, and yeah, we're all, like, pushing 40. I don't I – don't, I make no apologies for having central air now. It's, no, but we, we, I, it's, we did our time in exactly what you did. You, ha- you have to have the show in there. However, yeah. the romantic – time of the yes. of of guns and roses practicing in a fucking yeah. in a in a in a in a rental space right is like that's what you're like i, I want to meet them when they're all street kids that's true right 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 and i would definitely further the band analogy of <clears throat> everybody's the garage days are everybody's favorite days but <clears throat> excuse me find me the band that had a lot of buzz that never quite got out of playing the clubs yeah. and it, i guarantee you it doesn't have the romance for them that it Oh, no, no. The show is much better. You know, it's so funny that I told you – I don't know if I told you this, but the people who like your show are all closet people who like your show that you guys don't even know. Really? Yeah. Uh, Ian Gomez. Um, Ian Gomez is married to Nia Vardalos, who wrote my Big Greg Big Greg Running. Ian, okay. Ian Gomez loves the show. I don't know who he is. Exactly. And he's one of the – he's on Cougar Town. He's one of the bigger actors working in the city. Oh, really? And he's like – he fucking texts me. He's like, dude, you're on fucking Alice? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, no way. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like – and I was like, oh – in my head, I'm like, you should totally. I figured he just done it a bunch, but like, uh, yeah, bring him on by. Yeah, I, I was, I'll send. I'll send over the. So, so, how soon? What was it like taking the month to taking the year off to write scripts? Uh, well, I never really got out as much as I thought that I would. Um, I think. Well, for one thing, we pretty much immediately went from we did the band Taint Stick, which renamed ourselves Death, Death, Die, and to the listener doesn't isn't really that different. But on the back end, Taint Stick was on like a legitimate record label, so we just submitted the album and it came out one day. Death, Death, Die, we released ourselves, and I primarily released it. So a large part of that year, and then we had like just Murphy's Law of Distribution and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I spent a decent portion of that year, like licking stamps and packing CDs for the band really? Death, Death, Die, out of my house. So I yeah. was still very and like we made the Woodsman movie. I was still very tied in. So you're, you're still you're still you're still dial in the Matrix. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I used to go by there and like do an hour, you know, a week or something like that. And I think it was like. I'd gotten used to doing radio, and to the extent that I'm good at doing radio, I'd gotten good at doing radio, and it was just like a relief to 
I was spending the rest of my hours trying to like learn a craft, though it's it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a, very much an uphill climb, and it's like solitary and uh i'm a very like verbal person you know so i just think more and more i'd be like oh you guys need a guest or you guys need somebody to help you with the game on the air i'll come by because it was just so easy and it was rewarding and then people get on your twitter and they go hey man great to hear you again you know yeah. as opposed to just being in your pit working we, on your you guys play. are you guys do have somewhat of a you know indie band vibe with mm-hmm. with the way you do everything the woodsman taint, taint, taint sick death death die the fucking ellis mania mm-hmm. like all these things are these these almost like grassroots yeah. um, art projects, be it mashed up with, you know, fucking MMA or, or, or skateboarding or punk rock or metal or radio or movies. And it's it's so interesting. I always kind of go like, how the fuck? Like, how do you, like, I mean, do you guys, it's, it's almost like you guys are like a, a, a renaissance production company. Yeah. Yeah, or we're like a, we're like a collective that just only has like four people in it. Yeah, <laughs> they could use a much bigger collection. Uh, the Woodsman in particular. I mean, I I would if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, just check out a minute of it. That's it is, I'm gonna I'm gonna analogize it. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna logline it. It is uh it is scary movie meets um meets Sharknado. Yeah, that's fair. So I mean, the premise of it, which we came up with on the radio, is. The typical teens go into the woods for the weekend for camping and drugs and sex and stuff, and the deranged psycho starts picking them off one by one. The difference here is Jason's Australian, so they go into the Australian – they go into the bush, and he's this deranged psychopath with a perpetual erection, yeah. hence the name The Woodsman. <laughs> and that was like the most DIY thing. I mean, there, there, and I, I, not that uh, there was a whole lot of uh, Hollywood magic going on that you couldn't pick this out for yourself, but there are scenes where just the group of teens are walking along a road, and like the two porn stars that were supposed to be playing teens didn't show up that day. So just the group walking was filmed on separate days, on separate yeah. paths. Like here's half the group, and here's the other. Production wise, I was like, they definitely should have gotten all the group shots that first day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. The girl takes her top off. It's on YouTube. I'm watching it. I'm like, oh my god, she's topless. Oh, I never even thought yeah, about that. Then, yeah, Joe and Angel are great friends. Yeah, and then and then my other the other question was uh the animals. Oh yeah 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 because we're friendly. Real... Yeah oh yeah 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 because we're friendly with um this guy called Donald Schultz who does like nature shows on Discovery and yeah. Nat Geo and stuff like that and yeah he absolutely has uh he's South African he has access to uh not because he's South African but he has access to lizards and stuff like that and we tried to rent a, a kangaroo I think. And that was cost prohibitive. It was. It's. It is. It <laughs> I don't is. know if you noticed the kangaroo was actually a guy in a suit. I, listen, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you what I liked about it. And this is. Uh, it's like you know. Sometimes you do get lost, and that clock's broken. Don't pay attention. To that I clock. keep looking at it, and yeah. it tells me nothing. I um. The uh. The the. It is. It is a. It is funny. Just. I mean. You, obviously, anyone who's might get lost in the production value and might go, the audio seems off at different things. No one clearly mixed it. Sometimes people are looking at the camera when they talk. Sometimes people are looking at the camera. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, like, I mean, I laugh, like, in the, and I just say this honestly, in the first five minutes, I definitely laughed out loud twice. Like, when the dude, when the, when you're about to give the drugs and they're like, there's one way to get these. And the girl's about to blow you, and the guy goes, fuck that. And then he starts blowing you. Mm-hmm. Like, that, I laughed out loud. And But that is my, something I go back to one of my old managers said is, 
funny is funny no matter if it's shot on a cell phone or in a fucking uh, fucking movie film. It's like something that's funny is funny. And it seemed like that you were a bunch of people having a good time with the movie. And all I could think when I was doing that, all, all I could think when I was watching that was, you guys should make a fucking 13-part campy sitcom. Like, just really take the idea of a sitcom, turn it on its head, and do it the way you did that, and release it weekly and weekly and weekly. Because it, it's, it's it seemed like, honestly, it seems like you have the brain that that is, that is effortless, too, if that makes sense. Uh, a lot of people have good ideas. A lot of people are funny. Very few people can, can execute good ideas and funny and make it. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, I think execution is a critical part, like, to the extent to which we have a, a signature style or hallmarks of what we do. Um, the band and um, the movies that we've made and even the radio show a lot of the time, I think what they have in common is we will take the the briefest flash of inspiration. We will If we have one quick dumb idea that we're like, that's funny, we're willing to put, like, days and weeks and months into yeah. doing the most professional and I know the Woodsman isn't professional but it was still we still had to go oh, out it's real oh it's professional because I know what it takes to even make that we still had to drive 90, 90 minutes and scout locations to do yeah. that we will take the guys killing all the teenagers but he has a boner he's called the Woodsman yeah. we're willing to make harass our friends to come out and we did a uh, and, 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 and realized the thing and uh, we did a um, a, a movie theater screening of that I know I know. It was at uh, Lemley. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. I, 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 I mean, not a, a huge movie screen. Yeah. I've, I've watched movies there. It's right next to Crunch. <laughs> yeah. I'm well aware. All right. Uh, you need to be out at 11, correct? Yeah, I guess okay. so. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's uh, – If you said you wanted to ask me some questions. I'm going to – as you do that, I'm going to pull up um, all the analogies, and then we'll go through and we'll try to analogize the best. Okay. Well, and then I'd love to hear you play a song. Oh, do you want to do that, or do you want to just tack one of my songs, like the actual real MP3, onto the end of... Oh, do you want to just do that? Yeah, that'd be oh, better. Let's do that. Let's do that. That'd be so much better. Okay. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Uh, let, me, let me ask you one. There's a lot of things I would ask you about, but uh, I was listening to your podcast the other day, and you introduced the concept of intrusive thought. Yeah. I think I might have a touch of that, but I'm not sure. If you're good, you do. What's that all about? <laughs> so intrusive thought, I mean, I guess, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it's kind of what it sounds like, is you will just be in a situation and your imagination will run wild and you will just think of, like, the most fucked up, horrific, weird, crazy, whatever thing that could happen right now. Yeah. And because it's so wrong, the thought won't leave you alone. Is that, uh, a, is that a fair definition? It's fair. I, I would say it's not. Uh, it's not a train of thought. It's more like it just shows the fuck up, and it's just like, uh, you know, I, it. It's something that I'm not. I, that I. It is the worst thought you could ever have in the world. Like, uh, I'll give you a perfect example of a very benign one. There was a comic. I want to say it was Pete Holmes, but I'm not certain who it was. That was. Um, I got I, when I started in the Boston Comedy Club. I worked the door and I got a deal like six months in, and I moved to LA and started doing like fucking really legit shit. And so I came back to the Boston Comedy Club like during that during like that year, and then now fucking six kids were barking. They were all out front and they all wanted to get deals. And so I do my show. I ended up shirtless. I ended up in the corner, and I'm sitting in the corner. And this kid, this young kid, comes back. I always want to say it's Pete Holmes, but he sits down next to me and he says, "Hey, I just want to let you know you are a huge inspiration to us. You know, I never would have thought about barking." 
And now you made that an opportunity. I was just doing open mics. And he's telling me this thing, and, this, and my head just goes, kiss him on the lips. I'm, and I'm not gay at all. No, no, no. My no, brain just kiss him on the lips. That's the one that I have. Yeah. That's the one that I have uh, uh, numerous times. If I'm comfortable with you, I'll share my intrusive thoughts. Okay. Like Meaning, like, if I'm comfortable with you, I'll share my intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like, I did it to my buddy. And uh, Patrice O'Neill used to have a great joke about intrusive thought. Patrice's joke was, um, I was sitting at a party, and this woman had a baby. And, and, he, and he thought to himself, I wonder how easily I could kill that baby. And then, and then the woman said to him, why don't you hold it? I want you to hold it. And, he goes, and his brain's going, now the bitch doesn't even want the baby. She doesn't even want it. I should just fucking punt it. I should just punt the fucking baby, throw it on the ground. Just what would happen in this room if I just threw this baby in the ground? Yeah. That's intrusive thought. It just shows yeah. up out of nowhere. Well, and you know what? I thought, I thought about how easily I could kill infants. And yeah. I used to constantly, uh, if a, I remember many, many times when I was in school, if a teacher was having a really serious one-on-one conversation, I would think if I just leaned in and tried to mouth kiss them right yeah. now, that would be the wildest thing ever. Again, not that I had any sexual interest in doing that. And it's it's funny that you say how would everybody react to that because yeah. that to me has always been a hallmark of that is what would be the fallout if I was the guy who yeah. when Mr. So-and-so is talking to me about my project, everyone knows I just forced my tongue down his throat. When I was a little kid even, I uh, grew up in a church-going family, I used to always think what if I just bum-rushed the altar and, and knocked the priest off and said, doesn't everybody realize this is a load of horse shit, you know? Yeah. And I don't even know how I had arrived at these like agnostic or atheistic feelings, and I don't think I really felt that way. It was just where would the room go from there? Yeah. How could the room re- ever recover from me having done that? I think it's I, – I, I honestly I, – I kind of say it's brilliant brains that get them and don't act on them, but brilliant brains that get them and then analyze them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know that I know that Maria Bamford has it pretty aggressively. Um, and, and Patrice is the first time I ever heard someone talk about it, and I was like, oh, fuck, I got that. I've had that my whole fucking life. Right. Like just awkwardness, like being in the car with your parents and th- and just like – Oh, just I mean, I can't even say it out loud, but like things that your brain just says, and you're like, why would you fucking say that? Aren't we on the same team? Right. Like I was making love to my wife. I said this on stage, and this voice in my head goes, "Rip her ears off," and I'm like, "Whoa!" And he's like, "Just do it. See if you can do it." And you're like, "All right, fucking." Right. So, yeah. But then obviously, you know the the how neuroses worsen and how you develop genuine complexes is it, 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 you got to kind of go with it. To resist it and go, I got to stop thinking like that, or why would I think that, or what's wrong with me, or if I think that enough, does that mean that I actually really, 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 really want to do it? Right. You empower it, and that's when you can get it. Yeah, and, 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 and just having the thought is nothing. No, it's it's just part of it. Maria Bamford. You actually, need to become comfortable with the fact that you occasionally want to kill babies. Because you don't really want to kill. I don't want to kill any babies. Did you have another question? Uh, no, that's the only okay, one good. I need to hit yeah. for now. Because I, you tweeted about analogies. And, uh, I tweeted analogies. Did you get all the ones that everyone sent us? Uh, yeah, I did. Did you have any favorite ones? Let's see. <laughs> and by the way, this all starts off because mm-hmm. the last time we were on the podcast, I said, we were talking about putting fingers in chicks' asses, and I said, "Oh, I, I always did that in college. That was like my first move. I was like, I was like uh, uh, Lewis and Clark. My fingers were like Lewis and Clark, and my dick was Sacagawea. I forget what I said, and 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 very casually went. I think I was more like uh, like 
the what did you say, Christopher Columbus asking for a pardon from the asking for a grant from the Queen before I went off exploring? And right, went, right, right, right. Yeah, oh. I, had, I had to go and I had to go and, and genuflect before uh, so funny Queen Isabella like, and King Ferdinand before yeah. they give me the, the the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria to get in there. Your analogies are always going to be better than mine because you're smarter than I am because you fucking read and you know shit. Um, uh, well, let me tell you uh, a couple of analogies that stand out to me that I've heard over the years. First of all, do you ever hear the uh, some there's a famous sports thing that a number of coaches have been have had this quote attributed to them. Um a tie is like kissing your sister. Yeah. It's the worst analogy I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I it, it suggests to me that people had a different relationship with their sisters in the 1940s and 50s. <laughs> Kissing your sister. Like, I'm trying to search her names. It's not, not like kissing your sister. No, that's that's a, definitely losing. That's a blowout loss. <laughs> that's a blowout loss. Wait, what is that's, a tie that's, like? a, that, that's a we need to shake up the roster in the offseason kind well, of What loss. is a tie then? A tie is like kissing your sister. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's funny. A tie is definitely not like kissing your sister at all. No. Um, Wait, what's a tie then? Uh, Kissing a hot dude. <laughs> Sometimes, like, making out with Brad Pitt at a party in a closet, yeah. and no one knows about and, it. And you're just like, well, I mean, theoretically, this is a very impressive thing that I'm accomplishing. <laughs> I'm impressed that Brad Pitt likes me. Yeah. I know that now I have a good Brad Pitt story. Yeah. But I didn't really get any pleasure out of it. And I love, and I thought you might have some uh, reaction to this, since you are a Jersey Shore guy. Um, Drew Carey is the first person I heard this one from. I don't know if he made it up. Um... Las Vegas is like going to sleep with a beautiful woman and waking up to find your wallet missing, while Atlantic City is like getting robbed by a crack addict. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, I used to do the analogy of stand-up was um, starting stand-up in New York. It, it's, doing stand-up in New York is like working out. They're both like working out in New York and L.A. Work, doing stand-up in New York is like working out in the prison yard with the broomsticks and the and the and the pails filled with concrete and you're just getting strong enough so you don't get assaulted in the shower doing stand doing stand up in LA is like working out at a crunch and you have great abs and your pecs match your abs and you have legs but they can't you can't really defend yourself that sounds perfect. That's yeah. not, I, having never spent a lot of time in comedy clubs in other places I suspect you're you're spot on. So, so okay. as for the ones that people uh, sent us on on Twitter the first time a girl farts in front of you. The first time a girl farts in front of you is like finding out about self-employment tax. <laughs> Hear me out. Because <laughs> you're like, I mean, you have to have had some 1099 income to, to relate to this one, I think. Oh, oh, oh. I can't fucking beat that. That's so fucking better. Anything I said is going to be so hackneyed. Like That's what it's like, though, right, is you're just so excited that you did something and you made this big chunk of money, and you know that there's a downside to it. You know that, you know, that you're going to have to go and pay 25% or whatever on it, and then you go to your you go to your accountant and you go, yeah, so I made blah, 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 and here's the 25, and they go, well, but what about the self-employment tax? And you're just like... Well, nobody told me about that bit. Yeah. And it takes a lot of the fun out of the bit that you do get to keep. Oh, fuck. That is it, – it's a disservice to people that you're not doing stand-up. That is fucking hilarious. 
thing. That is, by the way, that's a bit. Right there, you could do it on stage. Okay. My chick farted in front of me the other day. Find me a chick fart in front of you is kind of like learning about self-employment tax. It sounds stand-up-y. It's stand-up-y. Trust me, I do it for a living. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, yeah, it's fucking that. By the way, it's, uh, there, there, that is something translate immediately to stage. Okay. I, mean, I I've always taken analogies and said, like, I had an analogy about my wife getting, um, dating a woman for a man is like you're the stallion on this mountain racing across the mountaintop. That's what a single man is. It's that power. No saddle. The rain washing through your coat. You can see the muscles through the coat of the animal and the lightning strikes and you're rearing up and then these women are these diseased settlers at the bottom of the mountain like I need a horse. And so they fucking climb up with a bag of carrots and carrots are blowjobs and they give you a carrot but they don't it's the switch of the carrot versus the petting and like you don't even know you're being petting and now you're getting petted and now there's a saddle on you and now they want you to run but when you start running when they don't want you to, they pull back. And they're like, whoa, we can't do shots at a child's party. Like, those analogies are, like, something I do because they're more long-winded. Yeah. But, like... Do you leave notes with these sort of sentiments under your wife's pillow? Yeah. She knows. She knows how I feel. <laughs> okay, well, let's keep going. <laughs> Have you read these yet? I love it. I, I love it like cholera. Um, yeah, I, I think I read, I don't, I read the ones that had come up when you first, uh, tweeted about it, uh... Well, waking up after blackout drunk. Let me start, because yours is going to be better than mine. Okay. Waking up, like, after blackout drunk is, in, is like an episode of Quantum Leap. You constantly are like, huh? What? What's Jimmy? Who's Jimmy? you got to figure out everything at the exact same instant. You're like, oh, okay, I'm in it. All right, cup of coffee. Let's start moving. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, waking up after a blackout drunk is a little bit like being framed for murder. Because <laughs> you have you, – you know things have gone wrong. <laughs> but you have absolutely no idea why. And you don't necessarily get all the pieces of what went wrong delivered to you in the most, like, linear fashion. Yes. It's just more like the position that you left your shoe on the floor is like, oh, yeah, when I went home, I didn't go right to bed. Yeah. That's when I tried to shove my shoe up my ass or whatever you did. <laughs> Waking up, like, after blackout drunk is like getting thrust into a play you don't know the lines to. Like, you just, literally, you walked into the play, and you're like, okay, I see where everyone's standing. I know where I need to stand. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, you must be who I'm married to. Right. Right. And I don't, this is not an analogy, but the the bluff of, especially if, you know, the other people you were partying with are right around, you know, you all crash the same house or whatever, of the, how would a person act if they hadn't done anything moronic last yeah, night yeah let me act like that on the odd chance that that's the case <laughs> uh it's it's like uh it's like being um it's like being the gay cousin at, at thanksgiving how's that is that uh the gay cousin at thanksgiving everyone always get knows he's gay but he can't come out with it so you have a, this like moment where you're like I understand the way I'm dressed. That we all know what. We're, no one's going to mention it, and that's the way you wait. That's the way you. That's the way you walking into the living right. room okay, after yeah, a yeah. blackout drunk is like being the gay cousin. Of yeah, yeah, kid. yeah. It's like yeah. At some point, somebody's going to pull you aside, like your uncle, and yeah. just be like, <laughs> "Hey, we know. Hey, hey, look, man, look, man. I just want to know. I, I, I don't hold it against you. <laughs> and that's the best you're going to get. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's see. What else do we have here? I love. I love creativity. Um, I love analogies. It's really, really hard to manufacture them, especially uh, from from Twitter. 
uh, like somebody put in, uh, uh, suggested, Taylor suggested trying to have sex when you have to shit. And I just said that's like trying to get useful information or suggestions from Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love Twitter, but it has a very specific and limited utility. Trying to have sex when you have to shit is like, uh, have you ever had, have you ever... (laughs) Have you ever had two things in your hand and a backpack on one shoulder and it's about to fall off and you're just kind of balancing it and you know that if it falls off, everything's falling out of your fucking hands? That's what fu- having, having sex with, with, having sex when you have to shit's like. Right, okay. Which then, therefore, makes it a little bit like when it used to be uh, on The Tonight Show, they'd have the plate spinners. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, it's, it's like having the one really wobbly plate at the one, at, at the one end. Yeah. It's like, uh, and, and it's, it's like being on a roller coaster. Uh, that only goes 30 miles an hour. Like it, <laughs> you can't really enjoy That's it. That's really funny. Yeah, it's like it's like driving an expensive sports car, but never going above the speed limit. It's like it's like valet parking an expensive sports car. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're in it, yeah. but you can't have fun in it. That's funny. I think yeah, you you definitely get that one. That's exactly what it's okay. like. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I'm happy to say it's been a long time since I tried to have sex when I had to shit. Uh, I'll just shit. Yeah, that's like, one, yeah. Of the, one of the perks of marriage. Is... Uh, by the way, I'll even make sure I've pissed. I'll be like, I'm going to start. Let me go piss. I'm just going to make sure. Because the real analogy is having sex when you have to piss. Which is? That's valet parking a sports car. You, that's valet parking a sports car. Yeah, Because you cannot enjoy it, and you know there's going to be no payoff. Because the whole time you're like, I think I'm pissing in her. <laughs> Uh, the heuristics, that was the stories of losing your virginity. Uh, what would you, how how would you analogize your vir- losing your virginity story? Oh, okay. Well, I think again, I heard you talking about this recently, and I think you and I had wildly different experiences. Yours was good. No, it wasn't good. So in that sense, not all that different. But I think I was um, self-conscious enough that I actually had, like, pretty crazy endurance. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the first time I had sex, I, I remember it was actually hard for me to finish. It probably took about 30 minutes. So funny. My buddy Eddie said he, he faked it. He was yeah. like, oh, I just faked it. I, I can see like, that. I can I was, see that. I was like, I wish. I fucking, so, so whereas yours was a walk through Appalachia with no real payoff. <laughs> yeah. Mine was, uh, mine was a hike up Runyon Canyon. <laughs> Right. Well, and mine was like... Uh, Yours was Kilimanjaro. Well, it was just more like... Because at that point, obviously, I'd like jerked off a whole bunch. And now it was like, wow, this girl will have sex with me. But I... I don't know. Did you jerk off before that... sex? No. No, 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 I didn't. I wish I had done that the first time. I, I'm glad I didn't. I'd still be yeah. there. You know, but uh, it was more... I mean, this is a very crude and cruel thing to say, but it was more like jerking off with something that had feelings and just being like, this is the thing I've been trying to do for the longest time. And now that I'm doing it, there's an actual human being attached to this that I don't, that I don't totally really like jerking off, jerking off. You were jerking off with a hand that had feelings and judgment. <laughs> like that jerking off with something that had feelings is so, yeah, that's so funny. Uh, my, cause I, my first time I accidentally put my dick under, I, I didn't even fuck her. It, went, it was between her butt cheek and the bed, and that's when I came. Uh-huh. And, and then I don't really talk about this much, but then I had to have sex with her after I'd already compromised the integrity of the condom, and I had to then 
because I, I hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And she had already said, I'll have sex with you. Right. There I am fucking the... So you had to... In, in, yeah, and then I had to go in. Now the... Marinating in your own natural juices. It was like... Uh, it was like... Um, it was like uh, getting ready to go on a hike and jumping in the river and getting your socks all nice and wet before the hike. It was incredible. <laughs> right, right, it was right. uncomfortable. It was messy. I was just going to say like having, like having sex with an Italian sub, but that yeah. works too. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like... It's like... Uh, it's like getting it's like getting in the shower with all your clothes on and then going out in the rain. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. I like that. It was a, it was a, it really kind of scarred me for a little while. Yeah. No. I mine too. Mine bummed me out for a while. Really? Yeah. Did you sex with her again, or just that one? Time? Oh yeah, like five more times. Um. Well, okay. Someone says seeing cables. Your girlfriend forgot to flush. What are cables? Are we talking oh about god. How, are all of these just about shit? Yeah, I think they're all. Well, that's Twitter's. Um. Well, uh, how different is that from the first time a girl farts in front of you? It's, it's not. It's, very, it's kind of self-employment tax all over again. It's just. Uh, well. Well. Okay. I would actually compare that one to um, somebody just said straight up shitting yourself. Oh. Uh. Sh- sh- uh. Shitting yourself is like. Shitting yourself is like squirrel flute. Uh. Squirrel suit base jumping. Okay. So yours is, yours is already better than mine. Go it's ahead. a ton of risk that you don't realize until the one time you fuck it up and you're ruined. Like, because there's so many times that you, like, fart and you go, I think I'm going to shit, and you just roll the dice on it. Yeah. There's so many times. Shitting your pants is like getting a DUI. You get away with it <laughs> so much that you think you'll never get fucking caught. Perfect. And then one day you're like, I'm fucked. Right, and there's nothing different about it. It's not like. By the way, I don't drink and drive, but no, I know. Yeah. But, but it's not. Uh, oh, that, but that was the time I went ten 